have a special bonus episode of That's What G Said this week. There was so much content, we couldn't fit it all into one episode, so we had to have two separate episodes of That's What G Said. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here on this episode of That's What G Said podcast. We'll get to Andor Episode 8, scene by scene, deep dive, recap and review of the Star Wars new TV show that's on Disney Plus. Every single week there's a new episode, and we talk about it right here on That's What G Said. Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster join me to talk all about Andorra. We spend uh, almost 90 minutes diving into that episode. Then, She Hulk. Season finale, Tim Kelly joins me. We've been here to talk about all eight episodes. Now we finish up with episode nine and our final thoughts on the series and how it all ties into the greater MCU and what will be next for She-Hulk. Spoiler alert on both of those, we get into everything in Star Wars and the greater Star Wars universe, and then we get into everything in the MCU and the greater Marvel universe. We finish up this episode with the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join me to talk about SummerSlam 2013, a big night for Daniel Bryan, the Yes Movement, a great match for John Cena and a really good show overall. Brock Lesnar and Punk have a banger on the show. So we get a lot of entertainment on this episode. We get into the world of Star Wars with Andor, Episode 8 Deep Dive, then the series, the season finale of She-Hulk, Episode 9, our recap and review with Tim Kelly, and we finish up with the old wrestling rewatch, SummerSlam. 2013. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow right now on Twitter as we dive on in to Andor. Spoiler alert, we're going to get into everything from episode 8 of Andor right now with Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster. Episode 8 of Andor just finished up a couple days ago. So Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster are back to talk about episode 8 with me. We'll dive into the scene-by-scene recap. So spoiler alert, if you haven't been watching Andor, we're going to talk about everything that's happened in episode 8, and we'll probably talk about how some of it relates to the greater Star Wars universe. Guys, we go to prison in episode 8, and wow, Trevor Narkina 5, talk about this creepy, dystopian-type prison that we we see where everything is based on the number 7. It's, like, very efficiently run, and if uh, you get out of line, you're getting electrocuted. So, like, when they had them take their shoes off, my wife and I are like, what is going on with this place? Yeah, I know. I know. And like, don't track like, in any dirt here, right? Yeah, and, and like, and like, they had them take their shoes off. We're like, what is going on with this place? And then, like, as they're kind of going in, and, and Cassian's like, kind of, or Keith, Keith is is kind of looking out the uh, the slats of the uh, windows, and you get the 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 view of the prison, um, and like, there's like some sort of like waterfall or whirlpool going on on the outside of it. I'm like, what is this thing? And then they get in there and it's a factory and like, there's the, there's the one scene and I'm sure we'll get to it later, but there's the one scene where he's standing in line waiting. Um, and, and he looks out the window and sees all, all of the other tubes that are filled with like basically the same amount of people as what's in kind his looks tube. like box cars, like, oh. right? If you, if you could see different box cars filled with the same people doing the same thing lined up, like what all seven levels of seven groups of seven people on seven tables. 
So I didn't pick up on the seventh thing, but that's that's cool. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy because you don't. I apologize. I am in the car right now. I don't know why that's beeping. Um, yeah, it's all good. This is this is real stuff. You're traveling and you're helping us out, so we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I I appreciate you having me on. But um, I like you you see the the all the different levels and all these people and you're like, well, this is how the Empire gets stuff like the Death Star built very quickly and efficiently because they've just got essentially slave labor indentured servitude just like across the galaxy anybody that's, that's a good point any that's hard a good point. time foster it was sorry it, i just i was no, just no. i was just it's supporting true. trevor in, in his true. observation there it, it's true and it's it was another one of these episodes where it was a lot of building right this wasn't an action-packed episode and not a whole lot happens but we learn a whole hell of a lot over what was actually a pretty long episode, like 50 minutes plus. You yeah, know, it, was some little, of your it was a little bit thoughts. longer. I am. Um, well, I like the building because I, I again, like I mentioned last time, I really trust these these writers and these showrunners that that there's going to be a really cool payoff. And the whole time we're learning the rules. And I and that's what I was appreciating, like a sci fi story or any honestly, any kind of story. What are the rules? Because then you you have to find ways to bend the rules and break the rules. Right. So we, we know how like the floor works, by the way, I think this is Quentin Tarantino's favorite episode so far. Right. Oh, lots I know. Of, a lot of feet it, stuff. It's so you're, you're right. The fetish. If you, if you're a foot person, this is all you <laughs> and what you're talking about. You, we can actually see Cassian doing this. Yes. He's, he's, what is it? He's casing the joint. He's scoping yep. it out. Um, he's also, I mean, in between the moments when he looks like he's just absolutely scared shitless. Yeah. Yeah. Scared and completely broken, you know, as a man, but yeah, we could see his mind turning and, uh, I, I, I assume there's going to be a really cool, uh, payoff to all this. Yeah. And it's, it's a very, um, Nazi feel to the place. This is one thing that the empire has been referred to as sort of a take on Nazi Germany. We see the guys all have to walk into like the shower at the same time, which is really like creepy feel everything is very right it's like whoa um everything's really regimented and it's it's very sorry could you imagine if like they surprise us with some nudity and like we just had full-on andy circus ass i was gonna say 14 full frontals right there in front of us (laughs) just like whoa disney plus whoa where was the rating i know what the plus is for my gosh (laughs) i um it's so clean inside this prison, but you have it's to pay so... extra for that. So, so that's on the the upper tier. Yeah, that, that that's a that's a different that's a different uh, purchase price. We check in with our friend Cyril as we expected, and Trevor, Cyril, and Deidre meet up. Now, Cyril is trying to use any little bit of uh, leverage that he has to get his old job back or get back in the good graces of the empire. Deirdre doesn't really think much of him, but she does sort of realize that she can use him a little bit, gain some information from him. And it's not a serial heavy episode, but I do feel like these two are going to link back up again. And they seem to have such similar personalities i think there is even one line that cyril says that really seems like it it sticks with deirdre she's kind of like oh that's that's how i am um so yeah these two that we expected they end up linking up here in this episode so one of phase's theories partially confirmed yep because i said that he was probably going to meet up with either her or 
uh, Cassian doing his low level job that his uncle helped him get. And, uh, and he does, I mean, he, and it's all about service to the empire. I, I believe he says, <laughs> she yeah. says that. And then he says it again. Like it's all about service to the empire being of service to the empire. He's still just hard up about these two Jagoffs that got killed in the very first episode. Like they're coworkers of his, he knew them and he wants justice. It, and you know, and for them, and yeah, and Trevor, I think he he's just obsessed with it because those guys, yeah, they were they were douchebags, they were slime balls, and I barely, I bet he barely had any conversation with either of them. He he doesn't care about them, right? He's just he's just that ambitious, and I think he even admits that in the scene. He's like, yes, I was overly ambitious. Um, so yeah, not not to interrupt, but uh, gosh, it's it's great that they're that they finally get to meet up now. We'll get into uh, the scene by scene um, in just a moment. We'll we get to Ferex. We check in there and see how the the events on Eldani have impacted this place now. That's just completely overrun with uh, Imperial officers and troopers all over the place. We see that um, Marva's not doing very well, and things are not about to go great for Bix either. So a lot, lots happening here. You know, we check in with Luthen through in this throughout this episode, and we're going to get into everything in order right now in the scene by scene. But I want to ask you one, both one question before we do, and this is something that I had, I guess I hadn't even really thought much about, but I had just uh, noticed when I was reading through a recap that set that had said, "Is Deirdre, Deirdre?" I always say her name. I say it different every time. I feel like I say Deirdre, 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 Deirdre. Is, is Miro probably the easier way uh, to reference her? Is she Cassian's sister? Is is this the sister that he's looking for? Is she, you know, because they keep di- ducking out of that. And that was something that was so important early on. It's like, it can't be a coincidence that they've shied away from hearing more about that. As Marva said, you know, stop looking for her. I, I And somebody said that and I thought, wow, that would be sort of interesting. Do you, what do you think on that, Foster? I think, well, I think this is Star Wars, so it's got to be Bix. It's his sister. Right? Yeah. That's it's got to be Bix. I was thinking that, too. <laughs> if, no. Um, if, if he's got the hots for her, it's got to be. It's got to be his sister. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> heard of kissing cousins. Well, this is Star Wars, so it's kissing <laughs> brothers and sisters. Yeah. As soon as you said it's Star Wars, we all knew what you meant, too. That's, yeah. what, that's what was unfortunate. It's like, oh, um, yeah, it, it is. It is. I... You know, I'm curious. I wonder. I mean, that honestly, if they pull that off, that would be pretty cool because, um, yeah, she is. I don't know. She seems very. But but then again, you know, we see her in public. We see her with uh, other people, other Imperials. So we we don't really see her on her own um, and we don't truly know what her interior truth is. Um, but, yeah, if they pull that off, if that is his sister, that would be kind of crazy and and kind of cool maybe there was a look trevor um that they showed in the article that i was reading that had shown that she looks like she might have dyed her hair and that may be a cover like she looks like she may have initially had like darker features so i don't know you know how it is when we're all watching these shows week to week everyone's grasping at straws everyone has these like hilarious takes on stuff and it's funny right when you're in the middle of it but that would be kind of an interesting twist if not, yeah, no, not she, a, I mean, you know, yeah, you've got, you've got a point there. I mean, she is a bit of a dirty blonde, um, you know, like the, it looks like the roots underneath there might be a little darker. 
but uh, you know, if, if we're going to, if we're going to start, you know, I know you're a big gambling guy and we've all worked horse Please. racing and everything like probably odds on favorite is that she's going to be the sister. But if right. we're going to start laying down odds for folks like Vel probably might, maybe, maybe is a little up there. She's also a little bit of a dirty blonde. Yeah. Vel, finding so, out that's, who that's Vel another... is who I, I'm very curious too. in who is, who is she the runaway from? Right. She's a she apparently she's like a runaway from her family. They they may even reference that a little bit later as we hit. But who who is she? What is her story? Also, so many cool questions to ask as we dive in. We're going to go scene by scene now. Episode eight of Andor Narkina five. We get the uh, the previously on to start off and then it's prisoner processing with Cassian, a.k.a. Keith Gergo. And this is just scary. Like everything is so quick move. There's no messing around. You're not waiting to be called here. It's boom, boom, boom. Get here in boom. You're getting pulled here. You're getting to the next spot. You're moving all along. And it looks like they are being sorted based on how able-bodied they are. You here. Okay. Oh, you're going here. And all of a sudden Cassian gets sent to Narkina 5. What the hell is this? What's what's Narkina 5? But he quickly gets ushered into a shuttle transport. Shore troopers with cattle prods. I mean, this is a crazy visual, uh, Trevor, as you know, we see what it's like with these group of people all getting sent to their their prison their, their prison locations, and boom, it's so so authoritarian feeling in every way, shape or form. Yeah. I mean, the space Nazis are at it. I mean, I, I know, exactly. I know the empire has yeah. been referred to that as, as before. Oh but, yeah. And, and even, even, you know, the, um, you know, like general Hux, there's a lot of comparisons in the new trilogy to like him being a space Nazi with these giant banners behind him when he's giving speeches and stuff. But yeah, I mean like that's, that's this the the authoritarian of the space Nazis um, and and the machine that they have created in order to be able to get stuff done. I mean, you don't build star destroyers by like sitting around twiddling your thumbs and like, hey, can we get this done? Like, what do you think? Oh, let's work on it tomorrow. You build star destroyers by enslaving prisoners and electrocuting them th- through the feet. Like that, that's how you get star destroyers built. It's it's just terrifying. Michael, from the moment at the end of episode seven, where we see like the courtroom scene, when he quickly gets processed for six years for like doing absolutely nothing, then he has to roll through this processing. And when he gets into the prison, he he bas- they basically like drop him off in and they quickly leave. I mean, everything is just visually pretty cool to see this prison that's like, very well designed. It's in the middle of an ocean and it's basically underground. Like you can't escape from here. This dude's life has completely changed. All of the money that he had is gone. And where the hell is Nemec's manifesto? Uh, that's a great question. I honestly, I, I completely forgotten about the manifesto until you brought it up. I guess it, maybe it's in that box where he had his money, where he's keeping it on top of the shower. Did there, he maybe, the... and may, Did he maybe like leave it at, at Ferrix when he went home? When he checked in, maybe could that have happened? Could it be somewhere where it's still like somebody else stumbles onto it, like a Marva? I think B2 Emo might have it. Right? Oh, that would be awesome. Because it's got, 
I feel like it's got to be somewhere to where it wasn't just gone with his money because, oh, that'd be a brutal loss. Or maybe it, maybe the Empire comes across it in finding it. I, who knows? But it's got to come back up somewhere, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, at some point, and, and again, like, I, I the, the writers totally, they've hooked me. And and I trust that all the things they're, they're setting up are going to have a great payoff. Um, this introduction to the prison, yeah, it's so, it's shocking. But at the same time, as a as a, a viewer, I'm like, oh, this looks like the production design looks amazing. Incredible. Uh, I was really taken aback by the soundtrack, like this like dark synth. Uh, I don't know if either of you played the the Mass Effect games, uh, but it reminded me of of like the soundtrack from those games. It's terrifying. And and there's a great just um, I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but when um, Keith meets uh, Andy Serkis's character, it starts with a K. I don't remember the name. Yeah, his name um, is Kino. Kino. Yeah. Um, that whole sequence, like the music is there. He's just, he's, he's Kino. You can tell has done this speech thousands of times. Yep. He's, you know, he's late. He's telling him the rules. Like I said, these are the rules. And then we're going to see what happens uh, when Cassian finds ways to work around these rules. It's just a cool looking. Well, you mentioned... Go ahead, Trevor. You, yeah, you go ahead, Trevor. The, the terror. It, it, it harkens back to uh, like Rogue One. When Jin gets um, scooped up, and she's in the back of that tr- prisoner transport, and she's trying to figure out where she's going, and like she's in the cuffs and everything, and that's when they break her out and free her, and that's the first time we see Cassie and Andor is in the back of that transport when Jin has been um, imprisoned. But it, it, there's a lot of similarities in the the terror and the the fear that is built up in this moment of him getting imprisoned and sent off to a work camp um, that is very, very similar to what you feel in Rogue One, um, which I, I feel like is a really nice parallel. The, all episode long, we're getting quick cuts. Um, for the most part, the cuts are between the prison and then towards the second part of the episode and Mon Mothma's, which is kind of cool because it's like the prison and then all the prisoners and then it's cutting to the elite people at the party and they're the ones who are terrified of these prisoners who haven't really done anything uh, but we first check back in with our friends at the ISB and with Deirdre and Cyril has actually been taken from his cubicle at his office by imperial officers they take him right over to the ISB to see Deirdre Miro and she asks, um, I'm Lieutenant Miro, and she asks what, um, you know, she starts speaking with Karn. Karn is already asking questions before she can even get her point out. And so what's cool about this is that Karn is so, you know, he's so in his own head about what he can do. He's not nervous, really, or scared about this interaction with her. Like, he's not really worried about what she might do to him. He just wants to get back in the good graces, and he feels like he has value to the empire. Uh, but she kind of shoots him down. I'll ask the questions. I've been re- reviewing the incident in Ferrix. I was planning on calling you in to fill some gaps, but now we've had our morning interrupted because you keep requesting the Bureau of Standards data center to look for Cassian Andor. you claimed he was missing a fuel specialist an unresponsive energy engineer, uh, a fuel purity field officer. You've been here for less than a month and you five filed five false inquiries. Karn says six, actually. <laughs> Deirdre mentions that she wasn't counting this morning. Um, but he he has his motivation. 
He wants to catch Cassian. Cassian is a murderer. He's a threat. I've been trying with the limited tools I have available to find him. So we just see they're they're back and forth here. Deirdre tells him, look, you've engaged our curiosity. Now, is there anything more you can tell me? He wants to clear his name. Then they start talking about the report. And this just, this all seems like very real. There was a falsified police report that we found out that Karn was forced to sign. And now Blevin, who was in charge of Karn, is no longer in charge. Deirdre's trying to look into some of these things. So Foster, this just kind of feels very real. Like this is something you'd, you'd probably see in any, any work type place and and definitely in law enforcement when you know you have stuff that's been pushed under the rug you have people being forced to sign all all sorts of things that they didn't really do or that that didn't really happen like (laughs) this feels like very very true yeah and it it kind of shows how the empire you you know even treats their own you know poorly at times and um you know cyril he's such a dork and it just it's so great to see him be like but i I was good I, i i did a good job and then said, I know Miro is having very good it, at my which job, is, which is so fun that she's just like, you ever do this again? Um, you're going to be talking to somebody and it, when it won't be me and it's not going to be good times for you. Goodbye. Uh, yeah. She, she gives him a chance. She lets him read the report. He doesn't really have much more to say to her, Trevor. And, and so she just kind of shoots him down, but it is that one line that he eventually, he kind of hits her with where, uh, where he tells her, you know, all I was, was, was really ambitious. I solved the double murder. Time was slipping away. Opportunity was real. Can one ever be too aggressive in preserving order? And she, I think that kind of sticks with her a little bit, but she's got more important things to do. And she doesn't really feel like Karn has, has a whole lot more than what she's got from him. We have not seen the last of these two working together. He is playing on her, like, I won't say heartstrings because he's he's not like trying to make her fall in love, but like he's like I I was too ambitious. You know who else is too ambitious? The yep. person he's talking to. Like she is too ambitious. You know who else is aggressive when it comes to trying to serve justice? She is aggressive when it got like they are are like a match made in work heaven in like Empire heaven to 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 root out and find Cassie and Andor and and. Uh, Axis, this this new, uh, the new um, term that they've given Luthen. They don't know, obviously know it's Luthen, but they've named him Axis. Uh, and and maybe I'm jumping a scene ahead, right? No, now, but, but yeah, no, it's uh, they're all kind of jumbled together because it's in that moment when when we see that like Wolf Lauren and some of the other superiors still aren't really taking everything Deirdre is saying seriously, but. She kind of pushes on it and they basically give her the reins to kind of go down to, to Ferrix and, and to start running her operation down there. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, we cut back and forth a few times, so we won't necessarily be in direct order of everything, but all to altogether, Deirdre gets a little bit of information from Karn kind of sends him packing on his way, but she gets a lot of responsibility and she gets sent down to Ferrix where, She's really like running the show. Um, Foster, we, we, you know, we, it's, it's so well done because up until this point, we're kind of rooting for her. But now in this episode, for the first time, 
I sort of felt like, okay, now I'm not rooting for her as much anymore. You know, because she was sort of doing her job, but kind of dealing with other crappier people. Now she actually starts to manipulate situations. She starts to lie. Hell, at the end of this episode, she's torturing people. Yeah, you actually get to see her because, you know, she was kind of removed at the ISB. But now we see her interacting with the people that we've uh, come to know and, and care about. And yeah, it is kind of disturbing. You know, I know that's the very, like the very last, one of the very last scenes, but the fact that, you know, she's, um, you know, going to interrogate Bix. Um, and we saw, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, Bix is like accomplice. I think who helped her with. Um, Brasso. Con- yeah. Contacting. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or no, the, the accomplice is Pac. Pac. Um, Pac. That's the guy who's at the comms, like who help, helps her try to call Cassie. And Brasso is their friend, is, is Cassian's best yeah. friend. And so, yeah, it is kind of different because, yeah, we were rooting for her. She was like an underdog, you know, um, like, a, you know, a, a woman in, in a man's world. And uh, but, yeah, she's ambitious and she's good at her job. And now we get to see what are the ramifications of the fact that she is good at her job. And it's that um, innocent people and our, our rebels will probably suffer a little bit. The getting into the prison, Trevor, when they arrive at uh, Narkina 5, and they get onto the big ship and then they're they're grabbed by guards and the guards have these huge boots on but the prisoners are all barefoot and that's when we learn we basically get the intro to the prison and we find out why these prisoners are barefoot because everything they walk on can be controlled by the guards and by people watching so if these prisoners ever act up they get shocked they get electrocuted Guards don't even really have to carry money weapons around. Um, it's it's un, it's literally like animals. What like animals being you know cattle, like being branded, being shocked. This is unbelievable. And we hear the officer welcome everyone to Narkina Five. This is an Imperial factory facility. You've all been assessed as labor worthy. Following this intro, you'll be transferred to your level assignment and workroom. Your floor manager will explain the details and your expectations. Your length of stay is predetermined. The quality of time will be up to you. And he goes on, he said it's calm, sanitary, and minimal invasive enforcement techniques. And he shows them why. Because he clicks a button and each of them gets electrocuted. Just as a show you, hey, by the way, we're going to electrocute all of you. And Cassian like falls over at one point. So his hands and his feet are both getting electrocuted. It's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you use context clues from things you've seen in the past. And, like, as he starts on this speech about, you know, we don't carry weapons and it's minimally invasive. Like, what are they going to do? Like, is this, is this like, space Alcatraz? And, like, that's why nobody has weapons. And to, like, as, as a show of force, they're going to, like, throw somebody out the, out the window into the waterfall and, like, kill them that way. Just, like make an example of somebody on the first day type of thing. Like you're, you're trying to, you know, use context clues to try to figure things out. And I, I did not see this coming. This is, I don't think something that I've ever seen before. Uh, certainly not, no context clues led me to like, Oh, they're wearing special shoes because the floor is electrified and they're no. going to get electrocuted every time somebody acts up. Like that's not the direction my head went. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it. And it's it's horrifying. It's terrifying. But it's also like a really cool, like, 
detail and, and thought process and idea in order to come up with this to keep prisoners in line. It, it makes sense when you when you think about it, right? You're just like, wow, it's it's efficient. And what um, Foster, you were you were hitting on this. What Cassian kind of notices as he's going through this whole introduction period, and then he gets into his workroom. But before he gets through the workroom, he notices that the place is really efficient, spotless, clean. But some of the guards are still like, that's probably the weakness. Right, the people in in places are always the weakness here, and he sort of notices that when they're talking on the radio, they're kind of off. A couple of them don't know what's going on here and there, and he's he's just super smart and super perceptive. So the place is like a well oiled machine, but it doesn't necessarily seem like all the guards are, you know. And then that I think that's where the wheels start spinning in his head is trying to find his way out of this place. Where's the weak spot? Who do I attack? Yeah, you, you can see that as he's getting checked in, um, that he's taking note of that. And I imagine that will that will kind of play a part. We do see some weapons there. Some of them do have blasters. and uh, But yeah, it seems, I, I imagine, um, by the way, if you're a guard, this seems like a really cushy gig. Yeah. Like, you, you don't need to like make an appearance at all, but you're just monitoring the data, the spreadsheets of how well each you know team is doing, the, how the each prisoners, pr- like, they run themselves. They literally yeah. police themselves. Like the head of each unit, the guy we just talked about, Kino, he's just a prisoner that's been around for a little while longer. He has less days left on his sentence. So he tries to motivate the guys around him to work harder. And it's a cool way for them to, the, the officers to all just kick back and have less responsibility. Yeah. I think they've probably become uh, a little lazy. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the key to um, if there is going to be, you know, a kind of jailbreak scenario that's probably going to be the key uh factor in that well foster you mentioned uh cassian casing the place and like you get all these shots of him giving side glances to everything especially when they're in that processing center and the guards are yelling at each other because that one guard is late you know gino you said the, the people are always the weakness and that that is 100 the empire i mean stormtroopers in theory are great but when the stormtroopers can't shoot like that's mm-hmm. the weakness um, and so these guards like yelling at each other about one guy being late, like you can already start to see, you know, if, if Cassian can get back to those guards and find a way to get, you know, back up that elevator to, to like that processing area where they do have a couple of blasters. Now we're starting to see like the formation of, of when he might be able to do something. Now Cassian enters a large room, looks like a factory and we're, we're basically in like, an assembly line situation here. Um, the unit leader, Kino, he's referred to as the unit manager, Kino Loy. And this is and um, pretty cool. This is Andy Circus, And he actually played Snoke, he, the voice of, and he played Gollum also. And he's done a bunch of really cool roles. It was awesome to see him, pl- you know, getting to actually play a, a human character and not just a voice but he's the unit manager of this group seven levels of the factory seven rooms per level seven tables per room seven men at each table he said the 49 men in this room answer to me and the guards only come to pick up the dead and bring their replacements you're mine now this is a 12-hour shift productivity is encouraged evaluation is constant you've been assigned to table five which is that pod um and he shows him you can see uh, like the, everything's being tracked. So they have like 
little little graphics that show the standings of the productivity of how quickly everyone is working. So people get rewarded for their good work and then they get punished for their bad work. They literally get shocked, prodded when they do better work. They actually get better food and food that has an actual taste to it. Um, So they always want to make sure that they're trying to get these prisoners to work hard. And the prisoners, we don't know exactly what they're building. Is this the Death Star? Are they just, I heard a theory that I thought was kind of sad. They're building the prisons that they're in. They're just building the next prison. Oh, that's dark. Right? For the next set of guys that's just going to be out there in the, in the water, in the middle of nowhere. Whoever knows what they're building, they're, they're taking care of business for the empire. They're handling all of their business. And like you said, Trevor, this is how you get work done by assembly line, just like this. And they give slight rewards to the prisoners. And then they use torture to those who don't keep up. Um, and it's just like a regular kind of group of guys here that all are trying to work their like they they want to work harder because they want to get better food, they want the small perks, and they want to just make the best of po- the situation. They know that their time is on that uh, on that meter, and you might as well make the best of it while they're here. Yeah, you know, I'm always motivated by food with taste, <laughs> right? That's food. It's like, food, food like food with taste. You know, I live on rice cakes personally. So, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. Um, no, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's very dystopian. It's um, the sevens thing. Like that's kind of getting to me. Like I, I hadn't picked up on that. I, I must've missed, like, I obviously I got the seven tables and I got the seven guys per table, but seven levels and seven things you know seven different floors in each level i didn't pick up on that and so like, you can quickly do the math there and figure out how many guys are imprisoned there um but it, it, that is that is a lot of people uh all working towards the and I, I wonder if they're all making the same thing every if every factory and every floor is making the same thing because they're churning out a lot of those yeah um, I, you there's know, a I lot happening that's something to hold the but i mean it's it is efficient and frightening and michael kino just kind of continues on and he says look uh you're a table five that's you seven tallies are the running shift totals of all the other rooms you play he says play you play against all the other tables i play against all the other rooms and that word actually gets cassian to say play and he says call it what you will but um, I have 249 days left on my sentence. I can run this room however I want. I'm always in the top three on the level. You want to keep that happening. If you're sick or you're injured, you talk to me. Anything else, keep it to yourself. Don't slow up my line. Get the table five. Boom. So there he is. He he sits at table five and he and he meets his crew. Yeah, and they um, you know, I, I'm sure this isn't the first time. They're all probably used to this by now, like the new meet. And it's just like, uh, you know, when I watched like Band of Brothers and, you know, you get the um, the replacements or the reinforcements and you don't really want to you don't want to grow attached because, you know, everyone's expendable in this place. And um, some people at the table are, are have a little kindness. Some people kind of dismiss him, um, but they get him right in there and they're like, OK, you watch what I'm doing because you're going to be in this spot. 
uh, starting tomorrow. And um, yeah, it's really, he's, he's really frazzled and you feel for him because he's such a badass and he's so confident, but put in this situation, what the hell like, is he supposed to do? He's, he's reduced, right? He's, he's not the Andor that we, yeah. that we know. And it's like, you I kept really thinking that too. Him. It's like, what a, and that's such a cool thing that they took this badass that they've shown us over and over what a badass this guy is and how smart and sharp he is. And now he's put in a situation where at this current moment for a month, we see 30 days go by. It shows it says 30 day like later. It's just day in, day out. Same thing for him. He until he can figure out a plan or a way out. He just has to you know, make the best of his situation here. And. Yeah, he, he gets introduced to, I think here's our group, uh, Zal, Taga, Olaf, poor Olaf. He's the old man who starts to slow down uh, towards the end of the episode. Ham and Melshi, Trevor Melshi's actually in Rogue One. We see him. He's a future Rebellion member um, in Rogue One. Um, and yeah, what? everything's like, yeah, yeah. That's we got cool. a Yeah, we got a, we got a Rogue oh, Oneer here, so... Little Easter eggs and breadcrumbs all over the place in this show. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm wondering if they get out together or maybe they get out and then, you know, link back up at some point. But he uh, he was the one that before they go to bed was talking to Cassian and really kind of like talking to him up front, telling him about what it's like, what goes on um, and just giving him giving him a little bit of help. So. Cassian's kind of got his job now. He knows what he needs to do. And we actually hear the announcers speaking overhead. They check in at one point and let us know that the predict the productivity levels are unacceptable. And then they said, we're calling on a new clock. And now everything has to be sped up. <laughs> they call it a sprint segment. Hey, everything's got to be faster. You weren't doing good enough. It's really, really creepy and the attention to detail is fantastic there's anxious feelings as everything's work there's constantly working 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 all trying to um remain from being shocked from being zapped so the last least productive table will be disciplined scary stuff at this prison and then we flash to the opposite a very posh party at mon mothma's and we find out a lot about Mon Mothma and Perrin throughout this party, Michael. They actually had an arranged marriage back when they were 15. Things start to make a little more sense now. They weren't really ever in love. It was kind yeah. of a custom, kind of a tradition. We see that, man, Perrin is also throughout this party because they cut back and forth a few times. He seems like he's really jealous of uh, Tay. Um, he it's, he even makes a couple comments, and their daughter seems like they think that Mon and Tay may be having an affair. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird that he could be that jealous. I think he's just he's just uh, wanting. He's just like, oh, you're you're not giving me as much attention as you used to. And yeah, the totally the young arranged marriage. I even think we predicted something like that in one of the earlier mm-hmm. episodes. Totally makes sense. Um, boy, that's a that's a weird. Uh, sci-fi rich planet people tradition um what how old were they 16 or something 15 i think he said yeah because then they came here when they were 16 and she was a senator so i think at 15 years old they were put together oh yeah so queen almidala was 
pretty young too. Mm-hmm. So that, that's interesting. He's just Trevor. He's such a, a snossage, but he's, he, he's having a few drinks and he's kind of letting it out a little bit more than we've seen. He's, he's, he's had a better, uh, he's kept a better appearance publicly in, at this party, it feels like he's had a few drinks and he's not, I don't He's. it's almost like Mon's kind of pushed him a little bit to where he's a little loosey goosey with his verbiage here. You know, I, I still think he's, he's, uh, trying to spy on her. And so yeah. this could be a tactic of like, mm-hmm. Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, this could be a tactic by him of like getting looser to try to get her to be looser. Cause I think, I think he's still trying to spy on her. Like they clearly don't like each other. This was an arranged marriage at fifteen, and they they clearly do not like each other anymore. And I think it's pretty obvious to basically everybody around them, including their daughter, which might be why she's got some issues of her own because mom and dad don't love her. They don't love each other, and they don't love her. But I think that's probably you know a, a good indicator as to like I I don't I think there's more to this guy we spend a lot of time on him um for for him to just be totally agree a husband that upon his wife yes absolutely agree he's got to be uh he's got to be a double agent or have a cover of some point and tay actually lets us know that the the bank like because of what's happened on aldani the empire is getting involved with everything with the banks. It's harder to move money around. They're watching everything that's happening. And so that is impacting Mon Mothma. So things are a little bit tougher for her, but this party is more about Mon needing to kind of whip some votes. Honestly, we see her talking to a few different uh, senators and um, you know, we, we cut back and forth with her a few times and they, they discuss the, the P O R D legislation and it is interesting to see them talking about the prisoners and then us cutting to the prisoners that they're talking about they say we need uh the empire's primary charge is protection um surveillance and prosecution without limit if you're doing nothing wrong what is there to fear um so it's it's funny to hear them talk about this but these are all these fat cats that have a bunch of money Mon is kind of scared because she knows she's doing stuff. And we see these prisoners, these poor guys, a lot of them probably haven't even done anything. And they're getting their sentences doubled just, just for nothing. Yeah. Just for, um, just for, yeah, the, the, uh, events on Aldani. And, um, and it seems like this is, this is what Luthen wants, mm-hmm. right? He wants yep. the, this really oppressive fist to come down, um, to hopefully, you know, inspire outrage and, uh, and a rebellion. And it is always interesting in the show how we get to see how how things are affected. Like we saw how um like the upper levels of society uh, were affected by Aldani. And then we immediately get to see how the prisoners, um, right, this this kind of lower class gets affected by the um the events yep. of Aldani. And it's so it's and so and the people on barracks too, right? Like just like yes. those people, the people in the prison, and then the rich people, like everyone, which is it's such a different um a different way of showing or telling a story Trevor which is really cool getting to see everybody's yeah. perspective yeah i mean that is a a fantastic point i mean the events of the prequels happen the events of the regular the original trilogy happen the events of the 
uh, second, the the sequel trilogy happened. Um, you know, and, and you don't ever see how the common person is affected. And this show is all about that. Like one event happened, and we see prisoners in person getting their time sentence or their 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 sentences doubled or tripled or whatever it was. Like you see one event happen, and you see fat cats and senators and 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 people that hang out with senators talking about you know being scared and and those types of things that is a fantastic point that that is something this show has delivered is like what is life like for the common person in the star wars universe and i saw a funny thing the other day about like would you rather live in star wars or would you rather live in star trek and there's no question which one you would rather live in you would obviously rather live in Star Trek. And I'm not a Star Trek fan, but it would be terrible to live under the Empire. Like, Star Trek Brutal. is utopian. Yep. And and it would be terrible to live under the Empire. And you're seeing that happen. You're seeing that up close. And that is a fantastic point of something that this show is delivering that we haven't seen from Star Wars previously. Now, uh, the next quick little cut was actually a scene that you had just uh, referenced before too Trevor was when all the prisoners have finished their shift for the day they're standing in line getting ready to go back into their their little cells and they see all of the different levels where it's just like them there's just groups of guys standing in line across from them below them above them and then a couple of the prisoners are actually communicating with each other like via sign language Almost like they're, you know, they're plotting something or they're talking to each other, trying to, you know, at least speak. And Cassian seeing it happen, it's all like really quick, but um, such cool visuals. As we then get to the prisoners get settling into their rooms, this is when Cassian talks more with some of the guys that are at his table. Zal Jembok lets him know everything about the cell. Here's the rack. Food, water, nightlight, toilet flips down. Here's your plate, spoon, shaver. Uh, food, you can have as much as you want. They like us healthy and fueled. You'll Don't worry, you'll learn to eat it. Tough way to start, you get fried twice in one day. So Cassian just got you know fried right at the beginning. And then they finished last because they were down a man for a lot of the day. So that table got fried again. Uh, but he's, he's at least learning about the cell. Mel, she talks to him. And then the guys ask about the P.O.R.D. Cassian hears about this and he just doesn't want to even talk about it. He doesn't want to reference anything at all about what happened out on Eldani. He doesn't want anyone to know he was involved. It's Everybody's cracking down on this. Um, so th- this was kind of a cool scene to, to get a little bit more about the prisoners interacting with each other. Michael, we got to see them talk about the public order resentencing directive. We heard him mention that everyone's sentences just got doubled recently. And then we see how quickly everybody has to jump when that announcer voice comes on and tells them, get back to your cells, 30 seconds, 10 seconds, 5 seconds. You better be in there or you're getting your ass shocked. Return to your bunks or your tootsies will fry. Exactly. Um, Yeah, and I love how Andor is just like, he's, I mean, he's just like, Huh? And you see the lights flashing. You're like, you gotta get in your bunk. Get in there, man. Yeah. He, he jumps in there and, and immediately turns red. Yeah, it's so like this. It's so depressing when they're talking about the the P O R D 
and Andor's like, oh yeah, I had a direct hand in this, and um, and yeah, he's he's keeping it close to the vest because you know if he reveals that he was part of the Aldani heist, um, you know he might get shanked or something. Um, so, uh, so who knows? And uh, yeah, it's so depressing with like the food tubes and everything. Cool, like cool design and everything. Oh but yeah, the, it looks great. But, yeah, but the fact that you're getting your meals like through a tube, it's so like it's so icky. Uh, and and the way that they just like it's night, we see Cassian kind of sit there. He doesn't go to sleep, and then it's like the next morning. And then they give us a thirty, like they tell us that like basically thirty days have gone, which is is really cool. It's just like oh wow, and and we see that after this month or so, table seven is or table five is now performing pretty well. Cassian's got this group really really doing well, except for the old man Olaf. Um, he's starting to starting to struggle. Yeah, I don't feel good. He's a goner. I was gonna say I don't feel great about our, the prospects for old Olaf. This is like the uh, this is like the Nemec meter, you know. Like I don't know if Olaf's making it past episode nine, Trevor. No, he's he's going down. Um, <laughs> my wife and I both saw it. My wife and I both saw it coming. So I did I did some math. Um, so bear with me. Kino, obviously, there's seven guys at the table. There's seven tables in the room, so that's 49 guys. Kino says that. Okay? There are seven other floors on his level. That's 343, and there's a floor manager per. So that's 350 guys on one level, and there are seven levels. So that's 2,401 dudes who are working to build things for the Empire, plus 12 hours a day. guys that are like Kino. Yeah. Plus 49 other or 49 kinos. So there's 2,450 guys in this one prison. Well done. I'm going to send you a little extra on that. You get a bonus for that one. Good, good math there. <laughs> um, yeah. And they're just operating like a well-oiled machine. You slow down, they come and get you. They bring the next one in and nothing stops at all. And now 30 days have passed and we check back in on Ferrix. And Marva is sick now, and she's not doing very well. Bix is checking on her, and, and Brasso is also checking on her. She has some p- p- pain in the knee, what uh, B, uh, B2 lets us know here. But she's she's part of the rebellion now. She's trying to do things to help the rebels. She actually went to see if the tunnel under the hotel was open because the hotel in Ferrix is now where the Empire is is positioned. That's like their uh, their home base, their basis of operation, which just shows you again how little they care about the people or any of these uh, businesses or the locals because they just come in and they completely take over a hotel. So all of the local businesses are destroyed. Nobody can stay there. Um, nobody can come in to Ferrix at all. Can come in and out because there's nowhere to stay. Things are not going well in Ferrix, and Marva is not doing well. So Foster, Bix, and Brasso talk about it, and it, they feel like Marva's probably not going to make it very much longer. They have to try to get in touch with with Cassie in some way, shape, or form. So the only thing that they can think of is is Bix is going to go ask her friend uh, Pac if she can borrow a communication to try to get in touch with Luthen. Maybe Cassian has linked back up with Luthen, so that it makes sense. She's just trying to take. You know, to contact her friend to let him know, hey, your mother, Marva, not doing well. You might want to get back here. 
yeah, I mean, you could totally understand that motivation. And I mean, how heartbreaking would it be if, you know, Marva passed when he was, you know, away in jail, right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. in a jail or, you know, getting drunk. Um, yeah, yeah. Womanizing, whoever know, who knows, <laughs> you know, one of the many um, things he could have been doing, you know, uh, yeah, using a stupid name. You yeah, know, Keith, <laughs> Keith Ergo. I'm a tourist. I'm a tourist. <laughs> a tourist. Say, say it again. Tell us one more time. Uh, uh, so, but... yeah, it's you feel for her. It, it also doesn't sound like, you know, and I could be wrong, but it doesn't sound like Marva's like, uh, like really doing a whole lot for the rebellion. No, it, it I seems think like she's, she's just play acting a little bit. Yeah, uh, she, she wants right. She feels like she's motivated, but yeah. I don't think she can really do much physically, you know? No. Um, and, and she's sick and like, um, I don't know if it, it's, it's the actor do, really doing that, like sick breathing or if it's like added on sound design, but you could like really feel that. And I was like, Oh, that's like, it was, it was great. Like you, yeah. like you said, you felt like, like you heard it in, in the breaths that she was taking. And we actually see Trevor that they are being watched. Vel and Cinta have come to Ferrix. They're looking for Cassian. And they figure Cassian will at some point come back home. So let's stake our claim here for a little while. We'll wait. So they have eyes on Marva and on Bix and on Brasso. They've been monitoring that. And and Vel's kind of frustrated now at the situation. She feels like, hey, I we kind of did our part. Now we've passed the baton to like the, the next group of people to help out. Cinta is completely different. She is solely motivated and focused because remember, Sinta's family was murdered by the Empire, whereas Vel, we actually come to to uh, to believe, Vel ran away. Sinta uh, says a line that must be referencing Vel, where she's Sinta joke kind of mocks, maybe I'm a rich girl running away from her family, and Vel says, "Wow, that's cold even for you." So Cinta must have been talking about Vel. Vel maybe wants to get back home to her family. Maybe just feels like, hey, I'm not in this for murder anymore. I, I you know, I, I thought I don't. She doesn't really seem like she wants to go after Cassie, and she never has. But we really see these two. And what's interesting about this, Trevor, is that the they're kind of flipped. We've we've always been led to believe that Vel was the one that was so much about the cause, and in this little scene we actually see that vel is really in love with cinta and cinta's kind of what is what does cinta say i told you up front the struggle always comes first we take what's left so uh, bear with me here pot up your rock of pella and bear with me do bop do do be do bop do do be do bop where in the world is cassian andor <laughs> like how many people are out looking for this dude now like, like I can't. First off, I can't believe I just said that. But, um, but well done. It was great. Got, I like it. Thanks. So brave. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I mean, we've got Luthen is out looking for him. By the end of the episode, Luthen is out by himself. I, I, you know, possibly looking for him. We've he's sent Vel and Cinta to go look for him. Bix and Grasso are looking for him. The Empire uh, and, <laughs> and the Empire, you know, is looking for him. And Cyril is looking for him on his own. Yep. Like, and this dude's just sitting in an imperial prison somewhere. And that's the um, funny thing. You would think that the Empire would be able to have some technology that would figure out that, like, 
hey, fingerprints, we got this guy. But no, like, he's on the fake name, so they don't realize that he's there. Yeah, it's Keith, it's, that's Keith Kurgo. It's not Cassie and Andor. It's, it's Keith. the same guy. Keith. That's Keith. You, know, Keith. you guys know Keith. Yeah. He's a tourist. Um, but yeah, it, the, the, stuff, the stuff with Cinta and Vel is interesting. Um, you know, I, I threw down when you were talking about who is possibly Cassian's sister. You know, this is the scene that made me think, like, maybe Vel could be Cassian's sister. We don't know a lot about her background and her history, um, other than she's now, you know, according to this, this, um, the insult that Cinta threw out, she's maybe a runaway from a rich family. And maybe she was adopted by this rich family because she uh, was an orphan from, um, you know, Cassian's original planet. And taken by the empire like, yeah yeah when the empire yeah. went there and picked up the the remaining kids absolutely that that's definitely a, a a possibility um but we see the two split up and vel kind of <clears throat> she gets hit with one more line from cinta cinta says i'm a mirror vel you love me because i show you what you need to see Ooh, ouch so vel actually leaves cinta stays at fair uh, on ferrix and Bix and Brasco Brasso try to figure out how to get in contact with Cassian. So Bix goes to talk to her friend Pac, who has a communication. Now, because the Empire is around, they have to keep everything hidden and they can't be just out in the open. So Bix goes to send a message to Luthen. She wonders if maybe Cassian has linked back up with Luthen, but the message gets to Clea, Luthen's assistant. And she and Luthen talk, and she is like very, very aggressive here with Luthen. Luthen telling him, "Hey, you're slipping a little bit. We have to cut off the communications here. We, uh, you know, we have to go after Cassie and Andor." L- Luthen is. We're starting to find out more about him because he. I, I mean, and I'm still have a tough time like figuring like for Mon Mothma. She seems like a pretty genuine good person. Luthen, I guess, is just solely motivated by, you know, his greater cause so much so that he, Michael, he doesn't even think twice about having to off Cassian or, you know, that that's never really an issue with him. He just doesn't seem like, I don't know, he's as um, focused right now as his assistant, Clea. Like, Clea is really on top of everything, and she's she's making sure that he doesn't slip up at all. Yeah, like you said, she's really aggressive in the scene. I still don't think Luthen knows that she ordered a hit on Cassian. I think he's. It's, it seems like he's under the impression that they're they're trying to find Cassian. Yes, uh, absolutely. To bring, to, to bring him back into that. the fold, and to you know maybe um, get him on board for another mission. More so, communicate with him. Yes, right. Like I want to talk. Like let's get him back here. I don't want him talking more about me. I think what scares Luthen is the fact that Bix reached back out to Luthen looking for Cassian. I think he's wondering like, oh, if this guy's out there saying my name to people, that could get me in some trouble. So let like see I, that, I, that's... Took, I I took that scene differently. Like he's he said like he's out there with that with my name in his head. Like I took that scene differently as like the, uh, this to me this scene confirmed that Luthen did order the hit on Cassian. That, okay, he, so he, 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 oh, that okay. that's the way I took it. 
So he, let's see. He's out there with my name in his head. Who knows where he is with my it's name Andor, in his head. It's knowing he's out there, knowing me, not knowing what he knows. I took him on the Fondor. Um, said Vel was out hunting for him. Yeah, they uh, – said I know what they've been um, – I've been hiding for too long. I'm not slipping. And, yeah, when she says shut it down, I think that's when – that's kind of like the agreement that like, okay, we have – we're really going to go – like. I think that's them agreeing on maybe the hit right there. Is that him kind of being like, okay, we've shut everything down. No communications. We're not going to help them out with Cassian. And it is, it's a different look again at these are the, these are the good guys. We, these are the good guys and they're putting hits on people or, you know, they're at the very least one of them is the other is still trying to capture him. We just, we aren't used to seeing this from the good side what they've done murders Cassian's murdered and killed people, but we, we still know that they're the good guys. It just shows you that it's not all so linear. It's not all a plus B equals C as Luthen then heads to Segra Milo and Foster. We get a really cool interaction with saw Guerrera and saw Guerrera and Luthen meet. Whoa, 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 Gino. Sakurera is from Rogue One. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) We have a Sakurera sighting. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. You asshole. Spoiler alert. And uh, they both oppose the Empire, but they're very, very different. They And and this is what the the main problem in the the Empire is right now with, with all of the people. Is that they can't you they all have a similar motivation in that they hate the empire, but they don't have unifying forces. Like Saw even mentions I'm not gonna be teaming up with you know separatist, neo-republican, the Gormans, the partisan alliance, the sectorists, the human cultists, the galaxy partitionists, the Michael Fosters, the Trevor Hayes. I'm not teaming up with the all sharks, of those. The you Jets. know, seriously, all of them. But it's um it's it's cool to see two major figures in the rebellion. Both they know each other. They they're they have shorthand. I love the way that they kind of talk with each other a little bit too. Like, hey, you did that on Aldani, huh? That was you. He's like, nah, but I know you did that, didn't you? Nah, you did it. They're trying to get each other to uh to confess that they were the one that did the uh, the heist on Aldani. But Saw Guerrero is a big name, a figure from Rogue One, and he really explains the problem right now with what's going on that they're not all going these are all people that have been enemies for a long time they're they're not going to team up it's just not going to happen that easily that quickly there's going to need to be something else and right now saw is just not there yet yeah it seems to be for saw it seems to be a lot about it's um like maybe conflicting philosophies or small differences with these groups yeah, and it, it seems like they all need someone to lead them or, you know, make Unite? a big, yeah. uh, make a big enough move. Maybe kind of like what Luthen's doing to really, uh, you know, have like a spearhead to, to rally behind. Um, so it is, it is cool to see saw uh, Guerrero again um, in this moment. I am enjoying all the little uh, rogue one, you know, uh, breadcrumbs and, and Easter eggs or not, maybe not even Easter eggs, just, 
um just the the small Nods steps that I, and references yeah. yeah um and and guys i actually i actually have to head out yeah so give us uh as we head to episode nine we we don't have too much more to uh to discuss but we have deirdre on ferrix we have bix you know not in great shape and our guy cassian i thought the the very last scene michael was kind of was again really sad and creepy just like all of the guys in the prison just going through the motions again as we end. Like, oh, just another day, another one in the books. And tomorrow's just the same thing again. Yeah, it didn't it didn't really leave us with like any hope, right? The message here is like, and I think even one of the prisoners says he's like, Hope, you know, you need to leave it behind. You're not gonna find you're not gonna have it here. Um, it's just gonna destroy you. Uh, this is your life now. And I, I don't think we mentioned these shifts, these work shifts, 12 hours. Yeah. So they're just working and then they're sucking on their water and food tubes. That's it. And that's their that's that's the their their existence. And um and it's just really rubbing it in just how evil the empire is. Michael, thank you so much, buddy. Uh we'll touch base with you again next week. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Trevor and I will finish up the last little bit of our recap here. So thanks so much, Michael. Uh have a nice rest of your week. We'll yep. talk to you thanks, again you know, soon. Talk Trevor? to you later. Bye, Trevor. Bye, Michael. We, uh, we go back to the so prison. I, I, go as, ahead. As, 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 he, as he gets off real quick. Talk more about Saw off, a little bit. You didn't get to talk about Saw. Yeah. Sure. So first off, Foster brought up the sharks and the jets. Here's a little insider information now that he's gone. He was a jet. We went to high school together, and Michael was a jet. Oh, that's cool. Okay, cool. Awesome. West Side Story. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Saw, it, it was cool to see him. Um, you know, he's not sucking the oxygen like he was in Rogue One. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of assumed that we would probably see Force Whitaker at some point, but, uh, this episode, you know, gives you two pretty massive stars, um, like Hollywood stars, not just Star Wars stars. Like you get Andy Serkis, who is a, yeah. probably a B-lister at this point, And you get Force Whitaker. Um, and, and that, that's another thing that Andor has accomplished that I don't, I don't know that another show has accomplished. And, and I mean, he, the scene with Whitaker and Luthen, you know, those are two like legitimate actors there going back and forth where you have, you know, uh, Stellan Skarsgård and Forrest Whitaker. It was really cool and powerful. It was kind of fun. They had a good chemistry back and forth. And we, we heard from the both of them and we know it won't be the last time we see the two of them connect, but saw basically said, Hey, no. Um, I'm, I don't want to meet this guy. That's really what the meeting was all about. Um, Luthen wanted to introduce Saw to a man named Krieger, who he thinks has a good plan. Anto Krieger. They could all help each other, but because they've had different uh, politics, Saw doesn't want to meet him. And kind of as simple as that. It's you know, it's like you're you're talking about uh, um, you know the. The Jets there too. This this is his, like an age old story. Families, politics, difference of opinion, and that's that's basically how as simple as it is with Saw and Luthen why they can't team up. But back at the prison, look guys, we we didn't have the budget to get Forrest Whitaker for more than one episode this season. We just had one day of filming for him, so we had to get it all in so, one. So we he can't <laughs> team up with with the guy that Luthen wants him to team up with because we we don't have the budget for it. Season two, though, I think after the reviews come back and people realize how good this show is, we'll be in better shape. 
<laughs> and uh, um, a quick cut back to the prison. One man. Now, the the prisoners start talking about how they weren't sure, but it shows. It looks like the guy commits suicide. Just fed up with everything going on, and in the middle of the night, he just sort of jumps on the floor, and it electrocutes him and and kills him. Yeah, this is this is part of the horror that we've been talking about with this place. Like the hope has literally been uh squeezed out of almost all of the uh the prisoners. And I mean, that word hope pops up all the time in Star Wars and it's got yes. such an interesting connotation just because of the very first because of episode 4 because of the very first movie. Um but it's been squeezed out of these prisoners. And this dude clearly has no hope. The prisoners are speculating about it because nobody, everybody's in their racks, everybody's asleep, or they can't see, you know, down the line, so they can't see what happened. But I mean, we, 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 as the spectators, saw it, and this dude just jumped. Um, and, and it's because this terrifying, horrifying prison, where they are just churning out, you know, part of the, they are just a machine, a cog in the machine, churning for the empire has just squeezed everything out of this guy and they it's it goes back to what the guard said or what what one of the i think kino said is you won't see them again they only bring replacements and take out the dead well yeah guys die on the line and guys die because they commit suicide because this place will get to you level five grid disruption you have 10 seconds to get to your sleeping platforms and then everybody just has to go right back to sleep um yeah, just really scary stuff here. We see at Ferrix now, even more Imperial officers have arrived and they've taken Pack. They intercepted the communications the day before that Bix was sending out. So they took Pack and now the officers chase down Bix and we actually see Bix running from them. But in the scene when we come back, they've gotten uh they've gotten Bix. So Bix, she's in police imperial custody now, ISB custody, and things are not going well on Ferrix as really the final scene with Bix before we kind of check out of the uh, the prison once, once again is Bix arriving at the hotel where all of the Empire has now set up their base of operation and Deirdre Mero is there and Deirdre is so manipulative uh, manipulative in this moment. So one officer comes up to tell Deirdre that they have Bix and Bix is on her way up. And in the room in front of Deirdre, she has just tortured Pac, who is a, a friend of Bix. And she tells the officer, leave him in the room. I want her to see him. Referring to Bix, I want Bix to see this man that I just tortured her friend when she walks up. Then when Bix gets into the room, Deirdre tries to act like this wasn't supposed to happen. Hey, why is he still in here? That's not supposed to get him out of here. Don't let we. I, it was just, it was like, what a bitch. That was what I kept thinking right when I was when I was watching this. Yeah, yeah. She is, she is a manipulator and she is a player and like. What's one way to rattle the person you're about to try to extract information for? Show them the person that you just tortured. And, like, that probably wouldn't have effect on somebody like Cassian because he's cold-blooded and he's killed people. But 
Bix is a normal person, you know, as, as you know, she might be dealing a little bit on the black market type of thing, but for the most part, she's just a normal person trying to get through life. That's going to rattle the crap out of her. And, uh, you know, she's going to be a lot more forthcoming when she's threatened with torture, I'm sure. Because, you know, and, and so it's a masterful move by, by Miro. And it's, it just shows the um, ambitiousness that she has and the aggression she has to trying to be of service to the Empire. The one thing that was really sad as we went back to the uh, the prison. Well, so the last thing we see of Bix is her getting placed in the torture chair. She sits down in the torture chair as Deirdre says, hello, Bix. And uh, the final scene is at the prison back at the, uh, the Narkina 5 prison. Cassian and Table 5 are working like normal, just another day. What was really sad is at one point, you could see when they were in like their cell areas a little earlier, you could see that the old man who was starting to, to struggle and starting to slow down, he he had like 75 listed for his days left. And that was, I think, before the month the extra 30 days and think about that. That's even after being doubled. So this poor guy was probably just about out when they, when the new order came in, they doubled his sentence and now he's slowing down to the point where like something's going to happen to this poor guy. We know it. And it's all because he couldn't get out really because of Cassian. Well, you and Foster talked earlier about, you know, Cassian doesn't, doesn't make, you know, light of the fact that he was involved with O'Donnell and he doesn't say anything about the P.O.R.D. And like part of it is because he's obviously he doesn't want to tell them that he was responsible for it because, you know, he could get shanked or he could get I'm sure somebody mm-hmm. would turn him in and they're going to get time off their sentence. And, you know, the other part of it is, like you guys had said, he's he's playing everything close to the vest. He's scoping out the angles. Um, and, and we see him do this throughout the episode. He's giving the side looks when he's in the guard shack and he's, you know, the very first night, I think he's sitting like right at the edge, looking down the line. Um, when they turn the, the, uh, floor on and the lights all go red, but this end scene, you know, he is just working away like everybody else. It's almost like, you know, we know because we know where the show's going to go that he hasn't been but he's got the front and the facade that he's been broken and just accepted his fate. Absolutely. Uh, he looks and, like he's and, just another, you, another pawn, another piece. Yep. It's, it's, it's sad. It's scary at the same time. And they've done such a great job with this show because like most of this episode was a couple of guys in like a month at a prison. Nobody breaks out. Nothing crazy happens at the prison. And we don't see much of anything happening. Otherwise, we just see the reactions to what happened a couple episodes on El Doni, and that's such great writing and such great storytelling that they're building up. So now, Trevor, like anytime something important happens to Marva or to Bix or to one of them, we just care more about it because we've spent a little bit more time with these characters. And I'm I'm loving this show and I'm loving getting the chance to talk about it with you and Michael here each and every week. Give us some of your uh, your final uh, thoughts and, and put a bow on episode eight for us. I mean, like you said, it, it has been an exceptional show. The writing has been exceptional. The story building has been so good. 
and you care so much about these characters. You're so invested in what's happening. Um, it, it's just been really, really great to delve into and, you know, doing this, obviously this is Foster and I's first time doing this with you. And we both, I think have really enjoyed it because we're thinking about things differently and we're really diving in and, and gaining an even better appreciation for what this thing is doing. Um, and it, it's such a fun show to do it with because it has been so well mapped out. You know, my wife and I were talking a little bit last night about um, like the Kevin Feige-ness of Marvel and how, you know, everything, there's little tidbits that you can go back and nitpick. Oh, like, oh, in Iron Man 2, they did this and then that didn't happen or that changed or whatever, or they mentioned it and it was wrong. Um, but like, and, and Star Wars didn't seem to have that with the new trilogy, but this show and, and the showrunners for this show, you know, it set piece after set piece, piece after piece just is lining up and knocking down. And you're so invested and care so much about these people and what's going on. And it feels so real because it's on, there's, we, we haven't seen a single lightsaber. We've no. seen maybe five stormtroopers. No reference like, to a Luke Skywalker or to a Skywalker. Nothing, nothing along those lines at all. And that makes it feel so much re more real and so much closer to home. And, you know, hearkening back to what I said earlier about, do you want to live in Star Wars? If this is Star Wars and this 100% is Star Wars, no, you don't no. want to live in this place. No. This, like this is even, even for like the people around Mon Mothma, all those people are miserable. Like they might have money, but none of them are happy. No, like none. This, this and and it is it is it just makes it feel so much more real because it's so, you know, there's no lightsabers. There's not a lot of gun. There's not been a lot of blasters. There's not a lot of stormtroopers walking around. You're seeing the faces of all the people that are involved, and it makes it so much more real, so much more human, so much more down to earth, and you can connect with it on a much more visceral level. And that's, that's to me has been the amazing thing about this show and why I've been sucked into it so hard because, you know, I really liked Rogue One. I really enjoyed it. Andor, you know, was, was obviously one of the best pieces of Rogue, Rogue One, uh, Jen Erso, that whole crew, their whole crew was fantastic. And this just gets you the ability to live with them and understand them and, you know, roll around in their story that much more. Man, I, I, can't wait to watch rogue one to like after this show you're gonna like we're gonna like it even 10 times more just feeling like we know what came before it fantastic work on and or so far trevor thank you so much and a big thank you to michael for helping out each and every week it's always one of the favorite parts of my week uh the hour hour and a half or so we spend diving into it you guys always find things that i may not have found there's always a a couple things that you hit or predict that i yeah, you know what? Now, now that now the wheels start spinning in my head that way. It's I like doing this, and it's always gotten great responses with the people listening and the the viewer numbers and stuff. Because this is just what people do. All everybody sits down with their friends and talks it out, whether it be a TV show or a sports team that you're a fan of. And yeah, we we've had a, an opportunity to do it now for a, a really good show so far with Andor. We should do a Rogue One rewatch when Andor ends. I think that's a good call. Do one of these. And and come Absolutely. On and do one of these because, like, we can have our andor wrap up, you know, conversation like you and I and Foster did with Kenobi. But I think we should do a rewatch sometime in December after this show's over. Absolutely agree. I think that's a great call. We've, I've done episode one, two, and three 
in the rewatches, and I had planned to always get all the Star Wars movies, so that'll be perfect to fit right after we're done with uh, with Andor season one. We'll put a bow on it, and we'll check out Rogue One. Trevor, buddy, I know you're traveling, and I know you're busy with everything going on. Thank you so much for uh, for taking some time out and uh, and hanging out with us. And a big thank you to Michael. Also, love to have you back each and every week that you guys are available. It's always a blast, and uh, yeah, look forward to talking more Andor with you again soon, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for bearing with me on my travel schedule. Oh, no problem. That's Trevor Hayes helping us out. Michael Foster helping us out each and every week. We'll be here again next week to talk more about Andor episode nine. Now don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Hey, big thanks to Trevor and to Michael for helping us out. Let's move from one world to the next, the world of Star Wars to the MCU, She-Hulk finale of series of the series season one i guess we could have a season two we've teased that a little bit so far just a a season one finale tim kelly joins me spoiler alert we get into everything scene by scene it's the deep dive she hulk another marvel mcu series in the books tim kelly joins me to recap review positives negatives and where do we head next we finish up Episode 9 of She-Hulk, which is the finale of Season 1. It's taken us a couple weeks just to reflect on everything that we saw in this episode. It was just so unique. It was different than anything we've seen before. Tim Kelly joins us. So, TK, let's just dive right into it. What did you think of this episode? Fourth wall breaking, completely different than anything we've seen before. Um, What was your take on it? Well, I really appreciated the big swing that they took with this. Uh, I love the boldness of this episode and what they, where they decided to go with it. Um, was it all that satisfying in retrospect? I, I'm not so sure it, it was, but I got to say during the episode, this one had a lot more laughs uh, than I was expecting from you know the previous episodes. Uh, so way more laughs per minute, a lot more fun. And I just, I, I, I had fun during this episode. I think that's what yeah. it really came down to. It brought it home pretty strong for me. I still feel a little bit mixed about the whole series, and I'm not sure how I feel about how the logic of this, you know, affects the greater MCU as a whole. Does it break the, the logic of it all, or can we just keep this relegated to to a corner of the MCU and kind of have its own logic? I'm still not so sure. I'm still kind of parsing all that and trying to assimilate to this this new normal in the MCU. But uh, it's it's something that is interesting to say the least i gotta say it, it it's going to spark conversation and debate for a long time yeah and i think it's it's one of the conversations we have to have now at this point about a lot of these mcu movie shows and content as a standalone mm-hmm. and then moving forward as a standalone episode yeah i agree with you like this was it was fun it was unique in even if i didn't agree with every single thing i love that they didn't play it safe. They mm-hmm. didn't take a, a, a like a lazy approach, and they really, really got creative and did something. The uh, Ryan Airy, who does Screen Crush, uh, one of the big recap shows on YouTube that you know breaks down everything, he said the finale was original, true to the comics, and teased upcoming MCU projects. Which I guess yeah. if you're checking off the boxes, yeah. right? It did what what you would would want, and I thought I thought I really agreed. And it also felt like because they were going to lean into it, the CGI even looked a little bit better in this episode. I didn't 
complain right. too much about it throughout, but it was uh, it was almost like they saved some of the strongest parts for the uh, for the end here. So, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun with this, and I thought, yeah, what they've continued to do well is Jen is She Hulk. I thought she did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, Tatiana Maslany did, did fantastic. Like she's great, and. Really? I'm super interested in her and Matt Murdock and where we're going with them together, like instantly yeah. in just a, a like an episode and a half, like a, a little of being on screen together. I think they have great chemistry, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm very much looking forward to uh, to Daredevil in the MCU. It was it was fun seeing Daredevil like sitting in the background in the backyard with She Hulk, and then Bruce Banner yes. walks in. It's like oh, Dare Hulk, Dare yeah. Dare Hulk, <laughs> Daredevil, and and Bruce are right there. It was. Just kind of cool where we are, and um, I, yeah. you know, I don't know if everything was perfect to get to where we are now, but I feel mm-hmm. pretty good about where we are moving forward with She-Hulk. Yeah, um, retrospectively, I I think this this show is a little bit better than I gave credit to week for week. Uh, but that said, I think still a lot of the criticisms that we had uh, were valid and actually remain you know through the last episode i think this would have been a better binge show this would have been a better show to watch all at once if you had the whole time we said that from the very beginning we said that and i feel very strongly that uh that that's the case like if i watched you know three episodes at a clip i think i would have had much uh, a much better time with this series and i would have thought it was better overall um that said i still have some some complaints i feel like the characters uh for the most part were treated like caricatures. They weren't very, um, you know, three dimensional. They were kind of reduced to jokes. There was uh, a tone, and there was a tone, was, like tonally. Yeah. I know what you mean. It, and I, I wonder if it had so much to do. Like, it moved at a quick pace. The, you know, mm-hmm. like not, not a whole yeah. like from scene to scene. Stuff didn't really breathe all that much. You right. know, and and I wonder if that, like, you you kind of feel it. Because when there is like a moment that feels like it's kind of big and emotional, it doesn't really linger, which I think sometimes mm-hmm. you need. Because when those moments yeah. linger, you kind of you feel them more. And in retrospect, yeah. and, and and it's a totally different show, so it's not really fair for me to do this. But mm-hmm. I won't spoil anything for anyone who's not watched. But we're also I'm also recapping Andor right now on mm-hmm. on this show. And if you if you have watched that show. It is the total opposite in the the point I'm taking in that everything is so like built up and the characters are so built and it's such such a slow build. But the writing is so well done that you don't even really feel like when an entire episode, not much really happens. It's just like a lot of talking. Mm. You know, there's all these episodes where they're like setting up the next episode, but you don't really feel like. Like you wasted a half an hour, or like not much happened. Right here, there were times where I don't want to say waste, but it just felt like there was a lot of fluff in between to get us mm-hmm. to some of the bigger moments. Which, you know, I think, I think they'll they're still figuring out what to do with the the way they release shows. Right? I mean, this is still pretty yeah. new for for Marvel compared to movies. They've had a little bit more experience with that. Just. Not even show number ten, I guess, right? When you think about it, I think right. we, we've done like seven or eight of them. So maybe they'll get the the idea that not every show has to have the same exact format or template. And I guess they started mm-hmm. to with this when they gave it a couple more episodes than some of the others that had been like six episode runs. So mm-hmm. um, 
it was I couldn't believe where we were though for a moment. I think like a few of the the recaps I was watching, I did the same thing. I was like, what the hell happened? When when they go to the Disney <laughs> Plus scene, when she jumps yeah. out of her screen and the Disney Plus menu screen pops up, I was like, is there a glitch? What it, what <laughs> did, I, did I do something wrong? Like I was looking at my internet connection. Like did it boot me yeah. off the show? What happened? I in in that sense I don't think we'll ever forget this episode of She-Hulk. No, no. Her. And so if they want, you know, what, what we've talked about with a lot of these shows at the end is looking back, will there be anything from this show that kind of stands out to us as like as a big piece of the MCU or something we remember? They definitely accomplished that with this show. Yeah, yeah. They definitely built towards other things outside of the show. I mean, just bringing uh, – Hulk's son, Scar, at the end. That was mm-hmm. kind of tacked on. Uh, but that's going to obviously have some ramifications for his character moving forward and and, and maybe a, a Planet Hulk movie. Or I don't know if that this actually uh, squashes those plans because it kind of skipped over the whole story of Planet Hulk, Planet Hulk now. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of building uh, towards new things. They even mentioned, like, you know, Wakanda Forever and, and a little... Uh, uh, we, you don't it, want to say it like Todd. Ways. I figured you'd <laughs> say that? it like Todd. Wakanda forever. I thought you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I meant when um, they mentioned that the animators had moved on to the next project, and you could hear the the Wakanda the forever, like the, the, the drums from it. Yeah, a little bit of a, a nod there to that was funny. the the ever moving uh, MCU train. That's just it, it's not going to stop. It's got the momentum, and it's 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 got a a place to go. So. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know how how it all fits together though. Does this break the the logic of the MCU? Like, I know what is Kevin here, and and uh, I also think that the 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 tone of it. You mentioned the tone earlier, but this felt a lot like like a, a theme park. It reminded me of like a theme park attraction, like when you're waiting in line and uh, the characters are popping up on like. Uh, uh, you know, a video screen or something like that to keep you busy while you're in line. It was reminding me of that. Where I've recently seen the uh, the cruises, the Disney cruises with okay, the Marvel sure. content. Sure. It kind of reminded me of that, a little bit gimmicky. Uh, and on first viewing, I was really excited by it. I watched it back, and it felt a little bit cheaper to me on the, on the second view. I just I couldn't get past some of the the shallow ideas. I think that uh, that they. They, where they had good concepts, they had good premises a lot of times for whether it be jokes or this fourth wall break. But I feel like they didn't really get to an interesting or original place with a lot of them. They didn't take it far enough to make it real or, or weave it into the story in a way that really felt satisfying to the viewer. Uh, and that was where I thought it was a little bit disappointing. Did it have a lot of laughs? Yeah, uh, I got excited about mentioning X-Men. Uh, the whole Kevin premise I thought was really funny uh, and clever, but I just don't know how it how I feel about it, like accepting that as the reality of like the the MCU in general. And, and, and um, that's what's I, hard, right? And that's what's hard yeah. about this is that we're we're obviously here to suspend our disbelief and stuff, but right. we like how far does this go? I mean, what can Jen <laughs> do? Can Jen really, you know, can she break the fourth wall? for anyone in any property with anything going on, then we, and, and in a cool way, this felt very Deadpool, this episode, 
right? This mm-hmm. felt like a very Deadpool sort of episode, which they're probably leaning into because Deadpool yeah. is coming. Um, and that raises just, the question too: Does Deadpool talk to Kevin, or is it a different thing? Like, I, I'm wondering does Deadpool how that's going to work. And Jen, do they break the fourth wall together? You know, right, like right. what would that? What would they be still talking to each other? Would they still understand each other? So many questions to ask as we dive <laughs> into She Hulk, the finale, episode nine. Whose show is this? And <laughs> we didn't know whose show it was when it opens up. TK because we don't get the previously on Instead of a previously on We get this Twilight Zone Sort of WandaVision feel Of an intro where They use the 1978 Classic Hulk TV Mm -hmm. show The opening theme And it's even in Standard definition And there's Mm -hmm. a narrator basically Narrating some of the events that have happened And this takes the place of the previously on and it's so well done and it's there's so much attention to detail it looks like a split screen of the open some of the clips from the 1978 show this was really cool and i couldn't help but keep writing down like twilight zone and wow i just get i kept getting these wandavision feels of how (laughs) right you're in this world but you're watching something that's like so old it it looked so old and so grainy yeah. and the quality i just i thought this was really cool to it's start perfect yeah yeah i really really enjoyed uh the the fun intro here i mean it was spot on for recreating that style of intro that you know the old hulk and the million dollar man uh or six million dollar man series which is a great nod to the origins of, of she hulk we might have mentioned this early on but um she hulk was created in the comics to protect that ip because they thought that the producer of um six million dollar man how after having created bionic woman a female spinoff of six million dollar man they thought they would do the same thing to hulk because they were also producing that hulk series those were all made by the same company so uh marvel uh was like uh we got to protect our ip here so they rushed she hulk into production you know in the print form in order to make sure that they owned the rights to she hulk and that the tv producers wouldn't get that so i thought that was a really clever um mm. little nod to the origins of of, of she hulk entirely and uh and it was so well done that uh like how can you not just smile when you watch that the title of the show the savage she hulk yeah and jen wakes up in jail she's actually in the same cell that blonsky was in before and mallory and nikki and pug they come to visit her and they come to talk about getting her out. So we actually see that all of this looked like it was a dream. It looked like Jen might have been dreaming this up while she was in jail. And you know, Jen's still worried about getting back at the intelligentsia guys who you know who ruined the the ceremony that she was at, who made her you know really upset, who hacked her phone, who slut shamed her. Her friends are trying to remind her, hey, look, we got we got other things to worry about right now because the way yeah. you reacted is really the key. And this this goes back to what Bruce told her in episode one. Mm-hmm. Once you have a moment where people see you as a monster, they're always going to see you as a monster. That's what Mallory tells her. You're yeah. not just anyone. You are an out of control Hulk. That's what all the witnesses saw. Mm-hmm. We have to offer for uh, we have an offer for a plea deal. Uh, DA won't file charges related to the incident, but Jen has to wear an inhibitor. 
So those were the terms, very similar to the terms that she negotiated for Blonsky in order for her to get released. She cannot become She-Hulk anymore. Yeah, it's uh, enough. She's right in the, the position that Blonsky was in. So she'll find herself later in this episode really I- identifying w- with him and wanting to to uh, confer with him and see what's up because he's the only person that uh, would know what she's going through right now. Maybe and besides her, her cousin. But she's on planet. Kind of full circle here because, you know, yeah. she didn't want to be She-Hulk at the beginning. She always wanted to be just Jen. And now when she can't be She-Hulk, <laughs> right. she kind of wants to be She-Hulk too. So yeah. um, just it's just human nature right here, right? We, we always want what we can't have and what we can't, yeah. you know. And and we see this. And she's with really Jen. got something to smash now too. I mean, after, she after does. what just happened. She I does. Mean, that, she, and, she's never and, wanted to I smash mean, something so hard in her life. Are we talking Matt Murdock or just like in general everything? Because she's a little column A, little column B. She, but I'm, she's got a couple things she can smash here. As Jen is released from jail, her parents come to pick her up from prison, and we see this really sad montage of Jen, like her whole life, kind of spiraling. You know, she doesn't have a job anymore, so she has to go to the office and clean up her desk. Nikki and Pug are there with her, helping her clean everything up, and. She loses her job. She loses her home. She doesn't have a job and no need to pay for her her place anymore. So she has to move back in with her parents. And she's basically being stalked by these reporters everywhere. Yeah. Paparazzi, uh, the female cousin of the Hulk, po- uh, popularly known as She-Hulk, has been released from custody. And all of the reports are just so, like, denigrating to her. Like, everything yeah. is just so, like, the cousin, the female cousin of the Hulk. Right. You know, like this little little jabs in all of them. Terms of the deal permanently uh, barred by Jennifer Walters from transforming into She-Hulk. A neighbor who wished to remain anonymous is uncomfortable that an unstable super being lives next door. And now, just like in Spider-Man, we see all of them outside of her house. They yeah. like they're all you know coming at her. They're outside of her parents' house when she shows up at her dad and her mom and dad's. <laughs> her dad like sprays them with the hose. Back up. That That was pretty funny. He's like, I don't care if it's a drought. (laughs) And this, I mean, this feels very much like when someone has to move back home after they break up with, you know, after they get divorced or they're in like a long-term relationship or maybe the little time right after college where someone doesn't have a job, you know, planned Mm -hmm. out because she's sitting down with her parents and her mom says, oh, you know, you can move back in with us, but my gym stuff is in your room now. I work out every day at seven, so you can join me. Workout buddies. This will be fun. <laughs> Jen's like, oh no, this this is not happening. <laughs> but um, we I mean, we even see like when I, I remember that's what I did. I did enjoy this aspect. Like, you know, so Jen's living back with her family, and when you're living at home, and your friends have to come over to your house with your parents, you know, and your parents are like. Just a little annoying and a little over the top. Her mom is like giving Nikki a bunch of snacks, showing Nikki old childhood pictures and photos of Jen. Just really laid it on thick. This felt yeah. this felt very mom, you know, just like something oh, a mom yeah. would would do at it. My mom's done this before. Yes, yes, I, I love mom and dad in this. And shout out, uh, I believe his name's Marklin Baker, the actor. I love love the dad uh, with that the the hose scene. Uh, he he stole that moment. Uh, but yeah, the parents are are played so well. The casting is perfect in, in this show. I really do the, uh, 
feel strongly that the MCU, Marvel in general, has had just a, a near perfect track record with casting. And that's very true for this show. It's 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 a shame that some of the characters got treated in a caricature kind of way. But and the they're family, lucky they're the lucky well. that they have such a great cast in that because yeah. Yeah. those people make lemon like lemonade out of you know they yeah. they make some chicken salad sometimes out of some chicken shit like honestly right, right. like and so yeah they mine wonder the humanity they, out of it yeah sure. you wonder if they didn't have cast it as well sometimes if oh, if the right you know what i mean if if stuff wouldn't be jumping off the page uh as well yeah. but mm-hmm. it's a tough moment now for jen you know she's she's back in her childhood room Posters all over. This was such a '90s looking room too. I really, I loved the the look of this. So she's got, yeah. she's got the posters up of, um, Aaron Brockovich. She's got the legally blonde poster. She graduated yes. from UCLA, and she's got a Backstreet Boys uh poster in there too. Also, a Midsummer Night's Dream, which is a play that's like a play about a play, and it's a very meta. Mm, um right. so it, it it's really very um like the tone of that is is very similar to uh to this show and mm-hmm. and then we see Jen down in the living room this is Pepe Silvia right here she's got her conspiracy board this is Charlie Day right here from uh it's always sunny uh-huh. she she's got the uh she's like a detective right. she's got her her little post-its all over a board and she's trying to figure out you know who is a part of intelligentsia um, what to do, and and Nikki is there helping her, and you know, mom's bringing them snacks, and mom shows Nikki an old video of Jen twerking and and dancing around. <laughs> but, but I love poor that Jen, little, little shot there. Yeah, poor um, poor Jen is just like she's struggling right now. I, they don't know much. They know that Hulk King is admin, but the site is really airtight on security. Um. Jen tells us that it's owned by several shell companies that are outside of U.S. jurisdiction, so she can't sue them. And her and Nikki, they're trying to find their way in. Like, hey, this is a group of a bunch of dumb dudes. They're, they got to <laughs> slip up somewhere, right? We got we have to be able to outsmart these guys. Yeah, Nikki's got the right idea, too. <laughs> I, lo- I love the plan to send that that video you know she just goes (laughs) it's perfect it it works instantly (laughs) and it's a great video we get to see it twice um i i want to see the unedited version of it it seems like a really funny video i hope can we get a zemo can we get a zemo cut of this right right (laughs) just 30 just went 30 minutes of tatiana dancing you know just unedited Post credit for one of the episodes just throw that on there just yeah that really would have been like a second one Right, the yeah, second, yeah, like yeah. the very end one after Blonsky, where you just got a me, uh, where you just got Jen dancing. Um, now, I I thought that the the interactions with Nikki and Jen's mom were so funny here, where mm. you know, like you just hear Nikki tell her mom, "No, but just a sparkling water, a turkey sandwich, chips and guacs, and I want to see those baby pictures, Elaine. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love Elaine, <laughs> and she just keeps going. <laughs> it was pretty funny, and uh, she. Um, Jen's mom tells Nikki, I'm packing up treats for you to take home with you. And Nikki says, including black and white cookies. Yeah. Okay. She just, all the little tidbits from Nikki are, are really funny yeah. here. Um, and, uh, Jen's mom is going to show Nikki a video and she says, it's my mission in life to see this. 
I just love the way like she she worded and she said things. I thought it was yeah. it was very very funny here. Is Jen is now sad. She's you know she's at a very low point, and to make it even worse, Nikki shows her a clip of Dennis Bukowski, her old coworker, oh, and he's he's like he's on some news site. He probably got a quick little payday to lie about She Hulk. And he's telling someone, oh, yeah, that's correct. We worked together at the DA. We dated for a significant amount of time. And let me tell you, she was psycho way before she got those superpowers. I blame her grandmother. It was it was so bad. It was so bad. Um, but uh, she's she's at her lowest point. She's sitting in her room, her childhood room at her parents' house. Her mom asks her to help her with a chore. And she can't even do that because she can't even transform back into She-Hulk without going back to jail. She's at a yeah. very, very low point right now. And she breaks the fourth wall to kind of look at us and ask, is this what you guys want? <laughs> like, I'm I'm constantly getting screwed over. This isn't even a reluctant superhero story. It doesn't feel right. But as, as she looks at us, a narrator starts to speak. Jennifer Walton <laughs> is a woman at a new low. She has no fight left, and she just shoots that down. No, no, we're not doing a narrator here. We're not. Off, we're not that off the rails. As <laughs> so, right she, here though, I, I feel like this is an important, like foreshadowing kind of turning point. Yes, hundred uh, percent fourth wall stuff because it, this is where we start to get an idea. I think that she not only can break the fourth wall, but like she's kind of in control. She can of, control of story, it in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's not in, she's 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 along for the ride, but she's realizing at this point or starting to realize, I think, that she has a say in in this story Um, or at least at this point is when she's starting to question, is this the right story? And that's going to like, you know, put her on the path towards actually, you know, upending the story entirely. So it's a very interesting, like, pivot that they're taking right here, because from here on, almost the story plot wise becomes about her rewriting her own story you're right um, it, and not just about like playing out the, you know what's been happening so far right. in the series and that's what's difficult about the episode right and that's what you were, yeah. were kind of hinting on is that did they do something very creative very mm-hmm. unique something that we will be talking about and something that was fun overall yes mm-hmm. but it it would have been different if that would have been like in a in a one like if we were watching the werewolf by night like a one shot thing that had that Mm -hmm. but it was kind of weird for that to be at the end of a nine episode series you know like almost like you've built up through eight episodes and a couple things at the end like the i's got dotted and the t's got crossed but for the most part it was really more about the ending and like right the the meta-ness of it (laughs) you know really um so that's like it was, I, I appreciate for what it what it tried, but like you said, I, I mm-hmm. it'll be so hard to reflect on this show without seeing where we go next and without seeing like yeah. what's impacted by this. Yeah, know, moving and forward. So one one thing I please. like don't like about it is just that it's it's almost t- it's almost deciding at this point that like oh yeah you know what though this show isn't good let's just not I know, do tra- that. You remember when like, Domino's been watching this whole time? <laughs> remember when Domino's did that recently? Where they were like, which they're like, hey, remember our yes, pizza sucked? Pizza. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're like, hey, you know, our pizza sucked for a couple years, but now it's better. 
It was like, well, if you yeah. knew it sucked, how do we know that you know it's better now? You know, like, I, why am I trying? Why do I trust <laughs> right. you? Like, if you're telling me it sucked and you knew it sucked, it sort of feels like this, where I think it's funny that they leaned into making fun of themselves. I appreciate that. I mean, you have, like, you don't want to be, take yourself so seriously that you can't laugh at yourself a little bit, right? But yeah. you're right. It's kind of like, oh, so you gave us eight episodes that you know were. I don't know. Did you set us up with sort of crappy TV? Like a perfect, it wasn't like it was crappy. You did it on purpose. I know it it almost felt like they were telling us like, gotcha, you know? Right. And, uh, and it's like, but, but we're going to do something really cool. So maybe you won't be that upset. And then we'll give you a little more daredevil at the end. So we'll get you smiling with some Matt Murdock as, uh, Jen's mom sends that video to Nikki. So Nikki has a video of, or of Jen, I mean, it's a totally innocent video of her in college, just like yeah. in her dorm room with one of her friends. And they're they're in like their pajamas. It's not even like she's wearing anything scandalous. She's not, no, not at all. At like it doesn't even look like she's like drunk at a party or anything. She literally looks like she's in like a pillow fight kind of situation with a few of her friends that are dancing and twerking and having fun. And it reminded me of AOC. It's exactly what it uh, is. It has to be. I a, think it was a, a nod to that because I think that she had some kind of video from college come out and people were trying to so hard for it. Innocent that if you and saw it, was it yeah. and people were it, making it was actually like, people like her. <laughs> I know. And and the people that don't like her use it as like, oh my gosh, look at look at how unperfect. She's a college. She was in college dancing around. She didn't even do yeah. anything. She's literally dancing. If if you think that is bad, I am glad that I didn't have that much social media when I was around. Right, right. <laughs> the things that could have been out about me and probably one or two about you, T. Ah, uh, I take the fifth. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we continue on, and Nikki now is on the intelligentsia site, and she's I like Nikki. She's pretty smart. You know, she's she kind of plays dumb a little bit, but. She's very perceptive, and Nikki knows that if she posts this video, it'll get a bunch of hits because these bros just love hating on She-Hulk. So yeah. she posts the video, and immediately she's able to bait these guys, and they invite her to uh, a big event, uh, a private intelligentsia event, which, of course, she has to think about because she's a girl. She can't go to this event mm-hmm. as herself. She has to get a guy to go. So, of course, yeah. Pug. I need a favor, Pug. Pug. Pug who is, I wanted more Pug because he's cool, man. I, I, he's he feels, such a token in this. He's yeah. a token bro. He's their token bro for the show. And it, 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 fair enough. Like, I, I get it. Tokenism happens uh, the other way a lot a lot more so than, than against a, a straight white male. So that's, so that's right. what they're doing here. Because he just uh, doesn't it, feel, like, lived in enough. Because the little mo like, when you see him, it's like, oh, this is a pretty genuine, nice guy. Like when he's around, you kind of smile. Like you, you feel yeah. like he's he's at, he has a comforting presence. But he does. It's just not enough. Like For, he said, he yeah. he felt very like window dressing. To me, he was like the writers were like, all right, we need to have one dude uh, that isn't a total asshole. We just need to have one dude that, that that's there. Yeah. That, like, so we can right. say that we didn't we didn't paint all dudes with it. With this uh, whatever brush, this bad brush, but even still, he's very much like this empty vessel, kind of like very shallow puppet of a guy. Like that—that's how they like he—he he has no autonomy um, when he's even helping out here. Like he has to have the headpiece in and be told to say everything. He can't just like on the fly, like you know, 
bullshit with these guys. Like that's how dumb they treat this guy. Like I know. all men I know, are and then I know that's what like complete idiots he's not, or, or just awful. Come on, I and mean, that's the thing. Like I can understand being being nice for being a nice person. So initially, him mm-hmm. not wanting to go in there and stuff. But like you're in there. Come on, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you yeah. know you you know how you have yeah. to ask. Like you're yeah. not that. Isn't just, he a lawyer? Doesn't he work at a law firm overall? Successfully? Like that, and that's the thing, right? For and I guess this is something that happens. And except I've said I'm watching Ali McBeal right now, and mm-hmm. it's a good show. Like it's funny. I I love having like a background show to throw on. But I guess they do do the same thing in that like some of these lawyers are made out to be like you're a lawyer, really? <laughs> right, right. Like, and so I guess it's not just to this show. You know, it's something that you kind of have to do in any show. But you know, it's just. Like Dennis Bukowski is a lawyer, you know, yeah. and and like right. Pug, you know, Pug is a lawyer. We saw him in a court case actually have like a smart way of going. He can't even yeah. go into this room and pretend for a few minutes to, <laughs> right. like, to understand the situation and what he has to do. Like he's not perceptive enough to just get it. I, yeah, I, he has yeah. to literally be fed every single line word for word by – by his uh, you know friend that female friend you know like and when, come on and she's so nervous about it that when they get cut off yeah. she's she has to be like oh no trust him he can't do this yeah. on his own <laughs> like, yeah. she knows that he can't uh, it, it, it's kind of ridiculous like, it is a little too much know. it is a little too we've much we've seen this like uh just not, not to broaden the, the commentary a little bit but i i mean i've seen this uh, since i was a little kid like at sitcoms like the father on a sitcom is always just like irredeemably dumb and just hapless and whatever. Like that became just like such a trope. I think it became like embedded into our society and people really started to believe that just, I don't know, like I know. men are, are incapable of doing anything anymore. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a, 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 um, a function of that we're a lot less handy, uh, handy around the house and stuff these days than, than maybe we were uh, generations past. So we seem a little bit more useless by, by comparison, but man, it's a, it's a bummer. Like seeing that stuff. Like, uh, I definitely see a little bit of a sea change or like a, a change in the way people are, are, um, I don't know, treating men, I guess not to get all whatever. No, ma'am or anything. No, like cause it, and we're not even saying from like a, like I, it, I don't mind I, the, when you're going to have that approach, I'll laugh at it if it's funny. It just right. has to be funny, right? Like it just has to be funnier and not like like what they're saying at the end, not just like a lazy trope, not just yeah. something and that you lean I, into. And that yeah. it it did feel sort of like like you're right. Okay, hey, we have to have this. Let's just okay. Now that that's there, we have this guy. So now we can check that off. You know, yeah. pug. We have a a pug character, but Nikki doesn't know what to do. She. She tries to text Bruce, but Bruce is off the planet. And then she tries to text Blonsky, but remember, the retreat doesn't have a whole lot of service there. So she she just decides to go up there because he offered that anytime she needs, she can go. And keep in mind, they actually made her feel a lot better after the whole Josh situation. Mm-hmm. Just kind of sitting down with the group, talking it out, talking with Blonsky. Yeah. And she knows that he's actually been through the same exact thing that she's going through right now. Exactly. He can't yeah. be – Abomination so he may Understand some of the feelings that she has So Jen gets in the car She arrives up at Blonsky's at the Retreat the wrecker is there He helps get her set up Uh, they give her a Room and Looks like she's there just trying to You know trying to figure out 
her life now. We see Pug and Nikki arrive at the meeting, and we don't realize for a few moments that they're at the same place. The yeah. meeting for these bros for the intelligentsia is actually at Blonsky's retreat ranch because Blonsky, as Abomination, is being hired as a guest speaker for this group as kind of a life coach. So yeah. it they do some they do give you some clues to this because as Pug goes into the the barn for the mm-hmm. meeting of the intelligentsia, he's in there with all the bros and the meeting hasn't quite started yet, so they're all talking to each other. There's no they're having reception problems between right. Nikki and Pug. And so we yep. kind of start to put two and two together. We remember that there wasn't yeah. reception at the ranch. So now we can kind of think that they may have been, you know, at the same place. In, yep. In, I uh, the same thing. And you we, can kind of see too, you could recognize the the venue too. It was it was mm-hmm. rung a bell enough. Like I could I could tell, like, oh, this I had that thought early. And then the right away I was like, what? They just nailed it. Uh-huh. I yeah, saw, yeah. It, they, this it was well done to where it doesn't slap you over the face with it, right? Yeah. To, for them to be subtle with it, for you to realize, oh, You're they're right. at the same place. Um, I, it, I, I did enjoy that because the reception was a big aspect of like an earlier episode in in a way, it, not a big aspect, but it was just one part. But it was it was at the forefront. You know, she was going around the whole property trying to find a signal until she landed in that one spot. Uh, and it, it was, that was kind of memorable. It wasn't like the most important thing that happened in that episode, but it was this like subtle detail that like is a perfect callback in this moment. So Pug goes to the uh, event. He has to act like a total bro, but he's such a nice dude. You know, he can barely pull this off. Yeah. And then that's and that's where like I did like some of the things that he said. There were a few yeah. moments that were kind of funny when he's talking with Nikki and and she. Uh, she tells him, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to be on the phone with you, and you got to go in and blend with these trolls. And and so she gives him the earpiece, and he's like, isn't this going to look weird that I'm the, like I'm <laughs> yeah. walking around with an ear buddy? <laughs> She's like, no, trust me, you won't be the only one. Yeah, I laughed out loud at that. Me too. I was like, oh, yeah, these are the types yeah. of guys that, hello, yeah, go for Gino. You know, go for Gino. Yeah. You know, and just, as uh, Pug walks in, he hears, you know, all the guys talking. And um, uh, the guys in the, the you hear the guy. Why does there even need to be a She Hulk? It's not like there's a He Hulk. What? <laughs> what? And and Lady Thor, she just sucks. Okay, and I'm not even <laughs> saying that because she's a female. I would have the same criticism if she was a man. You know, too many emotions. And, and then Pugs just sort of sitting I there. Know. I it's, it's there's too far. Like it's too much because. <laughs> These are like a little too stupid <laughs> with with some of them. Um, yeah, and it, I feel like they're they're trying to like really own the the fans, like the, the more critical fans in that moment, they, and the writers that really think that they got one there. But it's just so like surface level, and to me, that's not not really in what, line with the actual criticism of the show. There's legitimate when, criticism of the show that extend beyond that, and it's kind of a. And then you, what you uh, also do is kind of like what you were saying. You give a little more power to it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny when you address it once or twice, but like if you build yeah. a whole show around something like this, then you give yeah. it a little bit more power. And there probably are plenty of people who are watching, like, I'm pretty entertained by this show. And you keep right. like telling me that everybody hates this show or like that everyone's right. ripping on it. You know, it is sort of a weird, a weird dynamic. 
It's kind but, of a straw man. I feel like it's a straw yes. man criticism. Like they're yes. building the straw man of like, oh, see, this is why they don't like our show. I'm like, well, no, that's not. We don't like dislike your show because we're like misogynist. That's like that's. I feel like that's how they're kind of painting it. Like this black and, and, and it gives them a really the show, you easy way out, right? Where they can say, yeah. oh, people just hated it because of this. Well, it's like, no, there are more there nuance. are very very solid parts to this show and when you lean into those it's good i think when you get a little a little bit lazy and you kind of flow through yeah. fly through things that we just want a little bit more and 100 the i will say todd in this meeting though yeah absolutely oh my god i, like I love that he he, was, he was like so todd is is uh hulk king which we had kind of assumed he created intelligentsia and then uh, so he he sees pug and he's like oh man i'm so happy that you're here and man and he tells everybody this guy rules he rules and he's hot and then in the background i was like huh? what in the background one random dude goes i'd smash you and then another <laughs> and then another random guy goes what just like in the <laughs> It's so funny. I I, I, played, I played it back like five times because because Todd's like, oh man, this guy's such a cool bro, man. He's such a he rules and he's hot. Yeah. And then just in the background, mm-hmm. one of these dudes like, yeah, I'd smash you. And then it was like <laughs> yeah. somebody somebody looked at him and said, what? And then the guy was like, oh 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 wait, I'm in a room full of bros. Like I can't I can't say that. I can't say that here. It was just. <laughs> Is the implication there that like a lot of these trolls are just latent uh, homosexuals? Is that the I, idea there that they're like repressed gay guys? I think so. I think and that's so. why they hate women. Um, that little response. Fair enough. Just, I guess. Just, like the timing of it made me laugh so much, yeah. and and then Todd just starts going off. I mean, let's be honest. Is she Hulk better than Hulk? No. Is she as strong as him? No. <laughs> Is she as smart as him? No. She wouldn't even have her powers without him. So why do we have to act like she learned, she earned everything? Here's where I'm at. <laughs> Superpower should go to the best person for the job. <laughs> and, then, and then Pug, Pug says uh, she got everything through nepotism. Because yeah. uh, Nikki tells him to say that. And, and Todd's, right. yeah. Todd, Todd's like, yeah, exactly. You think she boned Holloway, who's, who's the boss? And mm. Pug says, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah, it pisses me off. <laughs> Nikki, yeah, I like, like how he, that was a good performance in that it moment. Was I really did like that. Nikki said, say yes. He says, yes. And she says, like you're mad about Act it. Angry. Yeah. Like you're mad. It pisses me off. You know, like he says. <laughs> and yeah. Todd goes, Pug, we are vibing, my man. We are vibing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Pug asks him, how'd you get involved with this group? He says, I created Intelligentsia. I'm hulking. And uh, so they, they keep chatting a little bit and then Todd actually starts up their meeting. Okay, everyone, let's circle up. Um, I'm really proud of us for hacking She-Hulk's phone because we showed the world what a real monster she is, but also that we're not just talk. We're real action and we're just getting started. And he's up on the stage. And if you've ever seen like any of the TED talks that like big corporations have, this mm-hmm. is straight out of like Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Todd <laughs> right. does this like goofy jump kick 
on the stage. <laughs> I swear I must have played that back like five times also. It's the most awkward little run, jump, like dance kick. And all the bros oh, are, are broing off. And Todd's just doing the most awkwardly uncomfortable dance on stage. Like he thinks he's the coolest <laughs> dude in the world. He's just flailing his body around. It looks like... Oh, that- that reminds oh. me of that old Microsoft viral video. Exactly. I think it was Microsoft with Bill oh Gates God. and like the whole team. They're all dancing on, on the stage. It's so freaking funny. Balmer, he's the owner of the Clippers. There's a few mm. of them of him doing the same exact thing. And they, they, they the, the confidence that you have to get yourself to that point, <laughs> right? To not be able to yeah, look in the yeah. mirror and realize you are dancing like a freaking idiot. You know, it's just... Right. Man, this, well, it's, this, it's in fitting with that character. I mean, he's is. absolutely full of himself. What does he wear? Like a scarf indoors sometimes? He never takes, takes the like, scarf off. It's never right, off. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's right. That's every time. Okay. Never <laughs> he's never off. seen without it. That's right. Uh, so this that, that's pop, perfect affectation there for a character like that. Yeah, just that visual of freaking Todd yeah. doing the <laughs> dance just gets me. Um, Jen is um, – she's in the, the house with, with Wrecker. I kind of like Wrecker here who just wants to – he just wants to pour her some tea and have a chat with her. Um, yeah. He, tell, he tells her, uh, be very careful though because Saracen likes to put chicken blood in the tea. Kind of missed the chicken blood. I love that. Later. At the end he tastes – yeah, kind of missed the chicken blood. But <laughs> yeah. uh, Jen, Jen doesn't really want to share with the group this time. She feels like she may sure. be able to to – have a better one-on-one talk with Emil because he can actually relate. So Jen wants to to go talk with Emil. So she goes to try to find him. But when she makes her way over to the barn, she actually sees the group there. And, yeah. and Abomination has just been introduced. He's their guest speaker. Now Tony Robbins style. <laughs> very Tony <laughs> Robbins style. Now I will say Emil doesn't really know who he's speaking to. No. And he doesn't know what their purpose is. Like he doesn't realize he's coming in to talk to a bunch of She-Hulk haters. Yeah. He actually thinks it's, he's coming totally, in to to be a, yeah. a genuine life coach. And you know he's yeah. he's telling him like, "Welcome to Summer Twilight's Lodge. It's an honor right. to be your humble life coach. I hear your group has been making amazing progress." Right. <laughs> so he's super unspecific about everything. That's how that's how you know that like he he's not really tuned in with what what's specifically going on there. Like. He's just saying very generic things that he says to like you could tell he says to everybody and that he's doing this a lot now. And Jen walks in and she's like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And she sees Abomination and she asks Emil what he's doing. But this is basically where the whole episode really, really flips because everything stops progressing right here. You know, Jen um, Todd shoots himself up with the Hulk blood. You know, and he becomes the most cartoony. It, it, it was like the mask. It reminded me of the mask when when mm-hmm. he puts the mask on and he gets big yes. and it's like a total, total yeah. cartoon looking. And I think they Very sort of cartoony. did it on on purpose because they were about yeah. to, to, to undo it, <laughs> undo it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but all of these things start happening like Todd all of a sudden is the Hulk is like a big green Hulk. Um, mm. Bruce just literally drops out of the sky. And starts fighting with abomination in right. Jen's like watching all of this happen in, and she's like, wait, wait, what the hell is going on here? Like Titania yeah. jumps in out of nowhere. Titania just busts right. through the wall of the barn. 
So now we've got Titania out of nowhere. We've got Todd hulking up, and we've got Bruce and Abomination fighting, even though Abomination didn't really do anything now. Like, it's, it is bizarre. I mean, there's this chaos all over the place, and Jen just looks at us like, what is even happening? No, nope, stop. This is a mess. None of these storylines work. Does this make any sense? And she, the, she stops. And now the screen goes black for a second. The whole, everything freezes. And the Disney Plus menu screen yeah. pops up. I think, is, it, is it supposed to, in this moment, because um, I didn't get this the first time, but I thought the second time it was kind of indicating that, like, we as the viewer, like, tuned out. Like, we, mm-hmm. we, we like, exited because this sucked so bad. We and were like, nope, kind of I'm following done. Us into the real world. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was like we said, okay, I'm done with the show. This thing. Yeah, which is true. Like at that point, it is kind of like absolutely jumping the shark with all so the what plot the hell is going on? None of these things make sense. And it was the visual, the, mm-hmm. the visual of her punching through the Disney Plus screen and yeah. then like swinging down onto, I, I think she swings through like Loki. And then, um, and she moves right over, or Shang Chi to Loki, yeah. and she enters the box that would have been Marvel assembled, which is yeah. the like the documentary style. They Behind show you the, the making of of all yeah. of these shows and movies. And she's on the Disney Plus, or she's on the Disney lot in Burbank. Yeah, yeah. we see her walking through the lot at Burbank. She goes right into the writers' room with the team of writers who are already working on She Hulk two. Which is or right. season two, which is kind of funny because they talk about how the whole season two should be a dream sequence, right? <laughs> which is something that's happened in TV shows before. Yeah. Because then you can very easily just like erase the whole thing when you when it's a right. dream. It's it's easy to 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 go back, and the writers let her know that they're not really the decision makers. It's it's Kevin, the the right. decision maker. No, we're not talking Feige here, TK. Right. This is an AI-style robot that makes all of the MCU decisions knowledgeable, enhanced, visual, interconnectivity, nexus. And this this robot kind of has a Wally look to him. But yeah. what's cool, he's got lenses on him. He's got floppy yeah. disks. He's got a film spool. He's got little comic books. And he has a baseball cap that yeah. looks sort so of like Kevin Feige. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which it very well captures the essence of Kevin Feige while also being a this completely original robot AI creature thing, uh, which I thought was super clever. And I got just uh, kind of blown away in the moment by like the novelty of it all, having just come off of her bursting through the the, the menu. And now now she's in, you know, ostensibly our world. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it in the moment and thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, but again, it's it has the the feeling of you know we're getting away from from cinema, we're going towards something no, this, more. This feels like, like you're waiting to get on an Avengers ride. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Like, it, and, it, and you exa- see her it feels exactly like that. Like you see her walking through the the lot, and you see mm-hmm. her go into the writers' room and stuff. It just didn't feel as much like the ending to a show. Now, I'm glad at the end we at least get an ending. You know, like they give us a little yeah. bit of a bow. It wasn't Kinda. like we just end <clears throat> end here. Like we do get mm-hmm. back into the world a little bit, but it, yeah. yeah, it's it was jarring. It is it's it's definitely jarring. 
to to be here and we see her walking through the Marvel Studios corridor, the elevator, the office, the waiting room with all the Marvel posters and action figures and statues and costumes in the background. It's like any office you would go to, you know, they're showing off Iron Man and Thor and and different um, you know, movie posters and important figurines. <laughs> and Jen speaks with the receptionist who makes her sign an NDA, of course, you know, this is this is Marvel and the MCU. You can't talk about anything yeah. that you're doing. The NDA is very, very long. Yeah. And and she signs it. But then right when she signs it, they call security on security. her. Security. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> I, thought I that actually was great. did appreciate her when she said, why did you make me sign the NDA? Then if you were going to just call security. And they said, everybody's yeah. got to sign. This is the this yeah. is Marvel. Everybody's got to sign an NDA. <laughs> that that made me pop. So there, you yeah. know, there are little things throughout that definitely made you laugh but i just wondered yeah. is this the right setting the ninth episode of a series for this swing you know like, <laughs> I don't that know. was that was just what i kept asking um there, yeah there were a lot of things i i did like as as many critiques mm-hmm. as we have i mean they did give her a fight scene that was kind of like daredevil right here she had a hallway fight scene which yes, i thought was kind of right. funny so I- I forgot that after watching it the first time. And then the, my second, my rewatch, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I forgot about this. And then I totally forgot about it again until you just <laughs> like mentioned it. But yes, that did stand out. It was, it was pretty fun. Uh, and she, she went kind of ham on some of the security guards too. She did. The, <laughs> she didn't the writer, on them. <laughs> some of the things that the writers said um, made me laugh too. When yeah. she said, you know, she asks, look, well, come on, really? The guy steals my blood. Why? Like, wasn't that from every other superhero story? Right. And the writers say there are certain things that are supposed to happen. This is the yeah. story that Kevin wants. No one talks to Kevin. Kevin's value is immeasurable, okay? <laughs> yes, you'll, ne- you'll never even get close to Kevin. And then one of them says, I would murder you to protect Kevin. <laughs> and, yeah. And she says, okay, this is a, it's a little creepy here. I'm going to talk to Kevin. And that's when she makes her way over. She goes, uh, talks to the receptionist. And she yeah, mm-hmm. she busts through the security guard and she gets in to Kevin's office and it's a robot. And when she walks in, there are big screens playing all over and it's the Marvel. It's the MCU mm-hmm. movies and TV shows. And she says hello to Kevin. And it's it's not a person. It stands for knowledge, enhanced visual interconnectivity nexus. Were you expecting a man? And she said, yeah, why would I expect <laughs> a man and not a giant AI brain? And she just critiques the show and critiques all of the Marvel yeah. MCU tropes here. She says, I want to ask Breaks you some questions. Um, but he says, okay, I'll answer your questions. But first you must transform back to Jen because you are very expensive. And the visual effects <laughs> team has moved on to another project. You hear the drums for Wakanda yeah. right there at that point. Yeah. Um, so she goes back to just Jen. and. Kevin tells her that he processes the most advanced entertainment algorithm in the world, and it produces near-perfect products. Some are better than others. <laughs> I love that line. I love near this perfect. line. Yeah, right? some, some are, are better, better than, than others. others. <laughs> but I leave that up. I leave that debate up to the internet. Yeah. <laughs> nice little wink at the audience there. So Jen says, "You know, I'm not happy what's happening in my story." He says, "Hey, this is Kevin's show," but she sort of she gets him in a loophole here. 
She says, okay, regardless of- He doesn't say it's Kevin's show. He says it's K-E-V-I-N's show. That's a great point. It's K-E-V-I-N's show. That was another laugh. Like, I got to give credit where it's due. And she says, uh, regardless of creative ownership, this is a legal comedy, right? So I would like to give my closing argument. Okay. He says, okay, I see what you did there. You may proceed. Also clever. Uh, I got to appreciate that as an audience member. Like, okay, she's going to give a closing argument in this context. All right, I'll allow it. You know, <laughs> it yeah, works. Totally agree. I felt the same way. Jen goes on. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is known for its big spectacles, high stakes plot lines, but it's often said that Marvel movies all end the same way. And I love as she goes on, K E V I N chimes in, like with just like a little each time. He says, Wait, who says that? She goes, Perhaps this is a result of. Some unwritten rule that you have to throw a bunch of plot and flash and a whole blood thing that seems super suspiciously close to the super serum, the super soldier serum at the audience in the climax. I propose we don't have to do that. Kevin says, huh, that that, (laughs) this that line right there kind of I kind of choked on that line right there. Like, uh, it's funny because I I was really enjoying everything. And just that moment of breakdown, I was like, well, no, I don't know if I really totally agree with this premise here uh, where she says. Uh, unwritten rule that you have to throw a bunch of plot and flash like that to me just struck me as uh, a little bit false like it's not always I, that I, way I, no i, I agree with what you she's saying and also like well we need a certain amount of plot i feel like it especially in retrospect knowing where this episode goes when i rewatched this and i heard that line i was like but no you you just kind of like excised plot entirely and it wasn't satisfying like there, there's a reason why plot is kind of the the structure of the story. Plot is is, is like the bones of the story, and then the it meat makes you invest is, in care. Yeah, you get like right, right. So you have to have the plot. It's 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 the structure where the story is around, where the characters um, evolve. They evolve through the plot. It's not it, the characters are a function of the plot, and that you need both. It, but the idea that plot is like this intrinsically uh, or inherently bad thing, uh, it, it's not. And the, the idea that Marvel throws a bunch of plot at the end of their, that's not what I see. I know there's spectacle in a lot of their movies, but actually in their television shows, uh, that's not really what we get in the, in the finale. Completely agree. And this was pointed out by, I got to give credit where it's due again. Uh, this was Honest Trailers just dropped, I think yesterday or the day before about She-Hulk and that was one of the main things that the, that I took away from the honest trailer was this one critique of like well the the the, move, the the movies generally have this big spectacle at the end where a lot of action happens but the series generally have a final episode where they meet like a god character who like reveals the true reality of what's actually going on and I was like oh shit like yeah that's that's true yeah there's a different dynamic to the, the it's almost the, the, well, what's the hard is and she hulk sticks right to that actually the, some of the things that she's saying you're right would have been more valid before disney plus right because yeah. they've just done a lot of projects that don't really fit fit what she says exactly you know? exactly so if they would have done this three years ago it might have rung a little bit more true and yeah and it, then she starts to go into a lot of the just sort of like the, the the storytelling cliches, right? Just like the superhero things that you'll see a lot. She she mm-hmm. mentions, you know, bad endings. She talks about, um, you know, she asks, why does it distract from the story? My life fell apart. I was learning to be both Jen and She-Hulk. Um, 
She said, can we not do Todd getting powers? Like, powers aren't the villain. He is, so they erase that, okay? And mm-hmm. so as she's going through some of the things that she'd like to see, Kevin is actually making those changes on the screen uh. behind her. We see, like, editing happening and yeah. the things looking a little bit different. She said, you know, Bruce swooping down from literal outer space to save my to save the day in my story. Uh-uh. She said, we don't need to hear any of that. Save it for the movie. <laughs> and abomination, I just want him to be held accountable. And enough gotta with stop the... there. Yeah. We got to stop there for a second because uh, the these fixes, uh, I'll put those in quotes right now. You can't see that, but I'm putting them in quotes. The fixes, uh, some of them I think are pretty valid, but this is where they start to turn. Um, the idea that abomination needs to take accountability here, and by doing that, he's going to like turn out of abomination into Emil Blonsky. To me, it, it, that just rings a little bit false and is kind of contradicted by where what they do with the story. Because like her and Abomination, they've just established are essentially the same. They're going through the exact same thing. They both have the exact same sentence right now. So her idea of Abomination taking accountability is him not being uh, Abomination anymore and just being a meal and being a man and you know probably going back to the inhibitor, going to jail. In fact, that's where we see him after this. But what does she do? She goes back to being She-Hulk. She's struggling with the same exact thing. She's struggling with this exact same thing, and she wants him to be accountable for something. I I don't get it. I don't get it. Very hypocritical. She's not accountable to herself. She's just she's she's still going to make excuses that oh I was mad when I did that thing. You know, like well he has his own you know context to why he you know freaked out (laughs) in the first Hulk movie, smashed a lot of buildings and things. But yeah, she smashed a building too, and she she was a monster in front of. Uh, the, the world too so now they're in the exact same boat but accountability somehow doesn't apply to her but that's just the beginning right there uh please continue i have an issue with with the next one it's a little bit of a smaller issue but uh the next fix that she makes uh, she says uh and uh, with this angsty nightmare uh, or okay, this with the, angsty the nighttime. nighttime let's do the climax okay. in daylight and then and then they flip a switch and it barely changes the look of the room i know it's like, not like, like it's, i was like they they lit the thing to like really bright in the, like, even though they were, it, it was nighttime, I guess I, I wasn't really super cognizant of the fact that it was nighttime. It wasn't like a moody lighting. It was a very bright room. They were in they a slightly a more bright, really bright room. Like there was no, yeah. you had no, I mean, I've watched a lot of shows and movies where it was dark and you couldn't see what was happening. <laughs> right. This was, I didn't think about that once in that instance. Yeah. This was never the so, case. You're, it was again, almost it was like, like they didn't have writing. You're right, because if there could have been more valid critiques that she said here, that maybe would yeah, have they, rung a little they bit more think true. Of it though, but they kept but it they so didn't shallow. have them. Yeah, they, and and maybe it was, and I let me say, I did read in one of them that mm-hmm. they 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 like backtracked a little bit at this point. They didn't like want to go so hard on themselves that mm, there were a couple people that said. Hey, I think maybe you're going a little too hard on on us, and so they like on they Marvel. <laughs> they wanted to play it like safer here and not necessarily like hurt anyone's yeah. feelings or really feel like you're <laughs> taking shots at anyone. But right, it, you can't you can't do that. You can't serve all the masters, right? You can't do that right. if you want to be funny and take a swing at yourself and be like Deadpool-y, You have to go all in. You can't say things yeah. that aren't really that true. So why why are we pulling punches? Yeah, the the thing that is true though is said I wouldn't mind seeing Daredevil again. 
a woman has needs. <laughs> and and I like that Kevin, uh, you know, says historically we've been light in that department. Yeah. So yeah. Not Fair a enough. whole lot of not a whole lot of sex in the MCU, but Jen is horny. Yeah. We know that she is right. down. And uh, and then you know she she realizes, oh wait, you know, while I've got you here, what's with all the daddy issues? You know, Tony Stark, daddy issues. Thor, daddy issues. Loki, same daddy, same issues. Star-Lord, two daddies, two issues. And when are we getting the X-Men? That little part I, I actually kind of thought was funny. You know, going through the, the daddy issues. And and then she's asking what we're all asking. When are we getting the X-Men? Uh, K-E-V-I-N says, I cannot tell you that. So she, she shifts her focus back to She-Hulk. I have thoughts about season two's direction. <laughs> and now yeah. he's just getting annoyed with her You will not be able to access the K-E-V-I-N again <laughs> Error on our platform has been fixed <laughs> So She may not be able to jump So maybe maybe that's it, right? Yeah. Maybe it was as silly as them just saying We had an error and it's fixed And she can't right. jump back through this again If that is, the loop is if, closed. You know, if that loop is closed Then okay But it's hard not to to think about Maybe, you know, yeah. if she could do it again and or how she did it in the first place, like right, uh, like I how, mean, how did it happen? Did she, you know, was there it. a portal open, or did Wong open up, you know, something for her? Or, yeah. Uh, but she, she says, you know what? We smash things. Bruce smashes buildings. I smash fourth walls and bad endings. And sometimes Matt Murdock. <laughs> I love I love the little lines to the camera she does here. She does so many back to back, but you just mentioned the one of the. X-Men, when she mentions the X-Men and she looks to the camera and kind of sticks her tongue out, I thought that was like mm-hmm. the perfect take. I, I, I can't even imagine uh, doing that on my own or or thinking of having somebody do that like better than what then she her, did there. It was just this it perfect would, like like one take. You thing. teach it in acting class. This is exactly what we're trying to do in that moment, right? This, <laughs> right. like, and she, uh, so she's she's pleased now. And K-E-V-I-N tells her to get back to the show See you on the big screen She says, really? He says, no <laughs> She says, okay, fine, whatever, Kevin uh, Should I transform back? Like, What's the most budget-friendly way to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I like how she's a team player all of a sudden Yeah, <laughs> now she just wants to help, you know Because she might be yeah. able to get uh, Now things are going her way And maybe maybe she's going to be on the big right. screen So right, right. she arrives back in her world and Titania is live streaming everything that's happening. And it looks like Jen, she's furious. She's looks like she's going to walk over and give Todd a beatdown. But she just says, I'll see you in court, babe. And uh, she just wants to sue. She wants mm-hmm. to now make sure that she can do everything legally by the book in the right way. Mm-hmm. So Todd gets arrested and gets taken off. And then Daredevil literally drops out of the sky. He yeah. literally falls out of the sky and says, mm-hmm. Jen, I'm here to help. <laughs> and she says, hey, Daredevil, you missed it. We're done. I'm sorry. He's like, he says, oh, everything? Man. Oh, man. <laughs> she, she said, it went great, though, and I'm, I'm happy to see you. And, and then actually Pug is watching, and he looks a little jealous, you know. Yeah. Um, kind of awestruck, too. Oh, my God. Are they like a thing? And Nikki says, you know, take it down a notch, Pug. Just take it down a notch. <laughs> and and then Daredevil, uh, Titania knows Daredevil. <laughs> she says, hi, Daredevil. <laughs> and uh, 
She's streaked to her, her followers. Um, Blonsky, though, has to go back to jail. He violated his parole. So Jen speaks with him. And uh, they uh, they talk about how he's going to be back for going back for 10 years. It's the karmic price I pay for my actions, uh, says Blonsky. And <laughs> the uh, we finish up here with the family barbecue. It Matt with Matt. Matt is here with the family. The, this was yeah. like Fast and the Furious. How they end the yeah. movie, like <laughs> you're right, you're where they're right. all sitting in the back and they're eating together. And yeah. I will family. say this part, I it was corny, super corny. Mm-hmm. But I like Matt. Right. Matt laughed mm-hmm. like I laughed at him. He did a really good job of just portraying how you would feel in this moment. He yeah. he start he just went out with this girl Jen once mm-hmm. or twice, right? They've only barely been out. Yeah, but, there's but he likes obvious, her. But but he likes her. She likes him, and there's obviously something yeah. there. And I think for the two of them, it's more than just two random people meeting on the street because they're superheroes. You know, they share something mm-hmm. and they have this connection, special but, connection. But when Matt sits down eating, like the family is grilling him. You know, they're asking him yeah, about, about his job, about money. Oh, Matt, you have uh, you have your own practice, right? Yeah, it's in Hell's Kitchen. And uh, the mom says to the aunt, you know, like she's showing us, see, Rebecca, he has his own practice. And then the aunt <laughs> is like, Hell's Kitchen? That doesn't sound very nice. Uh, she says, so you don't make much money? And, you know, Matt's just laughing as as he's getting yeah. grilled here. He pl- He's doing a really good job. He said, you know, I don't do it for the money. But then her dad, Morris, chops in. But you do make yeah. some money, right? It's very expensive yeah. raising kids in L.A. And they're like, whoa, kids? Yeah. Kids? And then he says, I didn't expect this. Matt says, I didn't expect this conversation to go this way. Um, <laughs> which was really, like, it was genuine. I saw it on face you know mm-hmm. and i was like oh man it was it was one of those things where it just it didn't feel like anyone here was acting in this scene right it, this scene felt like these felt authentic like jen and matt human. are dating and these are their their parents and the family around and um mm. morris jokes and he says matt i'm gonna tell you right now every conversation is going in this direction so buckle up <laughs> and he says i really am just visiting you know and yeah. um and then he so asks I, her, I, I like this. Uh, I just want to stop here real quick because uh, why does this work so well? Like, I think it's really because they're treating these characters uh, and they treated Matt Murdock like this from the jump, uh, like an authentic character, not a caricature of the character. You're right. And that's what, like, I think the, the, the show suffered so many times by treating so many of its characters, the majority of the characters. In fact, basically every character besides uh, J- Jennifer and Matt. Um, we're, we're all treated like these characters, these cartoon versions of themselves, very like reduced down to a joke. Um, and the, the logic and the, the realism and the, the, the nuanced humanity of them really couldn't shine through beyond what the actors could put into it. Uh, because the dialogue and what the, the motivations of their actions within the context of the story were, were never uh realistic it just felt fake and it just felt phony and it uh and that's because they were treated like caricatures matt was treated like a human being with real concerns uh depth real wants um you know matt has uh you, you, you could identify with his motivations at any given point in any given scene that he's there uh maybe with the one exception of like how he just immediately 
plop, uh, plop, turned plop up. <laughs> but, but it was there, funny. That was, that but that was, was it was kind was of funny because she she literally just right. asked for him to show up, right? And then exactly. she said, maybe so, a little more daredevil and he just plops in. And he, and the, I love how when he yeah. lands, it's in the superhero pose. Yes, poser. You know, <laughs> always always posing it. So the and even if like even little things like, you know, when he's the, the Aunt Rebecca and Uncle Tucker, the, Uncle Tucker's asking him to help with the hamburgers. And then Aunt mm-hmm. Rebecca's like, I want you to taste, you know, when she's giving him food. And Matt says, uh, Jen, I could use a co-counsel here. <laughs> yeah. Just a, a corny line, but he's smiling, you know, and yeah. he's got Pretty he's got cool. a great smile, you know. So he's smiling and you can just like he's yeah. a good looking dude, you know, he, like he's just he it's it's mm-hmm. he's wearing it. And then Bruce, you like him for Jen, too. Yeah, you, you do. like them together. You do. Like, you feel it. I mean, like, I want to see more of them together. I have no idea if Jen's going to show up in Daredevil Born Again or if they're going to be mm-hmm. connected more. But I'd love it if they had this, like, long-term relationship. You know? Yeah. If they had to – because he's not from L.A. He's from New yeah. York. But in the comics, he actually does move to L.A. And he's mm-hmm. he's content in L.A. I just I, – I know I want more of these two together because I, I, yeah. I really loved – the surfaces that they scratched here with it. I'll but, say this: if we don't get uh, Jennifer Walters on Daredevil: Born Again in in the, that eighteen episode run, mind you, if we don't get at least one episode with her, I'll be I'll be pretty disappointed. They have to. I know. I think with yeah. as well as this feels like it was received, I think they they feel like they know the things that we mm-hmm. really really like, and I think the reception to Daredevil has been pretty positive, despite yeah. a few people who thought it was off. I I liked it. I think. You're never going to be yeah. able to be as gritty as the Netflix version was. And mm-hmm. if you were going to tone him down a little bit, I thought they did a great job just keeping him toned, but not goofy. He's just cor- yeah. he's kind of corny, you know, which is he's always been that way. He's a nice dude. He's like a nice, genuine guy, but he is a little yeah. bit of a playboy, you know, and they kept that. Yeah. So I, I, I like that. I thought the characterization was very consistent with the old uh, show, the Netflix show, and that uh, they could absolutely – uh, seamlessly pivot into Born Again, continuing a little bit more of a gritty take uh, than what we're seeing in She-Hulk. I think what we're seeing uh, of Daredevil in She-Hulk is, is exactly that. It's it's a Daredevil fit for this show. And it's a when good he intro shows up other for places, him too. Yeah, and when he shows up other places, he's going to be uh, more like the Daredevil we've always known. But uh, even still, when we see him here, he's still the same Daredevil. It's just you know, he's in the context of a little bit of a sillier situation, a lighter situation, lighter circumstances. And he's happier. Like things we said, so dour. things at the right. end of his story on Netflix, they were in a better place. He was in a happier place. There so overall right now, he is just a little bit happier. Bruce yeah. arrives. And like I said at the <laughs> beginning, this was a cool moment where it's like, wow, you got the Hulk here in Daredevil. Like you feel mm-hmm. like this really was different worlds connecting. And Bruce has been away on Sakaar for a while, but he introduces yeah. us to his son, Scar. So Bruce has a son here, and the, the family all says hello. So something to go uh, moving forward. This is a kind of a World War Hulk tease mm-hmm. where, you know, we know we have Bruce. We know we have his son, Scar, now. We have Jen. There's a, a lot of Hulks in this world, and that's something that – um. That they're teasing, maybe World War Hulk, Daredevil, Born Again, Deadpool, we're all teased a little bit here. And that is the, uh, the fin- that's how the backyard scene ends with Bruce coming in and everyone saying hello. So, you know, you get Bruce, but it wasn't a Bruce here to save the day moment 
like right. like it was earlier. I will say that when Bruce, the way the show started, it did feel like Bruce was going to be in it more. I'm not saying it was mm-hmm. needed, but it did seem a little bit weird that you have Bruce at the very beginning. He sets a lot of stuff up, and then mm-hmm. like he was gone for so long, you kind of forget that yeah. there was even like a storyline of him leaving. Yeah, you almost don't need him to come back and bring his son back. It's it could have been a post-credit uh, scene too, right? Thing. Like that could have been a post yeah. or a mid. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it felt like some degree of closure to that story. You know, they did introduce it in the, you know, the, the first episode proper. And so you're seeing him in, you know, these first two episodes. You're wondering all along. So it, it does pay off that in, in a little bit. Now we get an answer. Uh, and that, that's nice to have an answer before the end of the season as, as, a, as a viewer. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I didn't get much out of it. it was, me neither. It, was, uh, it didn't do it much a, for me. Yeah. It's like okay, because we don't know anything about it. We don't know anything about it, more, right? Right. Yeah. So, like, it's okay. We'll see where this goes moving forward. Final scene of the actual show. Jen's got her jaw back, and she's walking into a courtroom for a mm-hmm. for a case, and she gets stopped by a reporter who asks her, "She Hulk." Or he says, in light of a criminal conspiracy, She-Hulk, the superpowered woman, cousin of the Hulk, is cleared of her previous conviction. Can you share the details about your lawsuit against Todd Phelps and Intelligentsia? Jen responds, people like Todd have, have to be held responsible for their actions. The message is that if you attack, harm, or harass innocent people, I'm coming for you. And the reporter asks, do you mean in, in a courtroom or as a superhero? And Jen says, both. Which would have been... I, I did sort of laugh because that would have been the perfect way to end it. Like a badass yeah. line, both. Yeah. Like that's what Matt, Matt Murdoch told her, right? That was yeah. like, hey, yeah. you could do both. But because they have to lead into how like she's a girl right. and they've made the tropes, the guy asks her, tell our viewers, who are you wearing, are you wearing today? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like, get wearing? the hell out of here. And she just walks off, you know? Like yeah. that last question was so unnecessary, but it did kind of make me laugh because that's something that, Women yeah. get asked at every fashion show or every awards ceremony or any time, you know, and just like the female lawyer of the war year. It's not lawyer yeah. of the year. It's the female lawyer of the year. But um, right. Yeah. She she shrugs it off. She walks inside. And for the moment, things seem pretty good for Jen. Job is back. Yeah. G- getting a little frisky with Matt Murdoch, you know, time to time. And uh, right. and, you know, she's. She's able to be Jen and She-Hulk, so she gets the ending to her show that she wanted, mm-hmm. and we get a post-credit scene, a mid-credit scene. The yeah. I will say though, they could have done one tiny thing here that I would have mm-hmm. loved. All we Madison. needed was, and we didn't even need to see her. All we needed was go. to hear her yes. yelling yes. to Wong through the portal. Wongers, can you pick up some some sour cream and onion chips for me? Like something Dude. just like that, right? Can we get that ADR and just like add it on? Like let's do the Please. like Hulk two point one just to Please, to that's it. Uh, we didn't even need to see Kanye her. Does it now? <laughs> up, up, just yes. update later on. It was the streaming era. Why not? Like well, let's just add that that's in. It because like, that's all. If that would have just been the little tidbit. The right. mid credit scene, Wong comes into the jail. He he um, breaks out Abomination, and he brings Blonsky back to Comertage. <laughs> and I did like what uh, when Wong shows up, he says, 
Blonsky says you you took your time, and Wong says my apologies. And Blonsky yeah. says you got sucked into another show, didn't you? Yeah. Which which is cool <laughs> because it's totally like a double meaning. Also, yeah. like yeah. you know, Wong is literally getting sucked into all of these MCU Marvel right. projects. Like he right. pops up in every show, and but at the same time, he was binging Sopranos last time we yeah. saw him. So it it meant sort of both. And then Blonsky asks about the guest policy at, at the Comartage. Shared fridge? And uh, Wong says, we're, we're kind of one with everything. What about Wi-Fi? We have Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a play on the original Doctor Strange. It was also a play on uh, um, earlier when, uh, when they were at the retreat and Jen was asking for Wi-Fi there. So right. silly way to end it. But Blonsky will mm-hmm. be showing up somewhere soon. We know Wong is all over the place. And mm-hmm. there were th- this show in particular, the one thing that I'll rem- uh, remember about this moving forward and is just sort of like the like the highs and lows, like some really mm-hmm. high highs, yeah. things that I thought were funny and that were unique and that were creative and that were different. Yeah. And then some other things that just felt like, ah, man, like that was and it wasn't not it, a low where you swing and miss and it's just not for me, I can respect mm-hmm. that. Like you said, like yeah. you were saying with the way that they ended this episode, not everything was for me. And maybe they didn't go all in yeah. with some of the some of it, but I did appreciate the approach, even if I wouldn't have mm-hmm. loved it a hundred percent. But yeah. some of the other things, I I just think that this may maybe this will be the show that helps them realize that it doesn't have to always be a week to week thing. A show like mm-hmm. She-Hulk. Would have been better suited And now like thinking about some of the other shows Like a show like What If Probably mm-hmm. wouldn't Doesn't need to be a week to week show mm-hmm. Like you can probably drop 10 You know the whole season of 10 what ifs at once Right, right because right, right. I don't know how much people are going to be Waiting on a cliffhanger week to week Like they might Um, I Like Loki right. feels like a show That's a week to week show I think you know like I think that was better right. Being dropped one at a time You know but I'm hoping they can move like moving forward, figure out the format a little bit better because yeah, the the show wasn't perfect. We had probably a, as many critiques about this one as a lot of the recent shows that we've talked about. But Easily. at the at yeah. the very same time, I absolutely love Jen, the character of mm-hmm. her. I think I that's a, her again. a home run with her. She's ASAP. awesome, and yeah. and Matt. Love that he's back in this world mm-hmm. The cameos Definitely. were fun It was cool to see Wong Like I want to see Madison more So like overall Where we are It felt like ah, okay This was about nine episodes And probably like six hours worth of stuff That I mean we probably could have got to In like three You know, yeah, it should have been a movie I, it, I feel like this maybe should have been a movie And they treated it like a TV show yeah. Or they treated It was a TV show they treated like a movie all You're too right. often, and right. it just should have been a movie, maybe. So I give it like a B minus, C plus. Yeah, I think like Fair. in that range. You know, it's not. Yeah, it's not necessarily something I'm probably going to go be rewatching all the time myself. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't like. It's not. It wasn't a waste of my time, and it wasn't like I wasn't most of it. I wasn't entertained through like a lot of yeah. the episodes. I didn't feel like oh, I. I but. It just it could have been a little bit better, and that's something that you've hit on when we've yeah. started our journey here. Is that we love all of the content, but we hope it doesn't dilute each one of them because it did always yeah. feel like a Marvel movie was like an experience, 
you know, yeah, and that special thing, a big they event. took it really seriously. And it's when you have a bunch of other stuff going on, it's hard not for a few things to fall through the cracks here and there. And yeah. I think that's kind of what we felt here. I thought they did a good job of, of finishing it up, though, because I I have a good mm-hmm. like I have a warm, fuzzy feeling in my stomach thinking about the 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 backyard ending, you know, just yeah. like the family sitting there. And that's sort of like the last thing I think about with. Jen and Matt like laugh. Oh man, like the the dad, get off of me here. You know, let me breathe a yeah. minute. Just um, and I'm and I'm pumped for Matt moving forward. And we have a hell of a lot coming up. But oh, this, yeah. yeah, this felt like I think one of the ones that we've had some of the most criticisms about. And it wasn't about yeah. the acting. It wasn't about some of the lead characters. It was just sort of I think the way they put this together. Like we both hit it's on the writing. The, yeah, some of the writing, maybe a little lazy, maybe a little safe. But yeah, overall, another one in the books, TK. Man, yeah, I can't believe it. We've covered some ground <laughs> here. We have covered yeah. some ground, my friend. Now, for anyone who out there has been uh, watching and paying attention to the, some of the other uh, Marvel MCU content that's coming up, we will mm. dis- we'll discuss either way. I don't know if we're going to do a full breakdown of Werewolf by Night, but the mm-hmm. next time we talk – We'll at least talk about it for a few minutes. Yeah. Like we'll we'll at least give some of our thoughts on it. It might not be something we do like a scene by scene breakdown, but we'll mm-hmm. at least give some thoughts on that. It's just a a one shot, like an hour special. They released it. It's yeah. it's scary and it it's very much like an old black and white monster horror movie. But it's it's pretty cool. Um. Mm-hmm. But I, I think next up for us will be Wakanda Forever. Ooh. So. We have a, a few weeks where we won't be doing weekly recaps, and we'll probably wait till maybe a week or two after that movie. So you and I have gotten the chance to see it twice, um, and mm-hmm. maybe everyone has got the chance to to at least a lot of people at least got the chance to watch it. But we we will not be stopping now. You know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll have a little bit of a rest fight for a few weeks, but it goes right <laughs> into Wakanda forever. And I feel like yeah, I feel like this is where things will hopefully get heightened a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. this phase mm-hmm. of the MCU hasn't felt quite as connected. Grand. I mean, this Epic. show at least feel this show at least had some connections with Bruce and Blonsky mm-hmm. and and Matt. But you're right; it it hasn't felt as epic. It's felt a little bit more low level. So yeah. I think I think the stakes yeah. will be raised a little bit with Wakanda Forever. I, you just mentioned that I, before we go. That was a weird thing about this show is how. Strangely, like connected and essential, some of it seemed, and yet how so, like niche and totally you know, off agreed. in the corner of the universe and disconnected, it would seem at different times. So that that just added to the weird, like tonal, like imbalances. I think in the whole experience of the show, uh, but it also makes it a show that I think uh, you kind of have to see just because of if it's you're a, as an MCU fan, like you're gonna want to see those big interconnected moments you know despite those really low points and i think honestly some of the low points in this series were like new lows for the mcu entirely and that was what maybe felt especially jarring about it uh i don't know if it quite reached any new heights but they did introduce some like new ideas and uh did things that hadn't been done before which i gotta commend them for uh they they surprised me more than a few times and i did have uh, a, a good amount of fun along the way. I would have liked to have more fun, but the, the last uh, episode and some of the earlier ones were were a lot of fun. So it was so, a good time. <laughs> so coming up for us, moving forward, we have mm-hmm. Black Panther, November the 11th, yeah. uh, Wakanda Forever. Then 
later on this year we'll have the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which I think we could talk yeah. about too because that's supposed to be pretty good, and I think that's supposed to be yeah. sort of canon. So that's something that we can probably uh, we will probably also dive into, and then fo- following that it'll be what if season two, Secret Invasion. We'll also have yeah. Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania in February. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in May The Marvels in July and That's basically the movies that'll be coming out next year But we will have Thunderbolts too, right? Uh, yeah, we will have a Thunderbolts We will have Secret Invasion, which is supposed to be big Echo, Loki Season 2, Ironheart And then uh, Daredevil and Agatha uh, Daredevil Born Again and Agatha Coven of Chaos are things that are right. already in, in the works don't forget about down the line, Captain America, New World Order, Thunderbolts that you mentioned, Blade, Deadpool 3, Fantastic Four, Avengers King Dynasty, <laughs> Avengers Secret War, Armor Wars. Tim Kelly, Jeez. What what's going to happen is we are going to just pass the baton to our children, and they're going to yeah. do our show You know, years down the line. <laughs> it's going to be, be Milo case, and yeah. Connor that are going to We're be— not gonna- Deep How are we going to carry this load otherwise? Yeah. I know, I was going to say, they're going to be helping us out They're going to be recap What we're going to do is, we're going to have to actually have it set up To where, like, uh, Jackie and Stephanie record about one show And then Milo <laughs> and Connor take care of one Like, we'll have them do the the kid stuff And, uh, you know, some yeah. of the, the, the children event the child, what, was, what are the Young Avengers? They'll do the Young Avengers show yeah. and then We'll have to make it a, a family affair But, buddy can't thank you enough. Every time we finish up one yeah. of these, it's it's sort of like thank those you. mixed emotions. You know, you kind of get like, um, I always get sad when there's a week or two when we haven't chatted because yeah. it's, it's always so much fun picking your brain and, and talking uh, about some of the shows that, that you love with your friends. I, I think that's why people enjoy listening to, to podcasts because everybody does this. Yeah. Everybody does exactly oh, yeah. what you and I are doing with, with their friends. They talk it out. They ask questions. They start looking stuff up on the internet. You're watching mm-hmm. them, breakdowns of it. And it it just helps Make sense of everything when you can Really talk it out with someone and Some days I leave and I'm like you know What I, th- I like that episode more after Talking with right. you and then sometimes yeah. it's the opposite Where I'm like you know what <laughs> Tim was right Like that didn't, that didn't work as Well it, and now I don't like it as much so it's, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about know, that no, I should let way. you enjoy things <laughs> No no but in a good way right like because it's That's yeah. that's, what, that's there's there's so much great Content out there we, we're asking these yeah. questions We hold these places um, up to a standard now And that that's how it should be I think And yeah, man thank you absolutely. so much It's been a thank blast you. chatting with you And we'll take a, a, like a week or two off But we'll we'll reconvene And we'll uh, we'll talk some Wakanda forever We'll touch base yeah. a little bit on the werewolf by night And then we'll get into some Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday special yeah. A little later maybe on we'll have some more news. Maybe we'll have some more news about uh, Harrison Ford Being Thunderbolt Ross yeah. uh, by that <laughs> time I don't know if that's locked yeah. in yet or what, But I'm very excited about that that's, that's gonna we, whenever there's something going on in the world of Marvel and the MCU, we'll be talking about it right here on That's What G Said with Tim Kelly. Make sure to give him a follow on social media at Tim Is Not Funny. You can check out uh, some of the great music projects that Tim has done with his wife. Tim, buddy, you have a great weekend with your son and with uh, with Jackie. I hope you have a very happy Halloween. Have you so picked much. out a, a costume? Have you guys figured one out yet for the little man? Uh, we're gonna do something last minute. We were talking about it, uh, but we haven't locked it locked so it down yet. I, you'll you'll appreciate the only reason why I, I asked as sort of a tease is you'll appreciate. Stephanie is making a Groot costume oh, for Milo. Groot. 
Because Milo's yeah. love, he loves the shorts. He loves watching those. Group. He'll always say, oh, he'll look yeah, at me. Yeah. He'll say, uh, "Take a bath, Groot." And because one of them is called <laughs> Groot takes a bath, so like he'll sit down and he'll say, "Take a bath, Groot." And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> nice." So yeah. And he even said the other day, "I'm Groot." I was like, "No way!" He actually said that. Amazing. So yeah. So we're pumped. Uh, Stephanie's working on a costume for him right now for uh, yeah. for baby Groot. So that'll be we a lot of do- fun. We might do a chili pepper. We were talking about oh, that. He's cool. a big fan of the red hot chili peppers. The that's band. a good one. So we might do it, have him be a, an actual chili pepper. Oh, that's great. That is great. Well, a very happy Halloween to you. And now <laughs> for the next week or so, it'll be like Halloween movies and scary movies for me. I just jumped on. Uh, I went through on Paramount. They have all the screams on there. So I'm up to scream four oh, right now, la- laughing through all of those. TK, thank you, buddy. You have a, a fantastic couple weeks. I'll talk to you again real thank soon. You. And we'll be talking. Uh, as uh, our friend Todd Wakanda forever <laughs> That's that's where we head next Don't go anywhere folks There's a lot more Can't to come wait. on this episode Another one in the books Tim Kelly Such a great job helping us out Big thank you to Tim For all his help With these recaps And these reviews And the deep dives Now We finish up with the old wrestling rewatch One of my personal favorite Summer Slams of all time, 2013. John Cena and Daniel Bryan in the main event. CM Punk and Brock Lesnar in a really good match on the card. There's a Del Rio Christian match that's also excellent. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join me for a match-by-match recap and review. It's Summer Slam 2013. Oh, yeah. Oh, wrestling rewatch. With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> the old wrestling rewatch is back, and we're going to head to SummerSlam 2013. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, join me and DZ. Nice to have the whole crew back together for this one. Oh, uh, I didn't ask you before our, uh, our uh, you know, we started recording, but in a couple weeks, as we record on uh, October the 18th, we're just a few weeks out from Breeders' Cup, so maybe when we normally record our uh, old wrestling rewatch that week, we'll uh, we'll talk about a race or two with you two. But how you doing, DZ? And what do you think about SummerSlam 2013 on the rewatch? Yeah, this is uh, this is one of my favorite SummerSlams personally. Um, Me too. So many cool things. Um, you know, the 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 way this one ends is one of my all time favorite endings for a a WWE pay per view, and, and we'll talk about that when we get to the end, but. Um, you know, you got some monstrous names on here. You got some big rivalries. You got the Lesnar Punk stuff. Uh, you get to see a very young Cody Rhodes, which is always fun. You got Bray Wyatt, uh, which uh, times out well what's going on in WWE now. Uh, this is an easy watch for a show. It's a fun show. Yeah, it's uh, not that long um, either. Yeah. It was only not that long. Yeah, it was only not even three hours with the with you know minus the pre-show match, which we did, we yeah. won't talk really about. But overall, pretty fun. Andrew, I think a couple things at the beginning of the show that like in ring quality could have been a little bit better. But I mean, even the Del Rio Christian match, I was pleasantly surprised by how good that was. Like Del Rio, not the greatest person in the world, but he he was on his game as far as um he had like that extra intensity in that in that match with Christian. Him and Christian, I thought, had a pretty good chemistry too. And then throughout, you know what I, I was gonna say, even the the women's match. We weren't getting <clears throat> quite yet to the point where they were going to be able to give women the better matches and a lot more respect like we see. But you could actually tell that Brie, and they mentioned it, had been doing some stuff with Daniel Bryan. Because she just looked a lot better overall with some, some of her offense and some of her selling. 
Andrew, give us some of your thoughts on this show. It's a fun show. Uh, of the recent Summer Slams that we've gone through, this is up there. You've got the main event with John Cena and Daniel Bryan. You've got CM Punk against Brock Lesnar. And those, by any measure, are four-plus star matches. And if you want to go all the way up to four and three-quarters or even five, I can understand that. You've got a couple of undercard matches that are very good. The problem with Del Rio was never his work rate. It was the fact that he just didn't have it. He looked like he was supposed to be there, but there just wasn't that star quality about him in the WWE setting. However, the way they laid that match out, I don't know who the agent for that match was, but we're going to talk about it. It was very well laid out, and Christian was Christian, capable of working a very good match with pretty much anybody. We also got the Damian Sandow, Cody Rhodes match, which didn't even go seven minutes. I was very entertained by that. I know. I just wanted it to go another five. Yeah. And you get Bray Wyatt's debut, which I'm going to have a lot of fun throwing cold water all over. Ha 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 is funny because it's a ring of fire match. I see what you and did there. I'm throwing I see what you did there. You've been it. working on that one for ha, a few ha, weeks. Well, we yeah. haven't recorded. I know. I was going to say you, three of us you're going to have a few zingers. Months. You're going to so, have a few zingers you know, coming. It's uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, speaking of heat, uh, did you guys hear the unfortunate news that the Pillsbury Doughboy died? No, I did not hear that. <laughs> yes, it, it's un, it's uh, it's unfortunate. The funeral's at three fifty for about thirty minutes. Okay, I'm done now. Well done, well done, Andrew. There you go. So, yeah, I I, I love this show too. As uh, you both were hating on, it's just it's a fun one because it's a good baby face show. If you've been if you were watching WWE at the time and seeing Daniel Bryan get this really natural rise. Daniel Bryant wasn't someone who was thrown into main events. He was just wrestling on TV over and over again, and the crowd started loving him. And he became just a really cool, honest, like one of the better baby faces that we've seen in WWE in quite some time. This was a good show for him. John Cena was able to pick his his opponent for this show. He picked Daniel Bryan, and all throughout the lead up, they were trying to Change Daniel Bryan turn him into a guy That could be a, a possible champion And uh, He didn't want to do that he wanted to stay true And the beard is here so yeah Great show from top to bottom Lots of cool moments let's dive right in To SummerSlam 2013 Now we begin With A pre-show match we're not going to Really dive into it but it was Rob Van Dam Versus Dean Ambrose And it was for the US Championship And RVD Picks up the win. Over what a Dean historical Ambrose. curiosity that match is nine years later. <laughs> I know. And, and like looking at, if you're just looking at Wikipedia, it says Rob Van Dam with Big Show and Mark Henry defeated Dean Ambrose with Rollins and Roman Reigns, you know, with the shield there. And you have Rob Van Dam in the weeks leading up to this was actually, he had returned. He was in a match with Punk and with Christian that was going to determine I think the the number one contender for the title and that was when Lesnar came back and sort of interrupted and I think uh, it ended up letting Christian uh, Christian get the win and get the title shot here but we open up the show with the Miz Miz it's funny looking at Miz now you know 
nine years later I don't know if it was like he wasn't very tan at this point or something He just he feels like very young in comparison But he was definitely seasoned and he'd already been around And been a world champ and everything here But uh, I don't know he just felt His presence like these hosting things They're never good And they're doing the Fandango stuff all throughout the show Or like Fandango is interrupting Miz And yeah, I mean it just it's not much. He keeps coming out with Summer Rae to dance. Hey, shout out Summer Rae. I've spoke with her uh, a few times. But just I mean, I can't can either of you guys recall a time where there was a host where it was ever something that was like meaningful or really mattered? Uh the Rock at WrestleMania, but even then that was a lousy WrestleMania. Yeah, and so it's sort of that was kind mm-hmm. of to Get to his well, what build. do you mean by what do you mean by meaningful? Like they played a pivotal role in what took place, or, or just, just it's just not like there's not really much for you to do as a host, right? It's just not like I, yeah. I, I just rather say appearance. I don't. I guess it just bothers me like the title of like host of the show because I was like, what are you gonna do? You know, you, yeah. It's fun when you have The Rock and Stone Cold come out at the beginning of shows, and we've seen the one with the one with New Day where they introduced the Hardys the and they returned was, was pretty good. That was yeah. the only thing in my head that I that I could that I was thinking of going to right now. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that one because you're right. That felt like one where the New Day was at least involved a couple times throughout the show, and they had something big to do, which was introduce the Hardys. So we open things up now with the video package. These video packages were really good throughout the night. This one focused a lot on Lesnar Punk and then Cena Bryan for the main event matches. Michael Cole. Announces the uh, the crowd and then Jojo sings the national anthem and uh, Jojo went right uh, led us right into Bray Wyatt who um, they have a son together. Jojo was a total divas for a while. What is Jojo doing right now? Do we is she still around? I don't I don't I know. I can't recall. Yeah, because sure. it's funny. It feels when you watch this show, this show with with so many of these players that are still around, it doesn't feel like. It might have been eight, nine years ago, but then at the same time, it's basically a decade ago for uh, for a lot of them. Announcers, Michael Cole, JBL, and Jerry Lawler, which was kind of funny. JBL just came back on Monday Night Raw a few days uh, before we record this on October the 18th, and we get the debut match of Bray Wyatt. It's a Ring of Fire match against Kane. Bray Wyatt is accompanied to the ring by Eric Rowan and, rest in peace, Luke Harper. And this was... This was an act at this point that was so good. It was different. We hadn't really seen much of anything. It was, it sounded like a Waylon Mercy kind of thing like this years before, but never something that was so well done. Such attention to detail, so different, just kind of scary. And the presentation was fantastic. There, we're here. And when they entered, there was absolute silence. You could hear a pin drop. Bray sits in the rocking chair <clears throat> He has the lantern And the everything looked great But DZ I mean this wasn't even really a match This was more of like an angle overall With the fire around the ring And the whole point of the match was that Luke Harper and Eric Rowan were trying to get into the ring First they're using A kendo stick then a fire extinguisher Finally they end up getting a couple blankets I mean there's very little action I mean just some offense from Kane Basic stuff Sidewalk slam He hits a couple uh, close, uh, He hits a couple choke slams He ends up You know using The uh, um, There's a fireman outside With a fire extinguisher That's sort of You know Distracting a little bit But it's Looking back at the match It didn't even feel like it went 
almost eight minutes because there was very little offense. It was really about just showing that these are crazy guys willing to do anything. And once Luke Harper and Rowan get in the ring, they are able to take out Kane, and we end up getting the sister Abigail for the victory for Bray's first win. During the match, there were some Undertaker chants, so the crowd was hoping that maybe Undertaker would come out. What'd you think of the first real look at Bray Wyatt in the ring? Yeah, it was really more of an introduction, I thought, than a match was kind of getting the point across as to as to what you said, what this, you know, group of faction was going to be. Um, wasn't much of a match, like you said. Uh, you know, they obviously emphasized that the numbers game is going to uh, be a, a continuing trend with the Wyatt family moving forward. Um, I would say that... Um, you know, it, it made the point that these guys were going to be a force, that they were going to be something new, something different, an interesting story. It checked the boxes from a standpoint of introducing them that it needed to check. Uh, was I supremely impressed with this as a wrestling match in terms of Bray Wyatt's first appearance uh, in this particular uh, faction? Not necessarily, but I'm looking back on this knowing what's to come. So it's hard to like say, that this is not a first step into something that's going to be really a lot of fun because really that's what it was. Yeah, it was good. It was different, Andrew, but I agree with Darren. I'm sure that's where you're going to go. Like I kind of forgot how little Bray himself really did sort of in the ring in this match. Uh, He didn't really have much offense at all. He took some offense from Kane. Then he was helped by Harper and Rowan. I I mean, I loved everything about them, their look, the music. I I thought it was so cool when they were walking down to the ring How the crowd was like scared Like the crowd just didn't know what to do They're like what the hell are we Are we supposed to cheer Are we supposed to And then we'll sort of hear the crowd start to sing with them As they get more and more over Talk to us about some of your thoughts Which you were kind of alluding to May have been not the most positive All right, everybody Here we go Timeliness wise This isn't the worst This isn't the best time rather To have this take I love Bray Wyatt's presentation. I love his promos, everything outside the ring with Bray and the Fiend, whatever. For the most part, top tier stuff. The guy has a brilliant mind. Even the stuff that didn't really work, the stuff with the Fiend and Alexa Bliss and the the match with Orton at WrestleMania, whatever. The stuff outside the ring, so good. Then the bell rings. And that's where, to me, with Wyatt, a lot of the shine comes off as a one-on-one guy. When you had the Wyatt family as a threesome going up against the Shield, awesome. Fantastic yeah, I'm glad you. I'm stuff. glad you pointed that out because I was going to yes. counter you with that. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, but, when, but you're right. It's not like if you think of the list of the matches that you really would say, okay, I want to go back and rewatch that one. I mean, the Daniel Bryan one at the Royal Rumble is the one that obviously would come to mind, and then. When you can't think of that many more when, when when the match is the one with Daniel Bryan It's hard not to go Oh, okay Well, he had a great match with Maybe the best worker in the world For the last decade Exactly or so. Now, though, the one thing I will say And I'll play devil's advocate on one thing People try to act like the Bray Wyatt Undertaker match From WrestleMania in 2015, I think it was Wasn't all that great Bray Wyatt was working that match with a broken foot That match was very, very good under the circumstances. So I don't want this to be like I'm constantly poo-pooing Bray Wyatt. And I will, and I will, and and what's hard to, I I like this point though, because I do think what is hard is that there are probably a lot of situations and times where it wasn't 
in the benefit of Bray's character to go in there and have a banger of a match. You know, right. like he's not he's not booked to be a guy to be having five star matches over and over. But so it's it's hard to hold him to a standard. But then at the same time, I totally agree with you, Andrew. It's that when when you build a character up so much to the point where they're inevitably going to have to be a main event guy or a main event character that's going to have to at one point get in the ring and pay it off in 15 minute matches in single scenarios. Can they do that consistently against a bulk of different opponents? I'm I'm really intrigued right now at the timing because we had Bray come back as this version of himself. We heard him on, on totally Friday Night SmackDown. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to seeing promo. Where and so maybe we'll get what we're kind of hoping for. Maybe we'll just get to see him in some more matches that are more in-ring matches, right? Where he can actually maybe be a babyface at you know or have to come from the bottom and have to work from under, you know, and and just be able to wrestle an actual match because I agree with you that ended up that ended up hurting him. I think overall in that he's he didn't have enough of those, you know, and in a couple of his big matches like he should have gone over Cena in a spot or two, he didn't. There were a few times where with the Fiend we've talked about where that, you know, he got just completely railroaded with that character and what they did to him there. I'm hoping right now with the with the kind of energy that's behind, we'll be able to get some Bray Wyatt in ring stuff because this yeah, this was a little a little disappointing in what I remembered from in ring. Love the presentation. Yeah, so the other thing about this match, and this is where I turn into a grumpy old man, I hate the Inferno Ring of Fire type stuff. It's a cool visual at first. It gets gimmicky really, really fast. If you're into wrestlers randomly getting turned into kebabs, it's a great match for you. For me, not so much. And then you have Kane, who, yes, for purposes of this match, for any number of reasons, It was a perfect use of him, but after Team Hell No went their own separate ways, from a wrestling standpoint, there just wasn't much left for him. And this match, from a technical standpoint, it it just wasn't all that great. And you knew that with the Wyatt family ringside, there was going to be a way in which they were going to get around the stipulation of, hey, look. This fire is here solely so these two people three feet from the ring can't get in the ring. Oh, wait, the fire's out. Shit. And then they it, put it the... It didn't work for me. It just didn't work. Well, then the post-match, just just take him just take him away or, you know, hit him. You can use any weapon, but they pick the, the steps and then they, they set him up so they're going to, like, cra- like, act like they're going to squish his head in the steps. But they used the part of the steps that has like a perfect opening, so you could tell that it doesn't even hit him in the head at all. Like it, it could just you could just place someone perfectly in there, and it, and it wouldn't even hit them. So I just that was the only thing at the end that bothered me about the presentation. I loved the Wyatt family early on, and I love I'm a Bray Wyatt fan, and I think I'm I'm really excited about where they're going to be uh, going with him moving forward. This was a good. Do you get do you get the idea that. His first um, feud coming back is going to be with himself, right? It kind of feels like it might be like a. I I with the whole the whole mask character that keeps like, interrupting. So he, yeah, so like he came out, he was speaking as basically you know Wyndham Rotundo and not mm-hmm. even Bray Wyatt. Yeah, um, 
And then the mass character came on and was almost like a split personality. You know, you almost got like the um, uh, you you got like the theme or or the feeling of uh, primal fear with like Edward Norton's character, where he's like saying, you know, quit your whining, you know, be a man, you know, like the guy, like the other personalities coming out. And I almost wonder, you know, if if they're gonna bring back like Bo Dallas and put him on the in the mask, and you're gonna get Bray Wyatt, the person wrestling against this mask character, and he's gonna have these multiple personalities or something like that. Like well, I almost feel like it's going in some kind of a direction there. The good thing, and look, circumstances, what there are, whatever. How much more do you trust Triple H with the Bray Wyatt character than Vince? Oh, a hundred percent. Oh yeah. Oh it's yeah. It's not I mean, close. And what they did immediately just in the report that, Hey, there was going to be a new director of long-term booking. And they brought someone in to just to even help with the reveal of Bray and some of the stuff they were doing with the Easter eggs online and all the white rabbit stuff. So yeah, you just feel much better overall about the type of respect or I, I mean, we don't know. Triple H personally, but he just seems like a lot, a lot more of a hey, I can deal with everybody businessman than Vince, who was just getting a little bit more stubborn towards the end. You know, he's just getting older, and I could just sense him and Bray like clashing and hearing some of the stuff about them and the ideas that that Bray would have. This this looked good, and the best thing about all of this, and the one thing that Bray has for him, he's different. He's unique. He has a different look, he has a different sound, and he has a very good creative mind. Sometimes it can get him in trouble because it's he's too creative, but I love how he is very protective of his character. And you know what? Like, I love Bret Hart. I like guys that take the, the business seriously, you know? So give me some Bret Hart. You, you, you love Bret Hart? No. No, no. I didn't know that. <laughs> no. Well, let's move on to uh, the panel. We checked in with the panel, Josh Matthews, Booker T., Shawn Michaels and Vicky Guerrero So uh, just kind of again funny to see Where people go Booker T is now the NXT Commentator that just started Shawn Michaels basically runs NXT And Vicky Guerrero Was in AEW for a while I think she still is but she doesn't really pop up there Very often Josh Matthews was all over Doing uh, commentary in places uh, In Impact for a while Then we get a video from Paul Heyman earlier the night He told us that Punk Lesnar Is now going to be a no DQ match And yeah, I mean that's most Lesnar. A lot of the Lesnar matches are that are that way. They're they give him that kind of that better fight feel. That gives uh, uh, Heyman a chance to get involved. We get to our next match: Damian Sandow versus Cody Rhodes. Sandow enters, and he's the Money in the Bank winner at this time. He has the briefcase. He says that Sherlock and Watson and Batman and Robin were uh, famous partners, and Cody was the sidekick. Just like uh, you know, just like Watson, just like Robin, he's gonna send Cody back to his family of carnival clowns and his dad, Dumb and Dumber. So, Cody Rhodes versus Damian Sandow, who were tag team partners just before this, and the match was, it was good. I mean, it was. There's no problem with the in ring work. There was a back and forth. We start. Uh, Sandow had kind of a fun leg sweep under the ropes when Cody was standing on the apron to knock him down. Then inside the ring, side rushing leg sweep. Sandow with some leg submissions And then the Kobe Toe Akiette The elbow of disdain uh, Cody came back He hit what looked like a muscle buster And then he hit the uh, the Gold dust like uppercut And then some of the slaps um, He hit a, 
an elbow and then a springboard drop kick. Then Cody, he held Sandow's leg sort of like a wheelbarrow and he he looked like he was going to kick him right in the nuts, but he kicked him in the stomach. Looked like a low blow from the angle. Um Sandow hit a neck breaker. Cody hit the disaster kick just for two. Then Damian battled back a little bit out of the corner, but Cody hit the crossroads. DZ, I mean, I had no problem with the in-ring work. I was just a little surprised that this match from two guys who were former tag partners, you were building up. I mean, Damian Sandow had the money in the bank, so you figured you would have wanted to just give them maybe a little more time on the show. But I I thought if they went four, five more minutes and got the 10 minutes, you would have felt a little bit better of it. I have no problem with the technical stuff in here. Just felt a little bit weird that it was it was cut short. Yeah, the the, the match I thought went at a at a pretty good pace too. Yeah, uh, I mean they, they were coming off a Money in the Bank match where Cody kind of really came on the scene and introduced himself as a star that in that match because he if you go back and watch that Money in the Bank where Sandow won the briefcase, Cody's performance in that Money in the Bank uh, match is absolutely sensational, and this mm-hmm. is coming off the heels of that. Um, yeah, so you kind of have a bit of a rivalry like you talked about going here. Uh, I thought they worked extremely well together. I thought that um, it could have clearly gone 10, 11 minutes. I thought that would have been fine. It seemed like the crowd was definitely into it. Uh, I think they probably wanted more out of this. Um, it was interesting to see Cody break out a muscle buster. That was, that, that was great. That was awesome. Yeah. You know, that, and, uh, and that's a move that uh, I believe was banned uh, thanks to mm-hmm. uh, one of Vince's long list of things that you cannot do. Yeah. Well, WWE. to be fair, the know, reason it, the reason it was banned is because Tyson Kidd almost died. Yes, yeah, yes, that, that is true. But I mean, listen, there's a lot of moves. You know, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen some awfully nasty looking injuries coming off of the Styles Clash too. Oh, the pile drive! How about the yeah. pile drive? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but yeah, I mean, look, I, I thought it was a really good match. I don't want to hold it against him that they only gave him the, the time allotted, which was less than seven minutes. If this was four or five minutes, four or five minutes longer, uh, it probably could have pushed close to a four star match. For me, it was about three and a half. Yeah, I went a solid three, could probably go up to three and a quarter ish. It was fun. Look, they weren't doing anything overly revolutionary, but they kept a really quick tempo. You sort of got the vibe that maybe at some point earlier in the day, they were going to go 10 minutes and then they got two or three minutes cut out mm-hmm. of their allotted time, and they were bound and determined to fit in as much as they possibly could. Look, Cody can go. Damian Sandow was not a bad worker. He was never no. going to be a world-class main event guy, but he could be carried. And, it and his his character end. at the time was really good. Like, he had it. The oh, yeah. overall was pretty good for him because he was good enough in the ring with the character that got really good heat. I mean, this guy was over, I think, going into that main event or going into that Money in the Bank match. He was the guy that you figured was, I think, one of the top contenders in there that you thought would be a guy that would fit perfect with the briefcase. And uh, he was, honestly, when you go through, one of the few that... That failed with the briefcase, you know, in, in recent memories, him and Baron Corbin and some of the others, if they have been a world champ, but they failed with the briefcase in their cash in, I think it happened to Cena one time. Like, I don't know, that doesn't really count to me because Cena can just he's such a longstanding champ. But for guys like this, you sort of felt like this was going about to be his moment. And this is like a typical money in the bank booking, Andrew, that we see you have them lose a bunch of matches to build up contenders for when they end up winning the title. Yeah, and I understand that to a point, 
but it's a double-edged sword because then you're also sort of devaluing the guy. That totally agree. The briefcase. I get where they go with that stuff. And as Completely we agree. this, I believe Austin Theory is on a 15-match losing streak yeah. since winning the Money in yeah. the Bank briefcase. <laughs> um, I understand why they do it that way. I understand that it sets up potential programs, but you've got to be really, really, really careful with how long that goes and in the case of Damian Sandow, he would wind up getting one last shot at a, at a gimmick that a lot of people really liked when he was the Miz's stunt double. They, was good. Try, they tried to do the turn in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal when it was down to those two and Big Show, I believe. And the crowd went nuts for Damian Mizdow turning face. Then after that, nothing happened. And that was pretty much all she wrote. And mm-hmm. that's unfortunate because he could have been somebody that drew some money. Let's continue along. Where did we go next? We had a video package for Christian and uh, the world title match against Alberto Del Rio. This was when Christian was doing the one more match gimmick. And this really felt like this was the end towards the end of his career. And now we still see Christian Wrestling in AEW he is injured right now Though so hopefully we can see him come back Soon this like the Video package felt like a package For a baby face before they're about to Win that was that was what I thought When, when watching it um, The match was very very good though And you can't help But notice that Del Rio's got the Hulk Hogan shiner you know Like he's got the black eye they don't Really mention it at all but Del Rio got in a bar fight The night before SummerSlam I think he was with Drew McIntyre And uh, I don't know if he got in the fight with Drew But I think he was with Drew when it, when it went down Now When they're doing the intros Alberto made Lillian Garcia introduce him in Spanish That was pretty cool Yeah and this was 12 minutes 12 and a half minutes and it was a really Good pace a good match Between two veterans that have Worked thousands of matches and that had Worked together a, a lot and had really nice chemistry Del Rio with some of those kicks to the leg early Christian tosses him outside the ring Christian with the neck breaker Then uh, Christian um, Oh uh, There was a good spot where Del Rio kind of hits him Hits a kick to the top of the head when Christian's like Up on the top rope it looked really Brutal and the kicks all looked Like they were landing nicely and he They were selling the really good job They were smacking they sounded Loud just all the, the small little things I thought went really well in this match JBL was doing a good job talking about How you know Del Rio is How aggressive he is And then of course because Del Rio's Finishing move is the cross arm breaker He's going to start working on Christian's left arm He's you know head, uh, Working on it into the Into the wall and he was Doing some really sort of creative offense with it <laughs> At one point Jerry says something To kind of say ah you can't Do that and JBL says King you should love the cheating You made a career out of it and then he just Sort of said I guess I guess you're right Like you got me you got me there JBL the uh we got a Good drop kick and then He's going he's drop kicking Uh and attacking the arm Del Rio outside the Ring misses and Christian Hits a big splash and they're both outside The ring both men get back inside Christian With a big boot on the middle rope And he avoids the kick um, big cross body And that was a really nice near fall for just two uh, Del Rio hit a backstabber and Then he was 
busted open in the nose. He's bleeding a little bit. He hits a nice looking Inzagiri kick to the head. And then he goes for a splash, but he misses it. Christian hits that fun back flying elbow off the ropes. And then a Hurricane Rana when Del Rio was up top. We get a couple more near falls. Christian's trying to get the spear, but Del Rio hits him with a nice clean drop kick, big uppercut. And Del Rio with another kick to the head. He goes for a knee, but Christian's able to counter that into a close pin. Then Christian hits a spear, but he hit the spear using the bad shoulder and he couldn't capitalize. He couldn't cover and ended up hurting him too much. So Del Rio was able to grab him, lock on the cross arm breaker. Christian tried to fight. He battled, but he had to tap out 12 and a half minutes. DZ, I thought this was a very good match between these two. And I, I agree with a lot with what Andrew was saying about Del Rio. He was never a personal favorite of mine, but when the bell rang, he was always pretty good. Like you don't have a whole lot of bad Del Rio efforts. He just didn't really have that additional oomph with the character to, to connect the way, you know, a great baby face would. And as a heel, I don't know. He just, it wasn't like go away heat, but he just sort of felt like I, I never really got him as much as that main, main event heel. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, and I don't want people to think that I'm like, Shitting all over Del Rio because he turned out to be a piece of crap in the long run because it, it it's not I, I I was just never drawn to the guy. No, it, I, I, it, I don't know what it was. He was a fine worker. I probably didn't give him enough credit because I don't know if it was his charisma or lack thereof or his, you know, uh, just overall appearance. And uh, I don't know if it was like you could just tell that he was a phony. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like you could just maybe we could just see that this dude was there was some I completely agree with everything you're saying. And in watching some of his matches back now and not having to be as emotionally invested, like I don't I'm like, okay, this was good in the ring. The guy ends up being an awful person. I don't you know, but he was fine in ring. But I just like I never got all that excited for his matches or for his runs at all. And it just like it it didn't do much for me. No, he, he never did much for me either. And like I said, Maybe I'm being too hard on him. Uh, it's just a matter of taste. There's certain guys that just didn't warm things up for me. Um, he was one of them. You know, I mean, this match was fine. Um, you know, I, I thought they did good work. Um, you know, Christian selling the shoulder, getting towards the latter part of the match, um, you know, probably helped things out a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, putting a little bit more heat on Del Rio. Um, couldn't, you know, pin him because his shoulder was was bothering him holding his arm uh looking like uh you know a broken chicken wing uh and then obviously del rio goes into the cross arm breaker so yeah i mean all of that i thought was well done they sold that stuff well they told a good story um and it's probably a good match it's probably a really good match it's just anything with del rio for me is just probably never going to get the accolades or recognition that a more objective person would, would would give it yeah i echo those sentiments pretty much down to the letter the time that alberto del rio resonated the most with me wasn't when he was in wwe it was the back half of season one and you two know where i'm going of yeah. lucha underground when he showed up as alberto el patron in between his two runs in wwe and he got to play this babyface character with an edge that actually worked 
and mm-hmm. it culminated in him having a banger of a match with the guy we know as John Morrison. It was a lot of fun seeing him in that element. And that was a case where it sort of seemed like we say this a lot when wrestlers change promotions and cut the first promo, but it seemed like the chains were off at that point. And Mm -hmm. he was, he was very good in that particular environment. Then he goes back to WWE. He wins the U S title. I believe from John Cena in his first match back in the company. And it was just more of the same stuff. Well, and they, they had him as a surprise Right, I think it was a surprise. They yeah, didn't even. It was. Yeah, nobody. People were all talking about who it was going to be, and I think he beat Cena in sort of like a. It was. It's kind of like quick, kind of like a nondescript. Like, oh yeah. my gosh, just beat him and it's over, and then, and then it went to Zeb, right? Yep, it did. Yeah, and it was a case where all of a sudden you have this guy who is a perfectly fine mid card to upper mid card guy, a guy that could work a good to very good match with pretty much anybody pushed way beyond his station for reasons passing understanding. Now, this match was pretty good. I had it at three and a half stars. First of all, in the midst of Alberto Del Rio's introduction, they cut to the crowd. Did either of you happen to notice the very enthusiastic, very familiar blonde woman booing Alberto Del Rio? That was Michelle Beadle, who showed up at a lot of WWE shows in Southern California during the mid 2010s. So that was a pretty fun little Easter egg to find Del Rio gets that sweet enziguri from behind into the tree of woe. I love that spot. Uh, Christian sold for Del Rio and made him look like a killer. It was a 12 minute match. Could it have gone on a little longer? Maybe, but I don't think it would have been any better than the 12 minute quasi sprint that we got from both of these guys. This was fun. I've got absolutely no problem with it. We went backstage and, or actually after the match, Renee Young, shout out Renee, she's over in AEW right now, is uh, she asked Del Rio if he was proud of his victory. He said he was there to represent the Mexican people. They need a hero like him. All the people down in the dumps need someone to worship. They need an idol as uh, just a quick little post-match promo. We then saw some clips of Natty and Maria Menounos. Who had a match at Access against Brie Bella and Eva Marie. Natty won beating Eva. I know you're a favorite, Andrew. Eva Marie. Okay. We need to pause for just a moment. A couple of days ago, on her social media platforms, Eva Marie posted a video of her, with actually decent basketball form, by the way, shooting a uh, Lily doll into the garbage can. With the subtext of, if I make this shot, I'm going back to WWE. Dear Triple H, you are bringing back many people who deserved far better than they got. For this, I commend you. There has been a demonstrated improvement in excitement and enthusiasm since you took the reins. No, with Eva Marie. Please, for the love of everything holy, no. We have been down this road before. There's absolutely nothing there once the bell rings. You don't have a reality show to push. Just say no. Love, Andrew. Um, So we had up next. These were the type of matches that they would have at this time period where they'd want to try to get as many of the ladies on the card as possible. 
So they'd have like a match like this where you'd have a, you know a huge tag, or in this case, you have a one-on-one match, but you have Natalia with Cameron and Naomi out there alongside, and then you have Brie with Nikki and Eva Marie out there. And I will say, the this is better than I had expected it would be when I looked at the match and thought about the time period because it Natty was always going to be one of the best. In-ring workers in the division at any time period And Brie looked like she was actually taking this match really seriously And had been putting in work And she looked very improved in here I mean, it's a five-minute match It's really not much You have all the ladies on the outside That are like yelling and screaming And getting involved in different ways And then at the one point of the match The crowd starts chanting for the announcers We get a JBL Then we get a Michael Cole chant And then they start chanting Jerry And he's like Hey guys, I'm going to actually address this You know, Jerry always loves getting chanted So, yeah, DZ, I mean, nothing really to this Natty ends up getting the uh, Alabama slam And then a sharpshooter to win And Bree taps out at just over five minutes But compared to some of the matches at this time period And in the couple of years leading up This actually wasn't, like, offensive in any way Or it wasn't like, oh, they botched that spot Or they missed that move They, It, it actually wasn't bad And the Bellas... The Bellas improved quite a bit from where they had been a couple years before. And, you know, you were in fine. You were way better here with Natty in this match than trying to put a Cameron at this point or an Eva Marie or someone like that. Yeah, well, that that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I you know, I almost felt bad for them. You got the the crowd is like chanting for all the, for the guys on commentary and know, stuff I like it. I know. You know, just just like shitting all over this match. But look, yeah, I agree with your point, but you know, as a collective, the one thing I took away from this match is, you know, how far this division came in a short period of time. I mean, so cool you know, it, it, it's it's hard to go back and watch these matches because they're just a, a complete, you know, uh, a shell of what these people, you know, it, these these performers can do. Well, it doesn't um, feel it doesn't feel like the same sport no. or t- you know what I mean? It just no. feels like a, a sport or pro wrestling, yep. whatever it is. But it doesn't feel like the same thing as. Charlotte versus Becky and nope. Bianca out there against Bailey on a ladder, you know, like it's just exactly. like exactly, yeah, you know. exactly, yeah. And that's what I kind of took away from it, you know. And uh, you know, knowing what this division would turn into certainly, you know, brings you right back around. But you know, watching these kinds of matches at and again, you know, Natalia is one of the better ones at the time. But you know, to see where they came from and where they would end up going is really kind of what I took away from this match. If you didn't know before that WWE was starting a show called Total Divas, you <laughs> darn sure knew by the end of the match. Of the 519. By, by the <laughs> My goodness. Look, I understand that there's crossover appeal there. I understand that there's a certain segment of the WWE audience that eats up Total Divas and Total Bellas during this decade, and that's fine. I'm not judging that. That just was so not up my street. And then you get a match like this that you compare this match to what Natalia even is doing nine years later with women that are trained to work and not just to look good and know their angles. This is just, it's a night and day sort of thing. And that's going to be part of Triple H's legacy when all is said and done because he helped cultivate that down in NXT with workers like Charlotte, with workers like Paige, with Sasha Banks, who nobody wants to talk about right now, uh, with Bailey, with Becky Lynch. Just 
it's just gotten so much better and thank god for that this next segment man i forgot about this and talk about a, a quick and a far fall for a guy who was over man ryback when he came up people forget because I mean, that guy was over immediately. This The crowds everywhere you went, they chanted, feed me more. He had that Goldberg sort of look and feel to his matches. But you, you kind of knew with him what was going to happen. Eventually, he was going to have to get to the point where you were going to put him in a match against one of the top stars. And he probably wasn't going to be able to deliver that much. And he, you know what? There were a couple matches when he was thrown into stuff with Punk and with Cena where he probably did about as well as you could have expected in those situations. But man, for whatever reason, after things started to fall and it and he got hurt and he just never could come back. And now we we see the guy on social media, you know, he seems to have some issues himself. But man, this was a this was a bad segment too, with the 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 soup in the back. He says the soup is cold. And the guy tells him it was gazpacho. It's supposed to be cold. Oh, I know that. And then he dumps a bucket of soup on a guy's head and he says, feed me moron. And he laughs. This was this was b- bad, DZ, just a waste. And man, like, we haven't seen him on too many of the shows that we've reviewed because usually the shows we have we do are maybe either a little bit a little bit later or a little longer ago. But he had that run where he was really over and then just dropped off, dropped off the face of the earth. He was just nowhere to be found anymore. Yeah, one of the weirder arcs in WWE history, uh, certainly the Ryback character. Yeah, this is dumb. He's like he's like pushing around some guy who's working for catering or whatever. I mean, I, you know, the, the guy's a monster. He's probably on every PED at this point known to mankind. And, and you got him like, you know, pushing around like a waiter, basically. It, it just didn't make any sense to me. I thought it was atrocious. Andrew, yeah. this is uh, the Sarge's uh, Nick Hines was always a Ryback fan. He loved you him know, back. A couple of months before this show in 2013, I had one of the cooler assignments of my time as a full-time sports writer at the Saratogian. I covered a WWE house show in Glens Falls, New York. And the main event of that show was John Cena against Ryback in a tables match. Ryback was doing house show loops at the top of the billing Against the guy In all caps Less than three years later he'd be gone He had a run as the Intercontinental Champ in 2014 or 2015 He wound up leaving uh, I believe in 2015 Or 2016 and he hasn't been Seen a whole heck of a lot since Um, This was a guy That had a lot of potential remember He didn't come up as Ryback He came up as Skip Sheffield in the original Nexus with which, Husky Harris, right? No, Hus- Husky Harris was the next year. This okay. was season one. This yeah, was you're right. The Wade Barrett led group that came up to the main roster, destroyed the ring. Daniel Bryan got himself fired for a couple of months because of the actions that night. Um, he had something, but in addition to that something, which made him an intriguing prospect. He also, by all accounts, had a very high, unjustified opinion of himself. And Mm -hmm. that's never a good thing to have. No, it's and it it ends up being one of those things where what gets you to that point, right? Because you have to have a pretty high opinion of yourself, even to sort of get to where he was. Then it sort of 
is the thing that gets you in trouble when you can't have like look in the mirror and and okay, hey, look, this is where I need to be slotted. This is my role. This is where I fit best. And yeah, and it's just it's one of those things where there's always going to be spots for guys that look like Ryback that work like Ryback. There's always dating back to the days of Hulk Hogan, Ben spots for monsters of the month. And Mm -hmm. in the 2000s and early part of the 2010s, I mean, my goodness, you had the great Kali, you had Vladimir Kozlov, you had Nathan Jones going back earlier in in the 2000s. Schnitzky. Yes, Heidenreich. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's always room for guys that look incredibly imposing. It's just one of those instances where Ryback, for all things considered, had himself a darn good run. But there is a reason we haven't heard anything from him in the last five years or six well, years. He's, actually. He, he's also proved to be absolutely out of his mind. Yes, yeah. we, we yeah. have first. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you pay if you pay any attention to what he posts on social media, I, mean, I don't. Is. Thank goodness. Yeah, I've oh. seen a few things here or there that would get like retweeted or posted into mine, and it was that you you can kind of make sense of some of it because you like like you were saying, Andrew. There was something there with him, but if it's not enough to where if the guy is not, is like bad in the locker room and backstage, it's like, oh, okay, not worth it, right? Like we can we can find something with you, but if you're going to be, uh, you know, a detriment to the locker room, then not worth it. We can find plenty of other guys to play th- this role. Is yeah, I, I, it's kind of surprising that like some of the more like, um, I mean, I mean, well, I, I'm speaking like I, I don't know if this is this, this happened or not. But you would think with some of the stuff that he's gone on to say, I mean, if that was going on while he was there, that one of the locker room leaders wouldn't have, you know, thrown this guy Mm -hmm. into a wall. Oh, I know. You know, I mean, whether it be Taker or, you know, Lesnar or or whomever, um, you know, somebody had to step in there and do and do something. We get to an awesome match next. Punk versus Lesnar. And this one feels a little funny just with what's been going on recently with CM Punk. Who came back to AEW Makes a big splash Takes a little while to kind of get his feet wet And then he starts getting in In pretty good form Good promos, some good um, some, some good feuds, wins the title Then gets hurt immediately Has to relinquish the title, comes back Gets squashed Which I thought was really kind of strange Then wins the title, and then gets hurt And then completely craps on the entire company After winning the title In a uh, post- Post uh, pay per view. Where where is he? Is he still released? He's hurt or? and suspended right now. Oh, it's just suspended. Okay. Yeah. So all because all of them are. The, there's been nothing more said about the third party investigation that's been going on involving the incident that happened with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and CM Punk and and Larry. Uh, don't forget Larry. Larry the dog and Ace wasn't that his, one of the yes the guys? Ace Steel. Now Ace the, Steel. The, the the last thing I heard. And this was last week, maybe even the week before, is that there was one party in the situation that had been totally uncooperative. One guess who we're thinking that is. Hmm. Hmm. So you're telling me Punk would be maybe a little uncooperative. Now, he was the baby face here as Paul Heyman had turned on him and Paul Heyman had went back with Brock Lesnar. They give you a four minute video package That was really good to set this whole thing up And all the history between You know Heyman and Punk and a lot of the stuff Between 
Heyman and Lesnar And it's a no DQ match CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar Punk's rocking the Wolverine Before facial. we go too much further I just Please. need to say this one line From Please. Michael Cole And it's so fitting given everything that's going on right now When you see Punk in the locker room He always wants to joke around And he's always loose <laughs> right Over to our friends Matt, Nick, and Kenny For their reactions <laughs> Right As uh, these two get started Brock just tosses Punk across the ring Early on Using some of his strength Big shoulder tackles Punk with a running knee And then another one that knocks Brock outside Then he hits a dive outside um, We have Lesnar just using his strength all over the place Punk diving uh, Punk takes Lesnar face first into the steel post Then a double axe handle off the top Big clothesline off the announce table And then Heyman is outside the ring And he trips and Punk's running after him Punk grabs him But that gives uh, Brock an opportunity To hit Punk in the back with a forearm And then he just throws him over the announce table And what I thought was really cool uh, He... Grabs the covering from the announce table And he drapes it on Punk And then he jumps on top of it Which is a cool spot that I hadn't seen With someone using that covering You know, to just a little bit unique And now Punk is going to be selling for a little while As Brock takes over Big Belly to Belly Suplex And he screams, I'm the best in the world At him uh, He gets a big bear hug Punk fights out of it though And he hits some knees to the ribs Big kicks and then he heads up top But Brock catches him And he hits a, a nice fall away slam and For And for anyone who You know is just really anti Brock it's just you gotta watch some of these Matches where he isn't against a lot smaller Guys guys were I mean Brock Lesnar could look at someone like CM Punk And say why the hell do I want to go 25 minutes and wrestle a guy like that I should beat him In two he gives a lot In these matches he's done it with Punk AJ Daniel Bryan Finn Seth Rollins repeatedly And and this was just A really good match from Brock Midway through Punk bites him in the face And then he gets you know some Forearm shots to the back another big flying uh, Knee he hit this Ugly looking elbow off the top With his opposite arm it was just bad And I did You watch some of Punk's offense and it's not like Always the smoothest or the most graceful But it Kind of feels a little real sometimes Because it's like okay he's beaten down by this Big monster of course he's not going to be just Flying around but some of the Things look look like the, his suicide Dives aren't always the, the greatest looking Or the the elbow drops the triangle Choke that he locks in At some points it just doesn't look Very good but I mean just so, Some small critiques from an, an excellent Match at this point the crowd's going nuts Lesnar hits He's able to fight out of the triangle with this running power bomb that was just awesome. Hit so hard. Now they're outside the ring. Brock gets a steel chair and Punk goes to the top rope from behind and he jumps onto Brock, who kind of holds up the chair. Sort of hurt both guys and they were both kind of uh, st- uh, stumbling a little bit. Now Punk grabs the chair and he goes after Brock a few times. They go back in the ring and now Brock has a chair. Punk hits a low blow and now it looks like He's in command he goes up to the top With the steel chair he jumps off And he hits it in Brock's face which was pretty Cool kind of like an elbow with the chair And It looks like Punk is about to get the Better of Brock 
But here comes Paul Heyman He grabs the chair And um, as Punk attempts For a, an F5 He's actually uh, As Brock's going for an F5 Punk is holding on to Heyman's tie Which I thought was a cool spot Punk ends up hitting the, the GTS And then Heyman breaks up the pin It's a no DQ match um, Punk gets the opportunity To go after Heyman He's chasing him around And of course you know, You're chasing the, the bad guy manager What's going to happen Here comes Brock Brock with the F5 But Punk with one of the coolest counters I can remember with the DDT This was an awesome match Set up the very final stages Where Punk had the Anaconda Vice in But Paul Heyman Has a steel chair That uh, distracts Punk And that ends up leading to Brock Getting the steel chair Hitting Punk a few times And then the F5 on top of the chair DZ this was a 25 plus minute match for Brock And man This was a really Really good match from both of these two guys There were two fantastic matches On the show and a couple others And that's sort of like what Is the markings of a very good show When you can have two matches that Four plus star matches Anything from four to five Whatever your personal taste is This thing was really good Yeah and what I've made And and you referenced it uh, at the end The point that I was going to make was that You forget because we're a bit Removed from it the the kind of matches that Brock used to have Um, Mm -hmm. You know he got to the point After you know 2017 Or so where these mat his matches became you know finisher finisher suplex 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 finisher finisher six minutes seven minutes five minutes four minutes eight minutes you know when you go back and you watch this or you watch obviously you know his real early stuff and the stuff with angle mania match and things like that you know you could really see what this guy could do in the ring and I forgot how know, good this match was I did oh yeah yeah and and if you um if you had somebody today who is not necessarily new to wrestling, but they've been watching it for just like the last four or five years. And they have the opinion, you know, I can't stand Lesnar. He just shows up and does these little quick matches or whatever. This is one of the matches that I would say, do yourself a favor, go back and watch this to see the reason why Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar today and why he could pretty much do whatever the hell he wants to do is because the guy used to be able to have matches like this. This was a, Four and a quarter to four and a half star. Fantastic match. Great story. Um, I mean, you know, you went through the whole thing, the moves. Uh, there's some excellent stuff. The stuff with Heyman is great. Um, I mean, the, the chair shot at near the end is just like good heavens. Um, I thought he killed the guy. Um, you know, a, a great finish. Um you know, the the big, huge monster versus the small guy, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, David and Goliath type thing. I, I thought it just it sold from start to finish. And, and and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. So the first 20 minutes of this match are as good as it gets. There are some fantastic spots in here. First of all, Punk looks small here by comparison to some of his other stuff. I believe this was the time when he out of nowhere just decided he wasn't going to eat meat. Gee, professional <laughs> wrestler not eating meat and doing all this <laughs> stuff. Like it's it's freaking crazy. But you can tell that he's a, just a little smaller, not even necessarily skinny, just leaner for sure. Everything looks really stiff though. 
And that's why this works. It's two guys hitting each other and beating the living daylights out of each other. The announcers, they were sort of out of the way for the most part, almost all night. But there was a great line early in this match when they're fighting around the announce table. One of them goes, our announce table is thoroughly destroyed. And another of them goes, so is punk. Great line. <laughs> he was fantastic yeah. line. The sequence where the GTS leads to the Kimura, which leads to the arm bar and the triangle and Lesnar powers out. That's fantastic. The problem is the last five minutes seem like something out of a secondary pay-per-view and not out of a SummerSlam. It just seemed a little bit gimmicky and a little bit like they were trying to get cute and protect Punk a little bit, still give him a little bit of the payback on Paul Heyman for everything. It just seemed a little too cute, and that's the reason I can't go five stars. I went four and a half. Having said that, it's an excellent match. Brock Lesnar does have the ability still to go in and have these fantastic matches. Darren, you mentioned 2017 or so. He had a couple of matches, and I think it was 18 or 19, with AJ and with Daniel Bryan and with maybe one or two other guys. The problem is when he mails it in, you know it. He did that against the artist formerly known as Dean Ambrose. Yeah, that's the and one. Ambrose wasn't the same until he turned up as John Moxley a couple of years later. Now uh, we continue along to Brendan. He won a Doritos contest, and he he got to take a splash from Mark Henry. And him and his friends sat right next to the announce table for the next match, which is just the total cool down match of all cool down matches. As <laughs> you were going to have this awesome twenty five minute match, and then another really good twenty five minute match following that, and then a bunch of stuff happening at the end of the show. So you need a, sh- a match like this that's just going to give the crowd a, a little time to catch their breath before it's going to get them up again. It was Dolph Ziggler and Caitlin versus Big E and AJ. I mean, nothing wrong with the work in the match, DZ. This thing goes six and a half, almost seven minutes. We get Big E with uh, some power moves early on, a splash, and then a big stretch. Ziggy's flying around doing t- Ziggler stuff And then when the girls tag in We're we're getting, you know, Caitlyn and AJ They were best friends and they had a feud there Caitlyn hits a spear at the end To take down AJ And then uh, Ziggler fights out of the big ending And he hits the zigzag I mean, it's it's really basic in what you would expect In a tag match like this And it just felt like, hey We'll throw the video package We'll have this match That'll give us about maybe 15 minutes In between for you know, uh, kind of a cooling down before we ramp back up for the main event. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening here, uh, to be expected. Uh, but I mean, to be honest with you, you know, we it's a cool down match, but it's not bad. Work, some good yeah, workers it's good. in this. I match. mean, you have think yeah. about it. Think about it. You have two guys that in that were that are world champions now, like now Biggie and Ziggler, and neither of them have ever been disgraced for their in ring work, and so it's yeah, it's fine. Like. You could you could have worse six or seven minute matches than these than these four out there. And AJ was always very very over. AJ Lee was very very yeah. over, even at a point where the women's division was like we said not much. Yeah yeah a hundred percent. And uh, you know obviously I mean AJ held that title for a long time as well, uh, leading up to the stuff with Paige. 
Uh, but yeah, like, like you said, it's a cool down match, but it's got some good workers and it. it's got some, you know, Dolph obviously still around from time to time today. Biggie would still be wrestling if not for the horrible injury that he suffered. But yeah, it's a cool down match. It's well positioned. It does its job. Uh, I'm certainly not going to run it down given the, the time of the era. This match probably four or five years later, you know, would have really been a barn burner uh, if they would have given them, you know, 10, 12 minutes. But uh, yeah, it, it, it does its job with, with its placement in the card. There is a hidden gem in this match, and it is Big E's first theme song. Three ain't <laughs> enough, man. I need five. It's a great <laughs> yeah. song. And if you want another take on this, back in the olden days of 2020, during the worst parts of the pandemic, the gentleman from Up, Up, Down, Down, Xavier Woods, Tyler Adam Cole and the guy formerly known as Cesaro, now Claudio Castagnoli, did uh, weekly Uno games where the big loser each week would have to sing a theme song. You have not lived until you have heard Claudio Castagnoli sing Three Ain't Enough Man I Need Five. <laughs> it's a fun gimmick, too, because you can give it to any generic big guy. Hey, this guy's so impressive that his opponents can't kick out of a five count rather than a three. It's so easy. It's so simple. It's the most triple H thing in the world. And it helped give big E something that allowed him to stand out in NXT and get called up and eventually have the career that he wound up having. Yeah. Uh, this match was fine. Caitlin throws a hell of a spear right at the end on AJ Lee on the floor. The timing of that was really good. And then you had Biggie and Dolph doing the finishing sequence that they'd probably done about 50 times on the house show circuit. They knew what they were doing. It was fun. It was fine. Even the announcers seemed exhausted after the Punk Lesnar match, though. It, this was just a cool down match. You got to, you know, hey, look, this guy won a sweepstakes and got to do something cool. Da 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 da. da. Match itself was fine. It gets you ready for the main event. Not offensive at all. No issue with it. We had the final of the Miz Fandango segments. There was one earlier in the night with Maria Menounos. Now this one, uh, Miz is trying to cut a promo and, and Fandango shows up and then Miz just hits him. And that's it. <laughs> then we, we checked in with uh, the panel one more time. Shawn Michaels and uh, Booker T raving about how great the uh, some of the matches on the card were. And they made predictions for the main event. Remember that Shawn Michaels actually was Daniel Bryan's trainer. So we get the video package to set up John Cena versus Daniel Bryan. John Cena got to pick his opponent for this match. And throughout the buildup, Vince McMahon didn't want Bryan to have a chance. He called him a dwarf. Brad Maddox was the GM, called him a troll. They would screw Daniel Bryan out of every chance or every match. They had him lose to Wade Barrett along the way. Um, but Triple H. Was a babyface at this time and he stepped in and said he would be the special guest referee and he would make sure that there were no shenanigans in this match and everybody was uh, was very pumped for Triple H to be the special guest ref. He gets introduced first, King of Kings brings him out and then Daniel Bryan with the, ba the loud uh, yes chance. he's wearing a shirt that says the beard is here and John Cena comes out. This is when John Cena had the elbow injury. He was about to take some time off, and he, he was covering the elbow with an elbow pad. He showed they showed it after um, on I think social media or something, and he, he looked like he had a baseball 
on the end of his elbow. There was like so much buildup in in the back of his elbow, and so the fact that he worked this match with that injury is unbelievable. This is such a good match, and it's so much fun because you have Daniel Bryan as this natural baby face that the crowd feels like they got behind. You have the guy who's been the face of the company for years, and it, and it feels like Daniel Bryan is going to dethrone him and become the guy. And the, I mean the the mat there was a and there was a really good story they're telling early. It early in the match you can tell they're saying that hey look, John Cena can mat wrestle a little bit. And they're trying to show you that he has some counters here and there. And um, John Cena at one point goes and tells the doctor that his elbow is fine. As uh, I mean, we're getting some really fun counters early on. Cena goes for a bridge pin. Daniel Bryan with a backslide. We get a surfboard. He powers out of that. And then they they're outside in the announce table. We. Uh, and that Cena gets in charge. He goes after the ribs here. And Daniel Bryan tosses Cena into the steel steps. We get a big suplex. Um, Triple H is letting him go outside the ring. This felt like a really fun main event where they were going to let things go. And Cena hits a cool power bomb, which he didn't use very often. Daniel Bryan with some kicks, big kicks in the corner, running clothesline. Uh, crowd just, yes, chance for him all the time. Big kicks to the chest. And then Cena with his jumping shoulder tackles all over He hits the the back suplex that he would do right before the five knuckle shuffle But when he goes to do the five knuckle shuffle Daniel Bryan kicks him in the head Which is just a cool spot Took a few extra uh, minutes But on the second uh, time Cena got that five knuckle shuffle shuffle try And he goes for the attitude adjustment But D-Bry lands on his feet And then he hits a knee and he gets a big drop kick off the top rope for two. Then Daniel Bryan starts working on the uh, elbow for Cena. He puts he actually puts Cena in the STF in the uh, in Cena's own submission. Then he hits a bridging. Uh, Cena's able to battle out of it. He hits a bridging German suplex. And again, Daniel Bryan with these counters of the attitude adjustment puts in the yes lock, and Cena fights out of that thing. The um, Daniel Bryan hits. Uh, Kind of a front face lock submission And then Cena battles out of that Just really good stuff Back and forth between these two guys Didn't feel like at any moment Anyone was really in control for all that much This was a real good baby face baby face Type match Daniel Bryan with a big forearm Then a drop kick um, Big superplex And then he he Does like a sit up He holds on from the, the superplex Daniel Bryan and he does a like a kip up sit up back to the top. It was unbelievable to show the strength and core strength. Uh, diving headbutt for two, and then Cena moves to the uh, the floor to kind of regroup a little bit. He comes back in. He hits an awesome leg drop. That leg drop to the back of Daniel Bryan's head off the top rope. Final uh, stages of the match here. They're up on the top and. Daniel Bryan fights out and he's in control He tries to go for a Hurricane Rana And this looked like a It was kind of a botched spot It almost ended up looking like a Styles Clash That that was bad and DZ you mentioned Like seeing some Styles Clashes go bad It made me think of this spot That almost looked like they were trying To do something that didn't quite work but These two guys no Nobody was hurt out of it and, and It landed fine it just looked a little bit A little bit awkward they were lucky because it could have been A lot worse they uh, 
Yes lock but Cena makes it to the ropes And then a couple drop kicks From Daniel Bryan He goes for another one but a huge Clothesline from Cena That just cut Daniel Bryan Right off I mean this was Really cool He went up and over Cena exploded there Final minute of the match They're both going at it Big slaps back and forth And Cena goes for the AA DDT from Daniel Bryan Cena catches Daniel Bryan off the top rope But Daniel Bryan with an inside cradle And then he hits the big running knee For the one, for the two, for the three Which wasn't a a thing at at the time, DZ That we'd seen him like finish matches with For the most part there were submissions more For Daniel Bryan so This was one of the first times he started using that running knee I think consistently as a finisher And this match We'll talk about some of the post stuff But this match was just awesome between these two guys Again like Cena gets some crap But big matches Against best wrestlers in the world He delivers he does, and in this match in particular, uh, if you wanted to make the argument that this is the best match in John Cena's career, I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't um, either. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I'm not saying I, I 100% feel that way, but it's in the conversation. I wouldn't argue against it. Um, it's a tremendous match from start to finish, like you said. Uh, I mean, you went through everything very eloquently, and you hi- highlighted all the high points. Um you know, I, I thought it was like you said, the finish was a little bit different for Brian. He was such a submission specialist at the time. Um, the diving headbutt made me cringe, as always does, knowing what would end up happening with Daniel. I know Bryan. some of the next stuff with him um, does make you yeah. sort of like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. The uh, the the super hurricane Rana always love that move. Uh, you know, Brian almost went on his head there, though. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I mean, this is a match where you could just get out the popcorn and. Just sit back and enjoy it. Uh, I mean, they they tore the house down here. Um, and uh, in terms of the actual matches, there was some post stuff. But you could, you know, there's this three four-star matches on this card. And uh, it's it's a top three SummerSlam, you know, of all time for me. I think it's that good, Andrew. So I had this match at four and a quarter. It's a very good match. The crowd pushes it to another level. There's revisionist history that we need to address before we go any further. WWE would have you believe that this was all part of the plan to build Daniel Bryan into the megastar that got his coronation (laughs) in WrestleMania 30 by Hmm. defeating Triple H, Randy Orton, and Batista on the same night. Cue the Wade Barrett soundbite, everybody. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. This was because, supposed to be because, the end of the line. Yeah, because right here, you would think so on this night. You would think that's where they were going to inevitably go, that the main event of WrestleMania would have been Daniel Bryan versus Randy Orton for Daniel Bryan to get this back. But they were, they were definitely forced. That was not their plan, Andrew. Yeah, it was not the plan at all whatsoever. The plan was Bryan gets the title here. Orton comes out at the end, you wind up doing the turn, and Orton dispatches Daniel Bryan at a couple of B-level pay-per-views, and we wind up with Randy Orton and Batista at WrestleMania. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That was the plan. Daniel Bryan in the main event at WrestleMania was not the plan until about a month before the show. Now, this match, in a vacuum, it's very, very good. 
And but by the way, Andrew, just to interrupt quickly, the, the proof to your point, if anybody questions that, is that Daniel Bryan did not win the Royal Rumble the following year. Daniel Bryan was not even entered in the Royal Rumble that year. <laughs> Poor Rey Mysterio coming out at number 30 and getting yep. booed out of the building. Mysterio didn't deserve that. Can we just like no. give him an apology on behalf of the fans that were in the Sorry, building Ray. that night? Yeah. Sorry, Ray. Um, but this match had something that isn't common. Now, we'd seen John Cena have to work heel a couple of times. The big one that you remember is him against Rob Van Dam at ECW One Night Stand, the If Cena Wins We Riot thing. But he's never the big heel who gets to control the match and really put down the plucky baby. That's a very good point. This was different because that was his role. Cena was always the underdog. And now he's the big heavy that nobody in the arena wants to see win. And the fact that he's able to pull that off, there are people that say Cena's ring work is just sort of basic and he's not an all-time great worker. Maybe he's not an all-time great worker, but can we also do one of those retroactive apologies for all of the you can't wrestle chants? Yeah, because that's a little extreme, too. This was a good match, a very good match that John Cena more than held up his end of the bargain on. And when Daniel Bryan gets the shining wizard and gets the pinfall and the crowd goes crazy, it feels so good. It feels pure. It feels like one of those times where you're just you're proud to be a wrestling fan. And then. Triple H, that son of a bitch. I will say it's it's well like Darren was saying too, though. It's it it's well done. Now, everything you said about the revisionist history is totally true. But but then on its own, the end of the show where Daniel Bryan's celebrating, he goes into the camera, he says, Mom and Dad, thank you. You know, he has this moment where he tells him, Thank you for everything. I, I love you. And he's they give him a few minutes to actually celebrate and it's it's long enough to where you don't think anything's going to happen because what they they sort of have to do they have to let Cena get out of there because it wouldn't have made sense right away i was thinking about that because cena's such a baby face if he's walking down after the match cena gets up he shakes daniel bryan's hand you know he he has the moment where he looks like he may hit him kind of turns he grabs him from behind and then he shakes his hand Cena shakes Triple H's hand. They all have a a good baby face moment. But you could see Triple H lingering in the ring, you know? You could just see him in the background. He keeps going to Daniel Bryan to raise his hand. And Daniel Bryan's celebrating. He's going to each corner, and he's doing the yes chants. And then here comes Randy Orton, and his music hits. And he's got the Money in the Bank briefcase. But Daniel Bryan, he stands tall in the ring, and he says, bring it on. Bring it on. You know, he he says, let's go. Randy Orton does the heel thing. He kind of turns around, kind of cowers. He looks like he's not going to cash this thing in. And here comes Triple H. From behind, he hits a pedigree on Daniel Bryan. Randy Orton goes into the ring. And Darren, I remember being actually ups- like mad when this happened because I remember being like, what about the whole they got to be on their feet thing? Because that was, that was, a, that was a, a, a rule at one point with the money in the bank cash in where that the before the cash in the wrestlers both had to be on their feet and that was not the case here i mean daniel bryan just out cold randy orton crawls in 
pins him for the one, two, three. It, it did its job so well because I, even at 25 years old, was like, I felt like I was five in getting mad about this as, as just someone who wanted Daniel Bryan to see it. It's just as Andrew was pointing out, I had this moment where it's like, oh, yeah, he wins. No, you can't do this to it. It was I, I remember feeling like that right away. You see, I'm I'm the opposite because I'm I'm like a because you love Orton. I, I love Orton. Yeah, I always have. So loved yeah, Orton. so it was great for you. Yeah, I've always loved Orton, and, and I like Daniel Bryan too. But the re the reason why I felt the opposite, I was happy that Bryan won. The reason I felt the opposite because I was watching this with a group of friends, and they were all like, "Yeah, let's go high five and everything like that." And I'm watching it. I'm watching Orton comes out, and you you know whatever holds up the briefcase and. They're like, he's not doing anything, you know, and, and they're all like still celebrating, you know, they just, and then I'm watching and I start to see Triple H just kind of creeping up behind them uh-huh. and, uh, and, um, and I'm going and I'm going guys, <laughs> uh, guys, you know, and, and then when, when he grabs him, they go, no, and I'm going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to be like that one guy who's just like, Pissing all over the seven friends he's with. And when Triple H comes over and he goes, ring the bell, ring it. I'm like, this is fantastic. Everyone's going home from this pay-per-view crying. And I love every second of it. (laughs) God, it's just, it's so good. And if this was supposed to be the start of the story arc that ended the following spring at WrestleMania, fantastic! Yeah. It'd be perfect. Yeah. Except it wasn't, and, and, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. No, you're right, and that's what is hard to feel. Like I would, I wish we could feel a little bit better about it all in the full circle. But I guess you know, we did get the moment when Daniel Bryan gets the win. He was the main event of WrestleMania. He, you know, he ended up getting to the point where we hoped, even if it was just for a little bit. And you know what? The guy is healthy. And seems to be really happy right now, which is cool. You know, seeing with all the stuff that he had to deal with, he's he's getting to do what he wants right now. He's getting to wrestle the types of matches he wants, and you know, and awesome to see Daniel Bryan. This was this is just like Darren said. I mean, this might be one of my personal favorite Summer Slams. I really, really uh, th- those two matches are so good. The Brock Punk and then the Bryan Cena match, and then what happens at the end. And then you add in. Just some other fun matches along the way Like the Del Rio Christian match was very fun The Cody Sandow While it was short It was still a lot of fun You have the debut of Bray Wyatt Which was really cool This is a, this is just a memorable show And some big moments DZ, I was excited to be able to talk about this one Andrew, I'm going to give you the next pick So I'm going to let Darren give some thoughts here And you can... Uh, you can make your pick for the next one. Oh, that's dangerous, so, uh, but I know okay. that's dangerous. So I'll give you a minute or two to come up with one. DZ, um, you know, you've you've said that you like this show quite a bit, and I agree. Yeah, I mean, if I was making yeah. a f- top five SummerSlams list, top three, this would be in it. And this is one that I love throwing on and watching because we said it's a quick watch, three hours or less. It's great to have on in the background when you have two 25-minute matches that don't drag, don't feel like they overstay their welcome. They're awesome. And then a couple other matches that are like, oh, that was that was pretty good. A nice 12 minute, nice six minute, nice seven minute here. Just a solid show. Yeah, for, for me, this or 2002, I believe, is the other good one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, one of yeah, those two. That's the Brock Rock. Yeah. 
That's yeah. the Rock Rock and the Triple H one where uh, Shawn yeah, Michaels yeah. comes back, his return. Yeah, yeah. So one of those two are probably number one, and the other one is number two. And then from there, uh, 92 and 91 are personal favorites of mine that always mm-hmm. land in the top five. 92 is a tremendous show with Bret and Bulldog, with Savage Warrior, with Undertaker and, and Kamala, uh, and a couple of other you know really fun matches along the way as well. Uh, and 91, of course, with Bret Perfect and uh, LOD versus uh, the Nasty Boys and DiBiase and Virgil with the great uh, Million Dollar Belt storyline and Boss Man in the Mountie with the jail cell match. And, um, you know, for me, those four always land in the top five. And you could mix and match wherever you want to do it. But, yeah, this is a fantastic show. I, I was listening to you guys thinking, of, you know, talk about and saying, can you imagine if they would have put Brian in that main event at WrestleMania and had him lose. <laughs> oh my can God. You, can you imagine what would have happened? Jeez. They would have rioted. <laughs> they would have thrown things in the ring. If that happened. It's it's wrestling is great when you can catch it like lightning in a bottle like this, Andrew, it, you can't do it all the time, but there are times where, you know, you just have characters who become larger than life or the crowd gets behind him. And for Bra- for Daniel Bryan, it all started with, him getting kind of neglected as a character and not really getting the time and the quick little squash match against Sheamus. And that's sort of what built the crowd um, response for him. Talk to us about this show and then tell us if you have a, a pick for our next one. So it's funny you mentioned that. And this is one of those times where going to Segway school really pays off. There are times in the history of professional wrestling where the lightning gets caught in a bottle. You have the right guy. You have the right reaction. And even if things go wrong along the way, you can retcon them into this beautiful story that gets wrapped up into this nice, neat bow with 80,000 people at the Superdome going, yes, 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 yes. And everyone 30 years down the line will look back on that fondly. And then there are times where something happens And 30 years later, everyone is in agreement that it is one of the worst things in the history of professional wrestling. Darren Zocali, this is your fault. You have referenced this several times over the two years or so that we have been doing this program. No, and because no, 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 don't do it. No, 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 we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Oh, no. I'm oh, going to do no, what Cactus no. Jack did. Oh, no. I'm going to flip the switch, oh, and we're going to no. do Halloween Havoc <laughs> 1991 <laughs> The oh, Chamber no. of Horrors match, baby! Oh, no. Oh, no. We're going oh. to the Chamber of Horrors. Oh, no. So, the aptly yeah. named Chamber of Horrors. Oh, goodness. So we have Sting El Gigante and the Steiners versus Abdullah the Butcher, the Diamond Stud, (laughs) Cactus Jack, and Vader. And the thing is, Gino, you knew where I was going halfway into that because you Googled up the match. I knew it. I knew where you were going right away, immediately. I already had it set. Um, Also on that card, Bobby Eaton, Terry Taylor. We have... uh, Johnny B. Bad and Garvin. There's this other guy too. There's this. There's this other guy that we never saw again. It was this Halloween Phantom dude, and I feel like that's sort of a big deal. That's that'll be fun to talk about too. The Halloween Phantom, (laughs) 
We have a Lex Luger-Ron Simmons Two out of three falls match for the heavyweight title So this will be cool This will be a fun one with, uh, with Halloween in the air Right now we'll be able to talk about Halloween Havoc 1991 from WCW Andrew, good pick We'll have some fun with this Talking about that match That was definitely You say good pick now I'm going to remind you You said that next week When we look at this Sometimes the really, really bad ones Are are fun when we can have some some fun Discussing that And uh, DZ, man uh, As we record Your Yankees got a victory earlier So they're able to, to move along And what a cool time In the world of sports right now Basketball season Literally just starting today As we're recording And we have the Breeders' Cup just a couple weeks out. You're a Harness fan. You have the Breeders' Crown just about a week and a half out. This is one of those. I think that this time in like around the April-ish time are are really good times of the year. College football, NFL, everything's going on right now. Yeah, yeah, it really is a good time. I mean, I'm not I'm not supremely confident in any uh, way, shape, or form about the Yankees getting past the Astros. Uh, they are. They're they a juggernaut, are, uh, yeah. Yeah, they are, and uh, the Yankees, you know, still have a, a lot of injuries with Ben Attendee's not going to be in the ALCS, and LeMayu's still up in the air. And Bullpen, Bullpen questioned, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, and I am not at all confident. But, uh, look, it's good to be fighting another day and, you know, have at least another week of baseball with the Yankees, and hopefully they can figure it out. Um, yeah, Breeders' Cup coming up, Breeders' Crown. Breeders' Cup, really excited. I'm going to head on out to Lexington. Uh, do some stuff for work and uh, be at the event for the first time, I think, since b- before COVID. I think my first trip to the Brewers Cup since either 17 or 18. So I'll look forward to that. Um, NFL season, the New York Giants somehow are five and, and five one. Five and one. Yeah. Um, you could just polish up that coach of the year trophy and you could FedEx it to Brian Dable right now because how this team is five and one with what that roster is from the injuries, I no mean, receivers. No, none like the, the their leading wide receiver is Richie James, who I did not know who that was until week one of this year. I mean, uh, it's been it's been a remarkable job. It's been fun to watch. I'm sure eventually they're going to hit the ceiling. Uh, but, you know, they've beaten some, you know, fairly legitimate teams. They've won on the road. They've won in London. Um, they, you know, I, I don't know what the end of the year is going to look like, but. The fact that we've had this fun with this team that they're five and one, I'll take it. You know, I'll take it for the time being. So yeah, a lot of fun going on. NBA season starting, you know, uh, tonight actually as we're recording this. So a lot of good stuff going on, and uh, really looking forward to diving into the Breeders' Cup PPs when the, uh, you know, the uh, the pre entries come out and we get to start working on that. That's that's one of my favorite days and favorite weeks of the year when we get those pre entries and the first oh, yeah. come together and we get that's to start nice. looking through them. That's that that's one of the awesome things. The Derby. Listen, the Derby's the Derby. It's it's a thing by itself, but it's one race. The Breeders' Cup, man. You can sit two down. For, oh, it's so good. It's oh, yeah. So Two-day affair. And, yeah, the, your Giants had to go to the Dodgers and get uh, Bellinger to play tight end for them. Uh, because yeah. if, It was yeah. funny because Joe Davis, who was the Dodgers uh, announcer, he does. he's the Fox announcer now. And he's, like, the main Fox announcer after Joe Buck moved. And he, I, it's funny when he's a touchdown Bellinger. I was like, wait, what the hell? This sounds weird. I've heard him call months <laughs> for Bellinger, and now he's touched it. I was like, I'll what am Major League Baseball. I mean, the, the the right two teams are in the ALCS, and I, and I think everybody would would probably agree with that. Oh they've yeah, been the, yeah, they've been the two best teams in the American League. But the fact that you had three teams in the National League win a hundred games or more, 
and none of the three made it to the National League Championship Series I know. is so wild. So, so wild. It just yeah. shows you with baseball all the different variables and uh, and what can happen. And you know, you get a hot team at the right time, couple you know bounces, and that's why baseball is a crazy game. Andrew heads up and watch some some of those A's games with the uh, couple other hundred fans up there every now and then. Yes, right, Andrew. Indeed, yes, <laughs> yes. You can tell they love this club here in Cleveland. <laughs> Bob Euchre line for me. <laughs> no, I, uh, I I am the today's attendance fourteen hundred and twelve. <laughs> Most of them got one damn one. Yeah, all we got was one goddamn hit. <laughs> you can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, it's nobody's listening. listening. Nobody's listening. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in far too long. I'm gonna have it's, to fire that up. But I, I, I am belted towards <laughs> South America. Serrano's gonna, gonna need a rocket up in there. I was about to get that one. Yeah. He's gonna, oh god. If that's not Shaquille O'Neal and left, that baby's out of here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> ball best, four. The best ball one eight. is. The best one is. Here's the three two. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Bob Euchre is a national treasure, treasure and must Boy, be protected at all costs. Um. No, I am. They're gonna walk to... back to pitch department. Obviously, Taylor's thinking. thinking. I don't know. I don't what know the what hell the hell he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we've gone off the rails. Uh, and all of this to you know lengthen the uh, horror that is me having to admit being the resident long-suffering Angels fan who has two <laughs> of the top five players in the game on the team and somehow can't manage a winning record. Um, yeah, yeah, loads of fun. But uh, on a serious note, though, a lot of things going on. Most of the stuff that I'm doing for the day job centers around the impending sports betting election here in California. We've got two props up, Prop 26 and Prop 27 for in-person and online sports betting, respectively. You can head on over to PlaySA.com for a lot of coverage on that. Outside of work, just started a new podcast endeavor that I'm going to give a cheap plug to uh, with Josh Rodriguez, a.k.a. Cherry Drank on Twitter from On the Wrong Lead. The podcast is, of course, entitled Drankin' Champagne. We've got a couple of episodes up already on that. We're going to be talking about a lot of horse racing stuff that isn't necessarily stuff you see in a forum. We had a fan education discussion on the most recent episode that went up uh, yesterday evening. It's Tuesday. We recorded it yesterday. So, yeah yesterday evening um but yeah you can take a look at the on the wrong lead platforms for that obviously with breeders cup coming up i'm going to be doing a whole bunch of stuff whatever you need gino i am more than happy to help out with uh last year's breeders cup proved to be a very good day for me it would have been an all-time day had the breeders cup turf been about 50 yards shorter and broom had gotten up but with cc winning and with nicks go improbably going off at three to one it was still a pretty darn good day, and hopefully we've got another one in store. Speaking Thanks. of Breeders' Cup turf, I have a major rooting interest in the Breeders' Cup turf this year. If, Talk, tell us. So so um, at Kentucky Downs this year, a horse by the name of Kiddo Dan won the Dueling Grounds Derby, and it was announced actually just yesterday that he is going to go in the Breeders' Cup turf because he's doing so well. He's a three-year-old. He's going to be a big, long shot. Totally talk, recognize that. But it just so happens that this year at the Keeneland Yearling Sale, uh, in partnership with uh, our Thoroughcrowd owners, we purchased a couple of yearlings, one of which happens to be the half-sister to Kiddo Dan. So 
we have the half sister to a horse that's starting in the Breeders' Cup turf. Oh, just like um, a good run or a placing, you know what I mean? Would be would it's like, just nice to be able to have that rooting interest. That that would be really cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it. You know, listen, things are weird in in when it comes to breeding and what qualifies, you know, a filly for having a tremendous broodmare value. But it sure know, doesn't it, hurt. It definitely doesn't hurt. I right? don't know what it means. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I was funny because I was talking to one of my partners last night. I'm like, I'm just out of curiosity, like we just need to wrap our head around it. In the wild scenario where that horse actually won, what do we do? Like, do we try to pin hook her? Yeah. Do we just, I, yeah. like, try to sell her now? Like, Darren, what we- whatever you do, you leave your phone on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's probably an accurate take. So, you know, that's cool. going to be exciting. Yeah. I'm gonna okay. Well, let's do. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you two on if you're, uh, if you're down and two weeks from now when we normally record on that Tuesday and maybe we'll hit uh, one or two of the good races that have some big fields that we can, uh, we can dive into. I, I, I like kiddo Dan in the turf. Uh, there we go. Right. <laughs> oh, there we go. Big long shot. Big long shot for everyone right off the bat. So make sure to give both of these guys a follow on social media. Uh, Darren at the track seven and then Andrew champagne at Andrew champagne. And then the website still uh, probably the best place to check out a lot of Andrew's written stuff there too. Um, give them both a follow on social media. You hear them here on the old wrestling rewatch. We'll be talking breeders cup in just a few weeks. Thanks so much again, fellas. And, uh, Oh no, the chamber of horrors will be next. That's where we're headed for our next old wrestling rewatch. Don't go anywhere folks. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode of that's what G said. A big thank you to all of our guests on this episode. This was kind of a fun one. We got all the entertainment stuff on this episode and or with Trevor Hayes and with Michael Foster, She-Hulk, with Tim Kelly, and then we got to the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and with Darren Zocali. Big thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to all of you for listening in. Hope you all have a fantastic weekend. We'll be back next week with so much Breeders' Cup content. We'll continue on with Andor Episode 9. We'll dive into NFL Week 9. We'll keep going with college football. We'll see what happened in the World Series, and we'll check in on the NBA through the first week or so. Woo! It's a fun time to be a sports fan. It's also a fun time to be a fan of Marvel, the MCU. It's a fun time to be a fan of Star Wars, as we have all this great content right now and so much ahead. Have a fantastic weekend, folks. We'll talk to you again real soon.